Welcome to the Grand Theft World podcast, hosted and sponsored by GrandTheftWorld.com. It is uh, January 22nd, 2023. This is episode 116. We're going to talk about uh, a whole bunch of stuff that happened, but I'm going to tell you about this first story because you're going to think it happened last week. We talked about the little Fed Corvette and the Biden documents, classified documents handled very differently than Donald Trump's classified documents. So this past week, they found more and they raided the current president's house not a raid like mar-a-lago more like sent some people over in suits and ties and they found six more sets of classified documents so there's a whole lot happening on that front it just shows the uh well if the fbi had to do that to trump now they're gonna have to do the same thing right equal justice under the law is what we should hold uh especially uh this non-elected rulership too uh davos has been going on this past week now, Elon Musk came out last week and confidentially or controversially rather said uh, Davos is an unelected world government that's uh, dictating the future of the planet. Is that true? And why would he shine a light on the good folks at Davos and not attend if he's uh, part of that global world order? Or is he just a controlled opposition DARPA Pentagon funded person who's a front man for Another bookend on that agenda, right? You're going to have two sides on the vice. Other, otherwise, you can't give people a squeeze. We also have uh, former New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern has had to step down. Now, you might remember her from uh, COVID lockdown, tyranny, despotism, uh, sequestering of her own citizens, putting them in quarantine camps, acting very much like a stooge from World War II. So we're going to semi-celebrate her resigning, but also, you know, she's just going to work for BlackRock. So she's moving on up. She's not getting punished. She's getting rewarded for her actions. Also, uh, this past week, we had we had, a, we had a counter to Davos. We called it the, the greater reset. So you've had five days of solutions-oriented activities, presentations, invigoration, and vitality being shared amongst people who know about the problem, we know about Davos. We know about the World Economic Forum and the Club of Rome and depopulation. Good, good. They're doing that. What can we do? We can start to live uh, a lifestyle of freedom and autonomy, and that takes education that we didn't get in school. So the Greater Reset just finished up, I think, about an hour ago, a couple hours ago, uh, after five days. So we'll be looking into uh, the events that happened this past week with that. And last but not least, Stephen Crowder went to war with an unknown opponent, but it became later known in that day. It's the Daily Wire. So now we have two epic freedom fighting organizations at war in a very public way, uh, disclosing contracts and recording conversations. And, you know, I'm not into the drama. I don't like to see freedom fighters fighting with each other. I'd rather see them aiming their their mental capacities at the folks at Davos and some of the other real problems uh, creators in the world. But I think there is a lot to be learned. And I think that these things, if they were learned, these types of situations wouldn't be going on. So maybe it's like the rite of passage that has to happen. I think it's going to be really informative for people who create and influence on YouTube to understand some of the machinations behind that whole drama. So we'll get into that tonight. But before we can get into any of that, uh, we'll have a special guest, uh, Jay Dyer tonight. We'll also have a, a feature from his uh, appearance on the Timcast IRL from Friday night during intermission tonight. So let's get on uh, with kickoff. Luke Radowski from wearechange.org, bestpoliticalshirts.com. And he's going to give you a little summary of what the globalists have been up to this week in Davos and more. Faces in the crowd tonight. A lot of familiar faces in the crowd. Familiar, of course, to uh, Jeffrey Epstein's pilot. 
<laughs> I see you. You, yeah. A few of you have been to Epstein's Island. Don't be bashful. Pretty much everyone here tonight flew in on a private jet, as per usual. As per usual, I will say everybody in this room probably released more gas than Klaus Schwab's stinky ass. <coughs> Klaus, I see you over there, Klaus. Also, we got our man of the hour tonight, Idris Elba. Everybody, big round of applause for Idris Elba. <laughs> Idris Elba, yeah, I guess because you uh, couldn't get to be James Bond in the movies, I figured you'd just come and hang out with some real-life supervillains. I'm not sure if Idris Elba, if you're getting paid to be here tonight, or if your payment is Klaus Schwab just letting you see your family ever again. <laughs> it's funny, because it's true. And who would have thought the Davos group doesn't like comedy? Welcome back, beautiful and amazing human beings. My name's Zuckerdowski here of WeAreChange.org, and things are getting very, very, very serious, especially when it comes to all the global protests happening right now and the current situation that the President of the United States is facing as uh, things are becoming a little bit of a explosive in Washington, D.C. We're going to be talking about that as well as all the protests happening around the world all here on this independent media broadcast. And if you like the shirt that I'm wearing, you can get it on thebestpoliticalshirts.com. The clip that we played in the beginning of this broadcast was done by the very talented Danny Polishak, who is uh, an awesome comedian. I really like his work. He has a YouTube channel that has way too little subscribers for the comedy that he puts out there and that's why we're going to be linking his YouTube channel down in the description below and if you haven't subscribed to his channel what are you waiting for? Seriously, comedy laughing is critically important right now during these very difficult times since of course it's a lot better than just crying. There's lots of things to cry about, there's lots of things to be sad about. But hey, don't be a Debbie Downer. Go on Danny Polishuk's YouTube channel and at least let's laugh at the insanity that of course all of us are facing in this modern day technocratic 1984 hellscape. Sorry, I, I, just, I, I, just, I, just, I just couldn't help myself. Just like people in France who can't help themselves to protest as of course there has been a lot of protests in France historically as of course right now there was over one million people that came out to the streets of Paris, France protesting the government's austerity measures there as the local government is planning to increase their retirement age from 62 to 64. This says, of course, life expectancy has been going up for, for certain groups of people, not all people. Actually, for, for some people, it's been going down dramatically, as well as the replacement levels, as well as the fertility rates. But hey, that's a different story for a different day. And hey, they have a barbecue grill train in Paris, France during the protest. And if you're gonna protest, at least protest on a full belly. This as more clashes in Lima, Peru have been becoming more and more violent. Many protesters have actually died as the situation in Peru is very politically turbulent and there's many different power plays unfolding in that country. This as the former president of Peru was overthrown and is now being investigated for charges of rebellion and conspiracy. This as some people still insist that he is the legitimate president of that country and I've, I've heard that somewhere. Where have I heard that? before and in other news in the united states there are protests in atlanta georgia this as there has been some property destruction police cars lit on fire as well as fireworks being pelted with violent confrontations between protesters and police officers after a, a very crazy event that unfolded a couple days ago at an antifa autonomous zone where police officers cleared an encampment 
and then engaged in a gunfight that took the life of one Antifa member. Antifa decided to respond to all this by calling for, quote, a night of rage, which led to scenes like this that were unfolding on the streets of Atlanta. Now, what exactly happened in this autonomous zone? Who was responsible? What happened there when it was their shootout? Well, we still don't know, as of course we keep getting just a little bit of details of the actual events unfolding here, and we're going to wait until there's a further investigation here until we find out all the details of exactly what happened here before jumping to conclusions. All of this as unironically local news reports of this incident called it quote largely peaceful. Yes, I'm not kidding you. Those were the words of a local anchor in Atlanta that said this as there was a police cruiser right behind him on fire. A protest initially to try to uh, protest what happened on Wednesday here where, uh, I mean, they were handing out that vehicle still uh, up in flames here over at the at Andrew Young and Peachtree. And if you take a look over here, if you pan over, I want to show you. This is what they were handing out at that protest. So it was a largely peaceful protest where they just wanted what they're calling justice uh, for Tutordiet. So sorry. Yeah, that was mostly peaceful justice like our t-shirts are mostly not offensive which you could get on the best political shirts.com so let's talk about our main segment today and that of course is the puppet politicians that some people think really truly do call the shots here As you can see, my dog really doesn't like that uh, puppet politician noise, as I think it's important to understand here that even though a president comes and goes, a political party has influence in one election and then doesn't in another one, that the major overall policies really do not change. And I think this is important to understand here when it comes to understanding American politics and how there's a deep-seated bureaucracy within Washington, D.C. that continues the status quo push of the special interests and lobbyists that truly do control the larger seats of power at our political institutions. And I think this is perfectly represented by the ousting of BlackRock World Economic forums like Jacinda Ardin and of course career politicians like Joe Biden that are now in hot water after we're finding out how there was massive collusion between his administration and the DOJ when it came to keeping a lot of bad information about him secret, not investigating a lot of his true corrupt business policies as we have recently found out that the DOJ colluded with the White House to keep the classified document scandal that we're learning about away from the general public right before the midterm elections. This as we're also finding out that the FBI has searched Biden's home and now has found even more classified materials, now finding six more classified documents at his home just moments ago. This, of course, is a big deal as the FBI is thinking about even raiding and searching more of Biden's residencies as the president of the United States is surprisingly in a lot of hot water by the same institutions that have protected him for a very long time. And seeing the corporate media criticize him, seeing the FBI and DOJ actually search his residencies, to me personally points that there is some kind of larger power struggle within Washington, D.C., as there are most likely is an argument unfolding right now between the Biden administration and the real powers that be that do control 
the DOJ, the FBI, and the corporate media that have had just a very sharp turn against Biden and his presidency. Now, what's really going on here, especially with this DOJ investigation? Well, let's be honest here with ourselves. We can only speculate for now, as one of the bigger possibilities here is that the president of the United States wants to run for re-election and a lot of powerful people who see that he will not win are telling him not to. I think there is a bigger bargain when it comes to power politics at play here that I think is worth explaining. Or it could be that there could be bigger plans at foot here, especially when it comes to crashing the economy or launching some kind of other second larger psyop against the American people that the Biden administration might be standing in the way of or trying to rush through personally themselves. Whatever it may be, I think it's important to note here that understanding how things really work in Washington, D.C., that there are bigger things that play here then of course just some classified documents here there of course is a lot of clear hypocrisy when it comes to the former president of the united states having his home raided by the fbi instead of just searched this as republicans are saying that they're angry and astonished at everything that's unfolding right now with u.s senators like ted cruz asking themselves quote again how in the hell do they keep screwing this up? Which I think is an important question worth asking right now, as of course politics is a very dirty game. It has no allegiances to the puppets that serve them that are only temporary placeholders for the larger powers at hand that usually rule under the cover of secrecy and darkness. What do you think is really going on here? Or is this just Biden forgetting classified documents everywhere? What do you think is really going on here? All right. So what it, what that brings us back to is uh, <clears throat> Biden earlier today. They're, they're finding more documents all over his places, Tony. Now, do you think based on the Mar-a-Lago precedent that maybe they should be searching just as hard at his place? He's the active guy. I mean, it's even more concerning that the guy in power has these documents. Now, they rushed a lot of documents when they were, you know, uh, changing over residences before trump came in there was that whole obama stay behind government you know activity and then biden came back up through and he's from the obama eight years and now he's president he's sitting on a bunch of documents that he shouldn't i mean obama has like 30 million classified documents so if we're really going to go raiding people maybe they should also put him on the list what if his his are in an old bowling alley and so it's not like <laughs> any of these guys take it seriously or they're that concerned right but that Mar-a-Lago <laughs> precedent of sending SWAT teams to, to Trump's place, I think, uh, should be equally applied. What do you think? Yeah, if there's only equal justice, uh, that could be doled out uh, consistently. I'm, man, there's there's a lot that could be said. There's it's it's really what hasn't been acknowledged here is the inherent contradiction. We could talk about Clinton, the Clinton presidency, uh, and how Scooter many documents. Libby. Smuggle yes. documents out in his motherfucking sock. There you go. <laughs> All right. Look up Scooter Libby. See what he was doing. What was he? What was he? What was in his sock? And why did he think he could walk out of there? I mean, there's there's any number of activities like that that go on. And it's yep. just those are lower level scurrying because these people aren't the ones in control. They still have to cover their asses because there's people above them that might seek to, you know, get the drop on them later. Yeah, it really, it's these laws are in place in order to vilify certain individuals that the deep state or whatever one wants to call it is wants to go after for whatever reason. Um, I think it was the House ultimately that came up with this legislation that wanted to criminalize activity on the executive branch 
that has to do with classified documentation. I think it's, I don't know if it's a somewhat more recent legislation. I forget. I was listening to a little bit about it historically earlier today. I sort of forget the details. I just don't find it that interesting because at the end of the day, they're going to, in other words, create whatever laws they want to in order to take down certain individuals within government that seemingly are nothing more than placeholders or uh, Manchurian type of candidates. Expendable. Expendable, exactly. And that's all they're doing with with Biden. I mean, for the the Mar-a-Lago raid was unprecedented and arguably somewhat disturbing in the sense of raiding um, a former president on his private property when he's no longer the president with little evidence that he ended up taking anything, which I guess there were classified documents, but they really haven't released much to give the public. Uh, They said he had nuclear uh, codes. There was all sorts of drama, but the secret service knew about that for six months to a year ahead of time. They had him put more locks on there. It's already under secret service protection, right? It's not like Biden's garage with the Corvette. There's no secret service over there. Hunter Biden's in there smoking some crack with his friends and the prostitutes, giving the, the, giving them rides and daddy's car. (laughs) <laughs> maybe those point. documents were something he left there as a place where because they also wouldn't release the the guest list for that residence that's because maybe hunter says hey i put the documents behind the corvette and the other person goes in gets the documents and he's not the intermediary they it's a dead drop yeah it could be a dead drop that's i mean that's an interesting hypothesis we'll have to wait and see i mean obviously it's it seemingly is it's a reasonable another reasonable theory to consider potentially hypothesis depending on whether it's an investigation or not. The, the <laughs> servers in her bathroom, right, which is right. also where she does the deuce drop. So, please continue. It wasn't worth interrupting. Well, you it's not that. like you know it's how the show started, kids. It's not like uh, that South Park episode where they have to go inside of Hillary and defuse the nuclear oh, bomb. But it's a little a little bit a little bit too soon, you know. It's like one of those German show, Shiza but... videos. Let's let's not go there. <laughs> Well, no, that's a callback to South Park, bigger, longer, and uncut. <laughs> I've never seen it. It's a film. It's a film. It's cinema. Cinema. All right. Cinema. So, yeah, uh, cinema is defined by Scorsese. Going back to the point, everything you're saying is correct insofar as, first of all, the legislation itself is dubious, open for a different interpretation. And on top of that, different precedents have been set. The fact that they, as you mentioned, the CIA knew about it, there were locks on the Mar a Lago. There was understanding he had these documents, whereas with Biden, this is very much smells like a setup. It's a reasonable theory and maybe an investigation actually goes forth. There'll be a hypothesis that we could see whether or not this was indeed um, somewhat of a setup or if not a setup, this really very um, banal and inane way to conduct pseudo espionage on the executive level. So it's just, uh, we'll have to wait and see. But at this point, uh, it's a very strange phenomenon. One that's been going on with presidencies for decades in regards to when they, first of all, when a president leaves office, from my understanding, there's a lot of chaos and an overturning of administration. So it's not uncommon for even just human incompetence to also be ruled in as a potential theory as well, that these documents just get mixed up. All of a sudden they are where they are. But of at the course. same time, we're, they, we're all human beings, Tony. We all make mistakes. And I remember how Merrick Garland extended that same optimism and uh, benefit of the doubt to former President Donald Trump. Exactly. There does seem to be a double standard, obviously, yeah. and a sort of catch 22 in place, no doubt. And uh, and that's obvious to anyone who has half a brain. So, that, But it also yeah. looks like the funeral pyre for the former vice president has been lit by the people kind of saying, we're going to put you out the past year. You're not running in 2024. And the only way we can make sure you don't do that is we're going to Trumpify you. Yeah, I mean, we'll if they want to the maintain their power, if, if it's about maintaining their power in regards to the, the deep state, the Democrats, the progressive left, what everyone wants to call it, those that are supporting the agenda at the Dava, at Dava Switzerland with the World hmm. Economic Forum, 
you know, the build back better ideas. If it's that type of crowd wants to maintain their power and they're so they're more heavily associated with Democrats than Republicans, then yeah, they're going to have to do everything they can to oust uh, President, former Vice President Joe Biden, and of course Vice President Kamala Harris, who will also be former Vice President, I guess. Kamala. Point is Kamala. Because uh, they don't poll very well, or at least they're not polling very strong, strongly with their own constituents. And that's, uh, I guess they can only cheat so much. Well, I guess I shouldn't say that's the reality. They can only potentially massage the um, the balloting when it comes to voting and whatnot. So in that regard, they can only do it so much without becoming too conspicuous. So they have to make sure that they get someone in there that makes it a little easier then have to rely on Dominion voting machines yeah. or too many rub and tugs make the polls not work. That's what <laughs> you're saying. Or the ballot dumps in the middle of the night when the coverage stops and all that sort of stuff. Ballot dumps. Wow, we're keeping it classy this time. Mm-hmm. Hope this isn't used as the example. Can't see the plop. But it does start it out because it's a comedy show about the news that is going on tonight. Because most of the people that are going to bring you news are going to be comedians. You got JP Sears. No, you got Sears. Jimmy Dorn. Right, sure. You got uh, Tucker Carlson. He's a comedian. Seriously, he's entertainer. Like I mean, that's how they Remember argue he, for him. Yeah, he's got the bow tie back in the day. He's just, you know. Hear him talk about uh, Watergate, how uh, this week he was talking about how um, Nixon had dirt, then the fact the CIA killed JFK. Uh, Did he bring up thing. how Hillary got her start at Watergate? Well, that's what I told my dad. My dad's like, I just heard about this on the car driving back. And I was like, huh, did you know that Hillary got her start with she Watergate? She was deemed to be an untrustworthy lawyer. And I think they, <laughs> they pushed her out. They're like, this lady's not to be trusted. But some other people, it was like when um when it's Anakin's battling, when Anakin's a pad- Padawan and he's battling, and then uh, Sith Lord Darth Sidious comes, you know, and, and checks him out. And even though he upsets his teachers, Darth Sidious is like, come with me, boy, I'll help you. And that's how it becomes Darth Vader. So it's pretty that's, much the same, same yeah. thing. Kind of like Star Wars. Kind of like Marlo. Obviously, you want to draw off to... Uh... Take it out of sight, take it out of uh fantasy. Take it out of fantasy, put it back into King Chucky the third and fantasy land of royalty, the world economic forum. World economic forum. I was thinking of uh the wire, you know, when they show how the warrior lawyer or actually how the uh the main individuals that run the gangs in Baltimore. Like they just, it's a, it's an exercise in leverage and ruthlessness, ruthlessness more specifically. In case there's any young people watching this show born in this century in the year, 2000, 2002, there was a a series called the wire. Now you guys know series today. They're everywhere. Series on Netflix series on Amazon. It was a big deal back then. It was like one of the first series. It's five seasons. It's written by a former journalist from the Baltimore sun, David Simons. And he takes you each season through a layer of the corruption. So the first season, you're with the gangs on the corners, and it's a drug trade. And then he takes you in with the police. Then he takes you in with the city hall. Then he takes you in with the you know the mayor. And then he takes you in with the ports and the mafia. And he's just showing you layer upon layer. And the media is one of those too. Education just, as well. He has education. It's a layer the cake. Fourth season. Yeah. Yeah. I think it inspired the movie Layer Cake in 2004. That's <laughs> <laughs> what happened there. And uh, yeah. So but the, if you, but the yeah, point crime is Hillary in action is in there. And Hillary's uh, she plays Hillary's all those just, layers. Oh yeah, she plays at all those layers, and she's yeah. an exercise in ruthlessness. You know, that's why Marlo got to the top. If only she could get more Ruth, she wouldn't be so ruthless. <laughs> All right. So uh, this week, I mean, a lot of different things. I know. I know. We'll, we'll keep it cleaner. We'll, <laughs> we took a mulligan at the beginning. We're get, we got off to uh, uh, there was uh, there was like, uh, what do they call it when you're flying? 
pockets of air turbulence turbulence, turbulence on the takeoff oh who'd have thunk it who'd have thunk it on a sunday night when the when the davos people were just getting done there's turbulence on the takeoff because all their jets are taking off for home all right so uh let's bring it up with this week in media malfeasance with christy lee let's get her take on the week's activities before we start getting into deep dives and uh guests and all the other things that are going to go on in the next several hours the annual meeting of the World Economic Forum began at Davos in Switzerland this week. Just a group of philanthropists who want the best for us. What? Bro, what are you talking about, man? The media was eager to cover the major event, and the leaders were anxious to share their plans. Oh, but not with independent media. Uh, but, uh, which which uh, media are you with? I am an independent journalist from yeah, Japan. Yeah, no, thank you very much. <laughs> yes. I have and, to ask. Thank but you. Thanks me. And attendees like Pfizer CEO Albert Burla couldn't be bothered either. I mean, we, we now know that the vaccines didn't stop transmission, but why did you keep it secret? You said it was 100% effective, then 90%, then 80%, then 70%. But we now know that the vaccines do not trans stop transmission. Why did you keep that secret? Have a nice day. I won't have a nice day until I know the answer. Why did you keep it a secret that your vaccine did not stop transmission? Is it time to apologize to the world, sir, to give refunds back to the countries that poured all their money into your vaccine that doesn't work, your ineffective vaccine? It's only natural they would want pre-screened questions by paid-off corporate media puppets. Speaking of propagandists, CBS covered the event. Just kidding, they covered those of us exposing the forum for what it is. As elites gather in Davos, conspiracy theories gain traction online. Yeah, all these people are saying these billionaires are like power hungry and want to use like the pandemic and stuff to consolidate power and take our rights away or some junk. The Great Reset, what a bunch of loonies. But the theme of last year's gathering was actually called the Great Reset. That's misinformation. Klaus Schwab wrote a book called The Great Reset. Misinfo. That's dangerous to our democracy now. Building this new world order. Building this new world order. Or new rules-based order. The voice of the global south and the developing world is included. Elon Musk tweets, WEF is increasingly becoming an unelected world government that the people never asked for and don't want. MSNBC takes a dig at Musk, implying he's firing up conspiracy theorists who think the WEF billionaires want to make us eat bugs. Oh, but WEF actually does push that. Insects are becoming a trend. The Western diet has to kind of shift and change. And most importantly, it's natural, it's normal, and it's the way that we have to feed the future. Then it was the WEF that promoted Sam Bankman-Fried's historic Ponzi, the biggest financial fraud in history, Apparently, the savants at the World Economic Forum just couldn't tell that this twitchy, pill-popping kid in cargo shorts, who literally played video games during interviews, was an utterly transparent scammer. They had no idea. And just when I thought Brian Stelter was done making cameos on Media Malfeasance, he shows up in Davos talking about journalistic integrity after being fired by CNN. 
The clear and present danger of disinformation uh, is our conversation here this afternoon. It follows a session just now about disrupting distrust. And of course, those are connected. So. Yep, this is the same guy who refused to call out WAPO for its disinformation about the Steele dossier behind the Russia collusion hoax. The same guy who was mum about his buddy, Don Lemon, tipping off hoaxer Jesse Smollett that law enforcement wasn't buying his tall tale. The same guy who lied about Joe Rogan saying he took horse dewormer to recover from COVID rather than a human prescription written by his doctor. It's a lie on a news network and it's a lie that's a willing, that's, that's a lie that they're conscious of. It's not a mistake. Yeah. They're unfavorably framing it as veterinary medicine. NBS wants to preach to you about journalistic integrity. Disgraced FBI Director Chris Wray also gets cozy at the World Economic Forum and corroborates all the Twitter files showing the collusion between the federal agency and big tech to censor and target everyday Americans. And, and particularly important, the level of collaboration between the private sector and the government, especially the FBI, has, I think, uh, made significant strides. Speaking of federal intel, a confession this week. Daily Wire, one of the 51 intelligence veterans who signed a letter suggesting the Hunter Biden laptop story could be part of a Russian disinformation operation, said they knew the contents of the device were genuine at the time. Washington Post didn't admit the authenticity of the laptop until March of 2022. And CBS waited eight more months after another election, the midterms, to make the admission. They all lied to you to interfere in an election. And this is becoming common practice now. We now know the discovery of classified documents in Biden's possession occurred before the midterms. Was the story held until after the election? Fox and Friends hosts are curious. Paul Rove told me on, sa on Saturday that they had the CBS had the story in the fall. Uh, they had it in November and they held it. Why did they hold it? Who convinced them to hold it? Since when do you hold a story like this until January? And then NBC finds out about the next tranche that was found. Right. So there, these are two outlets pursuing a story, and they seem pretty well, uh, exercised in the press uh, in the press room too. If that is true, then NBC and CBS both. If they knew before the election, they both helped the Democrats, and. That needs to be an investigation. But this whole debacle is built on a mountain of lies. Here's the White House press secretary assuring us the search was complete. They completed uh, the, uh, uh, the search. The search is complete. Uh, he is confident in this process. You should assume that it's been completed, yes. After the search concluded last night. And then what do you know? Even more documents were found. So CBS suddenly decides to act interested in the story again. Did you or did you not know about the additional files? I, I already, I literally just answered that question. But I, I, I missed just, it, so is it yes or well, no? Well, I, I mean, you're, you're not too far sitting next to her. So I was very clear. I provided, I provided the information. Even CNN hack Oliver Darcy is now catching up with the rest of us, finally admitting KJP is just the worst. In his Reliable Sources newsletter, he says White House reporters are exasperated with Jean-Pierre and do not believe she is well-equipped to handle their inquiries. CBS has desperately tried to minimize the Biden classified documents. American Greatness points out the network had former federal prosecutor Scott Fredrickson working as a commentator on the first Biden classified document revelation, arguing there is a difference in intent between this case and the Mar-a-Lago saga.
I guess just never mind Fredrickson was a regular donor to both the Biden 2020 Campaign Committee and the Biden Victory Fund. No bias there. After now multiple Biden blunders, supposedly accidentally leaving top secret docs in multiple locations, you suddenly don't hear national security concerns from the media. And there's nothing fishy about Biden's lawyers taking the lead on this, leaving the DOJ out. CNN breaks news the Federalist reported on years ago concerning the president's brother James. It finally covers how the Biden family, the brothers and his son, all used the name for shady or even criminal business deals. A famous last name, business deals in a looming probe. Republicans ramp up investigation of Biden family, reads the CNN headline. Notice how they always do this. They turn the attention to the investigation of the scandal rather than the bad news for Biden, using phrases like Republicans pounce, attack, or Republicans seize. The discovery of classified documents in Biden's possession, a new line of attack falling squarely into Republicans' laps. So now we're really going to focus on the response rather than the bigger story. Other deflecting distractions are the flippy-doo to somehow make this story more about President Trump or sympathy for the poor, drug-addicted Hunter Biden. Here's the peacock coming to his defense. Targeting Hunter Biden. My, my, my concern, my concern, show, my, Senator. You're targeting an Chuck, individual. Chuck, my, my concern, my, my, you know, Chuck, you know, par part of the problem, and, and this is pretty obvious to anybody watching this, is you don't invite me on to interview me. You invite me on to argue with me. You know, I'm just trying to lay out the facts that certainly Senator Grass and I uncovered. They were suppressed. They were censored. They interfered in the 2020 election. Conservatives understand that. Unfortunately, liberals in the media don't. And that's part of the things yeah. that uh, part, part of the reasons our politics are inflamed is we do not have an unbiased uh, media. We don't. Meanwhile, other stories are memory hold. After NBC News ran a story about the Paul Pelosi attack, contrary to preliminary narratives, the network inexplicably took the entire story down and suspended the reporter. Red State reports some news outlets are now suing for more information on the Paul Pelosi story. After a hearing last month, evidence was brought forward, including police body cam footage, tapes of the 911 call, interview details taken from the scene that night, and video from the security system monitored by the Capitol Police in D.C. If the story truly is about a crazy right-winger suddenly showing up and slipping by all that security to attack Mr. Pelosi, why not release the evidence? A coalition of news organizations, including the Associated Press, has now filed a court motion in San Francisco seeking access. The accused attacker has pleaded not guilty and sits in jail with no bail until his court date on February 23rd. Bringing you what's ignored, sensationalized, misleading, or just plain false, that's your media malfeasance for the week. Be sure to check out the description for ways to support my work. For KLIM.news, I'm Christy Lee. Now, if you remember all the way back at the beginning of that clip, you sh you, Christy Lee was talking about the World Economic Forum and how they've been uh, spreading uh, ideas, propaganda, you might call it, about eating bugs and owning nothing and you'll like it and these sort of things. And from their articles, other people have followed along because a lot of people follow the World Economic Forum and what they have to say. So thousands of schools in Australia now have insect parts in their lunches in schools. That's that's okay because World Economic Forum says the uh, ye shall have to do these things, and all these countries are making these ad adaptations rapidly. Not looking at <clears throat> are there parts of crickets that maybe humans shouldn't ingest and don't play nice with our innards? Maybe 
but Klaus says eats a bug, so we should do it. Now they're coming out and saying they didn't say any of that. And it's pretty hysterical. They're gaslighting openly because it's still easily found on their websites. And even if you go to the Wayback Machine, I know I just did a clip uh, a couple weeks ago and I put all these articles from the World Economic Forum's own site into the, the film that we were editing. So why would they gaslight you and say they didn't say these things unless they're now saying, oh, we realize how unpopular this is with the proletariat. And they're backpedaling and deleting pages off their own site. And I think that's a good sign for freedom. I think that's why we push back on shows like this, because it matters. It's like they can't do it out in the open as openly because now we see what their agenda is and they have to go maybe back under into their shadows. That's that's better for it. Or maybe the sunlight is the disinfectant. I don't know. Let's see. It's like them deleting the connection with SBF, FTX, FTT, mm-hmm. Alameda, uh, just yeah. Sam Bankman Freed in general. It's also like BlackRock uh, losing major investors in regards to ESG. Um, so that's also a nice little pushback. I have this yeah, on screen. It's not so profitable obviously. for these profitable companies. So the World Economic Forum is based on capitalism, but they're pushing socialism and communism. And they're, now it's coming back to the bite fact them. that they're the top of the layer of capitalism. So it's a bunch of like, yeah. They're corroding their own power. BlackRock had to like divest out of ESG and these sort of things. They can no longer yeah. eat their own dog food that they're prescribing. And they now, yeah. So it's interesting. It, it's a fascinating phenomenon whereby which it's like go woke, go broke. That's another sort of cliche you're hearing in the culture in regards to what's happening with Disney, major media producers and whatnot. You yeah. know, they want to they want to support these um, vendors, if you will, that are making us poor, that are made, forcing us or attempting to force us to eat bugs that are making make uh, us weak. Make yeah. us weak, make us not rely on energy, things that we've come to very much enjoy that, you know, solve many human needs very, uh, very well in our society. And so they're trying to convince us that we want these things. So therefore, we'll be the ones to invest in our own demise. That's sort of the idea of what I see, what they're trying to do. The problem is people aren't really buying it, or there's been enough pushback now, not just from mainstream media, but even from, you know, center right and sort of like, you know, what look at the state of Florida and DeSantis and those sorts of ideas, you know, these politicians that are divested their you know states currencies and investing with BlackRock for this reason that's just like an, a simple example but they have to in other words make it palatable for us to want to invest in us not wanting energy or wanting to eat bugs or wanting not to own things like housing or cars or you know major assets we need to conduct our lives it's a very clever ploy and it's not quite working because ha- at least half the country in western half the population in the western world isn't you know so ideologically possessed by the woke narratives and by the sort of postmodern narratives aren't going along with it when that's a lot of money. That's a lot of capital that their major, these major businesses are losing out on um, that are at Davos right now supporting the World Economic Forum. And I, you know, to your point, Rich, I just want to bring this up. This is from the Spectator Australia. Thousand Australian schools are fed insects. Um, a teacher from one of the thousand Australian schools feeding kids chips made out of powdered crickets asked, do crickets taste good? The student nods. Yeah, yeah. So you just get the point. There's over a thousand schools. This comes from the spectator. This is uh, Australia. Just, um, you know, going into the details about various, and it has to, you know, of course, they're linking it to climate change. There is no doubt. In fact, it says here, there is no doubt that the World Economic Forum likes bugs, but only if other people are eating them. The reasoning for their hypo- this hypocrisy is what you expect from people who always seem to be plotting uh, climate change. Is one of the main issues as to why we need to eat bugs, so forth and so on. So you just sort of get the idea. It's from a sort of right-leaning magazine in Australia, but still, that's uh, something we reported on. Something may, many, many news, news media outlets reported on. I just want to point out too. Did you see ahead. when they were doing the what, sort of guerrilla journalism to um, Albert Borla? 
Borte and Borla. Do you see what the what yeah, was behind yeah. him? The Rebel News. Oh yeah, the well, Palantir. 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 Right. Yeah. I, I tweeted about that. <laughs> I was like, prescient how they have Palantir in the background of this because a Palantir is a screeing ball to see into the future, and that's what prescient means. So anyway, we were drawing attention well to to just that defense company that collects all the data. They call themselves they a data listening. analyst firm or some well, some obnoxious euphemism like that. Yeah, I was just listening. Maybe it was Tim Cast or one of the things over the past couple of days talking about Palantir quite heavily. Um, but mm. I also wanted to press this button real quick. I did this pesky thing called a search. So I said, World Economic Forum insects. And I found, boom, 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 boom. Boom. So when they're trying to gaslight you kids and say that they're not saying these things, this is their website real time. So I could go through them slower, but you guys get the point because I was uh, I was going to segue into J- JP did a reaction to uh, the Great Reset and the Klaus Schwab Davos gaslighting of the situation. And uh, then we'll bring on our, our guest tonight right after this clip. And uh, so let's go to JP Sears. He's got a new reaction we ch- couldn't meet- channel. JP react, I think it's called. And uh, he's not doing his sketch comedy. He's actually just giving you honest takes, hot takes. I think we do have a couple of these clips in the show tonight. So here's the first of JP react. And this is uh, Davos gaslighting you and your families into their future. We couldn't meet at a more challenging time. We are confronted with so many crises simultaneously. What does it need to master the future? I think to have a platform where all stakeholders of global society are engaged. We've got to master the future, says Klaus Schwab at the World Economic Forum. Man, this guy's great. And right now, as we speak, they're holding the yearly totalitarian Olympics in Davos, Switzerland, where the World Economic Forum brings in all the elites around the world and elected leaders. And Klaus Schwab, the most unelected leader the world has ever seen, that for some reason seems to lead all the elected leaders that uh, are pretty corrupt with the World Economic Forum. Here's the decisions we're going to make about how people are going to live their lives now and into the future. We have to master the future, says Klaus Schwab. Welcome to the JP Reacts channel. I get a little hyped up about anything having to do with the World Economic Forum. But given the World Economic Forum is going on this week, I wanted to hit some of the key highlights that are being generated in Davos as we speak. Before we get into those, we just have to say like, wow, these these people gathering at the World Economic Forum, they seem like good guys, don't they? Well, of course they're good guys based on what they tell us. And uh, also, we might as well just acknowledge uh, the New York Post put this up. Prostitutes charge Davos attendees $2,500 a night as sex work demand booms. So I've read other reports about the amount of sex workers, prostitutes, that these corrupt elites go through during this week in Davos, where actually sex workers, they'll actually fly in, and apparently all the sex workers are completely booked out because these honest, altruistic, good, wholesome, moral elites need to bang a lot of prostitutes while they're there. Uh, also, I, I, before I get into the, the main body, we're going to take a look at something really cool. I found it 
interesting, and I would dare say surprising, how much Elon Musk has weighed in on calling out the World Economic Forum. Now, Elon's a billionaire, flies a private jet, richest man in the world. Yeah, he wants nothing to do with the World Economic Forum. And uh, what doesn't surprise me is that he doesn't want anything to do with them. Yeah, we've seen recently with Twitter and him releasing the Twitter files, really taking a potent stand for free speech. He absolutely has a different agenda than the agenda of the World Economic Forum. So I'm not surprised he's not into the WEF. But what I am surprised about is that he's speaking out against them. And it's a pleasant surprise. I think it's awesome. I think it's a powerful voice calling out the powerfully corrupt. Taking a quick look at some of Elon's recent tweets about the World Economic Forum, WEF is increasingly becoming an unelected world government the people never asked for and don't want. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And then here Elon is responding to Michael Schellenberger, who's talking about the World Economic Forum's ESG score, uh, stands for Economic and Social Governance. It's all about equity, equality. People get to achieve not based on merit, but based on skin color and you have the right clump of flesh stapled to your crotch. You got to ESG everything. So Elon Musk uh, had a really witty tweet, which is also, I think, based in truth. He says, yeah, the S in ESG stands for satanic. I agree. And then also pretty noteworthy. This is, as of this recording, less than a day ago, Elon put up on his Twitter this poll. The World Economic Forum should control the world, yes or no. 14% of people said yes. 86% of people said no. The World Economic Forum should not be controlling the world. And that is with, uh, let's just see, over 2.4 million people voting. And another cool metric about this is 2.4 million people voted. That's awesome. But 22.5 million people have seen this poll from Elon. Therefore, 22.5 million people have this impression, this speaking out against the World Economic Forum. And I think we need more of that. Now, I, as I was putting together, like, cool, what happened during this week at the World Economic Forum? What are the highlights? What are the major corruptions and devious tyrants? What did they say? What's most laughable? And what do we most need to be aware of? As I was putting together the material of this, I saw a, a video from Tucker Carlson during his nightly open on his Fox News show. And the way he covered it and what he covered, I thought that says it very well. So I'm going to play that video from Tucker Carlson and I'll pause and react along the way. But I just wanted to play that straightforward with you because he did such a great job, better than I could do. So let's just cut to the chase and take a look at what Tucker Carlson says. And we'll have some commentary along the way. And for the past five or six years, and we know you have been, you've probably noticed the inverted nature of modern language. Pretty much everything is precisely the opposite of what they claim it is. 1984 doublespeak, ladies and gentlemen. Anti-racism isn't anti-racism, it is in fact racism. So the people who tell you they're defending democracy are promoting authoritarianism, which is not democracy. Then the Black Lives Matter movement winds up killing black people. Who would have seen that coming? Then our public health authorities make the population sicker. And, and this is our new favorite, the so-called World Economic Forum seems to exist to destroy national economy. But it's the World Economic Forum, not the World Destroy Economy Forum. Called it like it is. Not an overstatement, it was the WEF, keep in mind, 
that told the government of Sri Lanka to give up modern fertilizer. Oh, good plan, guys. Go ahead and try it. Result? The country collapsed and people starved. By the way, that footage that is playing in B-roll on Tucker's video, those are pissed off starving Sri Lankans storming the capital and it flushed out the president or prime minister, whatever it's called, of Sri Lanka. He had to flee the country because these people were so desperate because Sri Lanka had implemented the World Economic Forum's green policy protect the atmosphere from carbon, therefore no fertilizers, which meant people are gonna starve. People start to get really willing to be non-compliant and even overthrow governments when you take away their food. Then it was the WEF that promoted Sam Bankman-Fried's historic Ponzi, the biggest <laughs> financial fraud in history. Apparently the savants at the World Economic Forum just couldn't tell that this twitchy, pill-popping kid in cargo shorts who literally played video games during interviews was an utterly transparent scammer. They had no idea. The World Economic Forum did delete this page off their website. But he was a genius, just like them. And of course, it was the WEF that predicted the COVID lockdowns would, quote, quietly improve cities, not turn them into ominous hellscapes of unemployment, drug addiction, and crime. It seemed like a good plan at the time. Hey, I've got an idea. Let's prevent people from working. That'll make them rich. It'll quietly improve life for everyone. It's prevent people from working, leaving their homes, and eating. That'll be good for the environment. Equity, we're gonna master the future. That's the World Economic Forum for you. The WEF is often described as a group of super villains, but they're also hilariously idiotic. I love that he points out that they are hilarious because they, in fact, are hilarious. Thank you, Tucker just evil, buffoonish. And by the way, they know it. They're smart enough to be embarrassed anyway. The WEF has since deleted its tweet about COVID lockdowns. It has memory hold its promotion of scammer Sam Bankman-Fried. It has conveniently forgotten all about its guidance on Sri Lankan fertilizer, on which it turns out the WF is not an expert. None of that ever happened. The slate is clean. So we're ready for yet another World Economic Forum annual meeting in Davos, Switzerland. The totalitarian Olympics, ladies and gentlemen. Is underway right now. The event kicked off this week with 84-year-old Klaus Schwab. He's the founder of the WEF, promising to, quote, master the future. We couldn't meet at a more challenging time. We are confronted with so many crises simultaneously. What does it need? Does it piss you off too why every time he begins a sentence he does this? The hell, Klaus? I think to have a platform where all stakeholders of global society are engaged. Such a robot, like he has to long pause after each sentence. Okay, go and do a new sentence. Let's let's get the hands going. We must masters of future. Masters of future. So mastering the future is now the top item on the to-do list at the World Economic Forum this year. That's the first clue these people are not living the same life you are. By the end of this week, you hope to find some time to get an oil change or maybe pick up some dandruff shampoo at Rite Aid. At the World Economic Forum, they plan to master the future. That's the kind of people they are. How are they gonna do it, by the way? Well, they're gonna do it with John Kerry, who despite physical appearances is still alive. <laughs> Just hats off to Tucker. Like he, he's witty. He is funny. <laughs> Despite physical appearances, John Kerry is still alive. I like a good middle finger in the face of tyrants. Kerry will be 80 years old this year. So it goes without saying that if he's going to master the future, he'd better hurry. Thankfully, he's got a plan. Watch. It's pretty extraordinary that we 
select group of human beings because of whatever touched us at some point in our lives are able to sit in a room and come together and um, actually talk about saving the planet. I mean, it's so almost extraterrestrial. I think he meant to say it's so extraterrestrial. What he definitely said is it's so extraterrestrial. <laughs> is it extra testicle, John? Think about, quote, saving the planet. And if you said that to most people, most people, they think you're just a crazy tree-hugging, lefty, liberal, you know, do-gooder, whatever. And, and there's no relationship. But really, that's where we are. <laughs> so... Most people don't understand, but we are a select group of human beings, John Kerry tells the attendees of the World Economic Forum, who honestly did not need to be reminded of that. People may say we're crazy, tree-hugging, liberal do-gooders, but we know the truth, which is that actually we're soulless, greed-head money worshippers who'd sell our own children to China for a big enough tax credit. Shout out to you, Larry Fink, in the third row. Catch you at the sushi bar. Yeah, so they're actually much worse than crazy liberal tree-huggers. That was John Kerry's message at the World Economic Forum, which is also effectively the WEF's credo. But then John Kerry went further. What we're doing today, he said, in saving the planet is almost, quote, extraterrestrial. Extraterrestrial, to be exact. If you ever suspected these people are freaking aliens, it turns out you're right. They are. And as if to prove it, Al Gore himself showed up. At 74 years old, Al Gore is as awkward, synthetic, and weird as he has ever been since eighth grade to now. Such a perfect description of Al Gore. Which, by the way, thank God, uh, Al Gore predicted an inconvenient truth, which uh, conveniently had no truth in it. The world, you know, much of the world's going to be underwater by 2016. Is it 2016 yet, or uh, was that uh, was that eight years ago? Doesn't matter. Five years ago, to be exact. No. I'm not good at math. It's probably eight. 2016. Seven years ago. <laughs> not a very good predictor, Al. Though at this point, he's much, much richer thanks to Google stock. Ever notice how the richer people get, the more they seem like Bill Gates? <laughs> it's not your imagination. Al Gore single-handedly proves that theory. Here he was today. Look at the xenophobia and political authoritarian trends that have come from just a few million refugees. What about a billion? We would lose our capacity for self-governance on this world. We have to act. I think Al Gore and Greta Thunberg went to the same school of public speaking. And it wasn't like how to do public speaking. It's how to do public yelling at people. <laughs> Always angry, always shouting, fatter but still grumpy. <laughs> there. there. I don't know if you can hear Tucker's producers in the room laughing. That's caught on the mic. I love that. They're climate refugees now. They're climate refugees, millions of them. They're not economic migrants fleeing the squalor of Tegucigalpa for the generous social services of El Paso. No, they're not. They're climate refugees who have no choice but to risk their lives with coyotes because you drive a full-size Silverado. Illegal immigration is your fault, Middle America. It's not our fault. We got nothing to do with it. We just run the world. If this is all starting to sound like... I want you to know I love seeing Brian Stelter on camera. It makes my blood boil, but somehow I love that because he's just so entertaining. Probably personifies better than anybody else. Thinking people are dumb enough 
to believe what he says. And Tucker's going to share in a second. Brian Stelter, he was there at the World Economic Forum leading a panel on disinformation and breaking up distrust. It's like, dude, there's no one in the media who's shared more disinformation than this guy. And here he's talking about like, here's how we got to fight disinformation. You know, what he's really talking about is here's how we have to fight the truth that is inconvenient for the narrative. Like a bad CNN segment to you, a parade of self-confident dumb people, rich in self-esteem, low in wisdom, giving moralizing lectures to one another's applause. Well, let us confirm that for you. Where was Don Lamont? Why wasn't he there? Well, he wasn't. That's a next year's program, no doubt. This year, we're not making this up, America's favorite unemployed media critic, Mr. Brian Stelter, ladies and gentlemen, The clear and present danger of disinformation uh, is our conversation here this afternoon. It follows a session just now about disrupting distrust, and of course those are connected, so I hope that's where we can start. Uh, I'm Brian Stelter, formerly of CNN, now a fellow at Harvard University. He's a fellow at Harvard University. Awesome. I'm sure that's very prestigious, Brian. A reminder that the hashtag is WEF23. We can try to put some real information out into the world to make up for all the crazy. That'd be cool if Brian Stelter put real information out into the world. I'm going to keep my eyes open and see if he does that. (laughs) Make up for all the crazy. The conclusion this year at the World Economic Forum is that people who are not at the World Economic Forum have too much free speech. Too many bad ideas, too much crazy. Too much free speech. And too much opportunity to talk. They're still talking out there. Stop them before they talk some more. So if you're getting the impression that the world's most mediocre people and least self-aware people are all congregating in Switzerland this week, you are on to something. In fact, it might be worth getting an attendee list just to make certain that not a single person who was there this week ever has power over you in any way. That is a great recommendation. Find out everyone who attends the World Economic Forum, both speaker and as a like attendee showing face so they can try to win favor with this corrupt globalization. And then make sure you are incredibly non-compliant with every damn thing that person says from now into the future. Which, by the way, uh, this is exactly how I feel with everything people of the World Economic Forum tell me to do. Yeah, thank you for the suggestion. Turns out, I will not comply. If one of these people shows up supervising the bake sale at your kid's school, call the police. They're not qualified. So with that in mind, it was interesting to see Florida Congresswoman Maria Salazar there. Maria Salazar hasn't been in Congress very long, but she has spent her time laser-focused on helping foreign nationals come to this country illegally. Her own constituents, no concern. People in other countries coming here to go on welfare, oh yeah. Before Maria Salazar was even inaugurated, she posted a video on Twitter promising Nicaraguans and Hondurans in Central America that she would, quote, be there for them, to, quote, help and assist in, quote, everything the American government can do for them. Not what they might do for our country as new immigrants, how they might build the country, make it better, unite it, make it more prosperous, peaceful. No. What the American government can do for people, the American government owes nothing to who are make breaking laws the American government passed. And by the way, she's elected by Americans in her congressional district to represent them. Yet she's taking a stand of, no, I represent illegal immigrants coming from other countries. Lady, you do not know the description of your job. That's Maria Salazar. She's in Davos this week, of course. And during her time in Davos, it goes without saying, 
She demanded amnesty for tens of millions of foreign nationals living in our country illegally. Watch. Amnesty. Pandemic amnesty. Just like, forget about it. We're just, we're doing amnesty here. Amnesty for illegals, amnesty for tyrannical lockdowns. Like, don't ask questions. Don't, like, don't ask for an apology. Just amnesty. Amnesty. Can we get amnesty uh, color on the LGBTQIA plus vegan QR squared neurodivergent flag, please? Stand with Ukraine. We need to also give dignity to those people who are in the country. And those are the people that I represent. We're talking about 13, 15 million people who are most of them Hispanics. I would say 85% who speak my language, look like me and sound like me. She literally speaks with zero accent, no Hispanic accent, no Spanish accent. And these people who don't sound like her at all, she's like, oh, they sound just like me. Not unless they completely got rid of their accent, lady. That are contributing with the economy of this country and they live in the shadows. So it's time to steal the border, like she said, put order, let's see who comes in and who doesn't, and then turn around and give dignity. That doesn't mean path to citizenship, that means to include them and make them dignified members of our community. Which by this, such a vague statement, include them and give them dignity. Just hollow abstract words that mean nothing. And usually in my experience, that's a smoke screen for, we're gonna do some pretty unconstitutional stuff. Just like Klaus Schwab, he's always talking about global initiatives. It's like, yeah, you literally said nothing with all those words. Talking with your hands, Klaus. Go ahead and pull it. All right, to so get over to JP's new channel, JP Sears Reacts. JP Reacts over on YouTube. Uh, it's a much longer commentary. And like I said, we're going to play another clip of his later tonight. But I don't want to make our special guest hang out any longer. He's been hanging out in the green room. He's chilling. Uh, he's over here on Twitter at Jay's Analysis. He's also got an event coming up in Austin, Texas, February 11th. You can go to his Twitter and check that out. Jay, how you doing tonight? Uh, you had a big night on Friday. Tim Cass, welcome. Oh, you're muted. But that's how it goes on this show, especially on a night like tonight. Yeah, man. What's up? Yeah. I'm uh super, super out of it. Like we we uh flew in from all that and then immediately went to the uh Burmas event, the Awaken America event. So I was trying to hurry to catch uh, Roger Stone and all these people and but I uh, I which I didn't, but I did get to catch uh, uh to Burmas and meet him for the first time. So it was a kind of a packed in weekend there. Where I got to meet everybody. Did you get to meet Clay uh, Clay Clark? Uh, I did a podcast with him the other day. Oh, right on, right on. No, but yeah. I didn't meet him at the event. No. Yeah, he does. Uh, he's been coordinating. I think it's the Reawaken America tour that yeah. Burmis was probably speaking at. Correct. And uh, yeah, Jason's sp spoken at several of those. He does a an awesome job. I'm glad you got to meet him in person because yeah, he's man, a character, a and and you find out he's exactly like his YouTube videos. Like it's not, you know. He's he's like that twenty four seven. The first we're time in the he, we're in the era where people are are who they are on online. Right? Yeah. We're, yeah, we're not in the era where people like have a character <laughs> unless yeah. they're fed or something like yeah, that. For like sure. like for Alex sure. is Alex in person. Burmis is Burmis in person. So yeah, yeah. And uh, first time we met Burmis, he was like the the Vatican's protecting you know child trafficking and all this sort of stuff. And uh, yeah, he, so his his research has gotten better over the years but like he's, he's still on the same track that he was on 15 years ago as far as like tracking down legitimate leads 
And uh, yeah, so that's cool that you got to meet him. I, I was kind of like, I didn't know that the picture that you took, like sent me the other day, I was like, oh, you just left Timcast. How would you see Burmist? But that makes uh, sense that you made it to the As soon event. as we got back, that event was going on. And uh, yeah, Burmist was like, hey, let's hang out. Yeah, so so we we rushed over there as quick as we could. As soon as, like literally when the plane landed, we, we went directly to that event. So uh, that was pretty wild. Yeah, there was thousands of people at that event. So that was actually a lot bigger than i expected it to be but um yeah anyway so <clears throat> yeah thanks so for having me on i, I i'm uh, i'm glad to be on gtw well um i want to thank you for going on a timcast bringing your books actually getting airtime where they were interested they were paying attention i felt like they were they were moving forward that there was growth happening yeah I, i'd been waiting for years to see some of those things discussed on a forum like that and uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a good rite of passage, I think, for them. And I hope that you planted some strong seeds. For Luke, it's like, uh, you know, Gretzky finds Yari Curry, and now you guys are passing back and forth on the show. And mm-hmm. Tim's just like, what's what's going on? <laughs> it was, I fe- it felt like Jordan Pippen. I'm not saying who's who. Yeah, but, there you uh, go. There you go. Let's, <laughs> yeah, it was like, I was glad he was basketball. I was, I was glad he's there to, to back up. Like you're saying, that, like, I don't know anything about hockey. So I'm like, yeah, that's good. Let's, let's cool that? <laughs> I know equally is I know enough that, that, to know that's a good reference that you dropped. That's that's. Uh, I was glad he was there to kind of, yeah, like you said, a lot, a lot of it kind of went down as, as, as you were kind of, you know, prepping me ahead of time in regard to the, the Crowder DW stuff. And um, when we got there, it was like this big game room and there's, you know, pool tables and a skate park inside the house. And I'm like, this is crazy. What's going on? Oh, there's like jackass, right? Like he built a skate park in his house. Is this going to be like jackass? And uh, uh, he got there a little bit later and uh, just shot some pool with Tim Pool playing pool on a Tim pool table. Yeah, on a Tim pool table. And um, then we uh, went into the studio and Luke got there and just kind of chilled for an hour. And at first, I was a little awkward because I like I I brought out the books and they were like, Yeah, oh geez, I was like. What are you going to write these books? What is this? What are you doing? <laughs> I was like, well, this is my shtick, dude. I bring the books. And he's like, uh, okay, I guess we can go to that. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, we uh, went to that eventually. Like at first it was a little awkward. I didn't know if, if it was going to jive very well. At first it was kind of yeah. like, these these dudes aren't going to like my style, my presentation. And so I was like, so I'm here to talk about the N-word. And they were like, no. <laughs> I was like, I'm just joking, man. So, no, do not do that. I was like, I'm not going to do that. Don't worry. It's just joking. <laughs> so I freaked him out and then I like calmed it down. And um, anyway, but after about the first uh, 10 minutes of chatting, uh, when the show started is actually the first time I felt like it was really starting to starting to uh, to go well. And um, yeah, I had to try to throw, you know, things, uh, plugs in there as quick as I could here and there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a fast paced show. And, and I knew go, I went in knowing that, it's not interview it's news commentary. So it's, everything's got to be boom, 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 boom. And we spent about an hour ahead of time, you know, picking out what stories they wanted to talk about. They were like, what do you want to talk about? I'm like, I want to talk about these books. <laughs> That's why I brought them. Let's talk about that. So I try to interject the books, you know, as, as best I could. Um, so I was glad, you know, like I said, Luke kind of backed up a lot of the references. Uh, Ian seemed to be really engaged in the first hour when we were talking. He was really into the philosophy and, hey, man, you know, that's cool. Yeah. You study philosophy. I really, well, let's get into that. Maybe we can do more shows down the road. So seemed to have a, r- a really good response and they seemed to want to, you know, maybe do some more shows down the road. 
Yeah, so we're going to play uh, that chunk from when you got comfortable in the show, about 20 minutes in, and yeah. took took control. And I was like, let's see how long this goes. And I think it went to the top of the hour, which is very unusual for Tim to give that give up that much control because he likes to have the articles in front of him and being, you know, yeah. but he, he there was some level of trust there. And then once you started unfolding some stuff with uh, verifiable, you know, there's references behind these things, right? Then that that checks off his like news guard. We got to be able to talk about facts and facts only. Well, these are really good sources. You know, Zbigniew yep. Brzezinski said this. Yep. What's he going to say? Yeah. And so you were able to hold court there for a, a good solid like 40 minutes, dude. And then you went with the flow for the rest and you didn't try to like force it. You're like, I, I got a good presentation in there. And those guys absorb probably about as much as they're going to. Cause they, you, you mentioned Cecil Rhodes and De Beers, and I'm pretty sure that's not on their radar, but they, you know, they didn't get any questions from Tim on that. Whereas Ian, yeah, they saw the like, sticky notes. They saw the yeah. sticky notes and Tim was like, you got all those sticky notes. I was like, yeah, man, they're not fake. Like they're sticky, they're sticky notes for a reason. So I think he was like, all right, this dude's legit. He's got sticky notes. And then Ian's like, okay, so this Fabian socialist group uh, back in the 1800s and he starts digging into it. Cause like, while Tim's talking, Ian has time to type a couple things in and get some yep. stubs of like knowledge yeah. to grow on. Right. Right. So I was like, well, if you can just like lay out for them, it's like, you know, Ing Sock from 1984 is English socialism of the Fabian variety. And Fabius Maximus was the war of attrition and attack them from behind starve their, you know, starve their supply lines type of mentality. And then they're, you know, wolves and sheep's clothing and they're, uh, the stained glass with the hammering of the world in their image that gets like, that's pretty verifiable. That's not conspiracy theory. And that's something like Ian or Tim or someone could dig into and actually, you know, start to grow from. So I think you planted a ton of good seeds. And um, I was interested in talking tonight about like, you brought books that you didn't get to touch on during that show. My audience wants to know. I have the, I do have them here with me. So, I mean, uh, you have a book camp. Well, and it's not hooked Trigging. up to Zoom. Oh, it's, okay, right on. But like, I mean, I've got all. I I do have the stacks of everything that I brought to Tim Kester with me. So, all right, cool. But I mean, we really only kind of brushed over various texts. Um, but I do have them all here, so we can talk about whatever. But I, I, one thing that that I thought worked out really well, which I read a lot of the comments, and it, it was uh, bringing in the Plato element that seemed to really jive with people very well. Yeah, because Ian loves Plato, but he didn't know why. Yeah, and that led into I think the you know the plug for the philosophy course. So hopefully that you know kind of directed people uh, you know in our in our direction. Have you considered running ads for your philosophy course in front of Tim's show and saying, "Hey, hey, Tim Cass, Jay Dyer here," and like pitching your course because you could do that. What do We've you mean? done that for this podcast, and I think it was something I like I'm not following. Hey, Tim, Ka what do you mean? Like, hey, Tim Cass? Oh, we've done a we've bought an ad before for Grand Theft World that we ran on YouTube. On Oh, okay. That YouTube runs in front of replays of his show because he sells advertising, right? Oh, so we said something like, hey, uh, you know, I, I'm a fan of Tim Cast, you know, daily news, that sort of thing. Great. But you also need historical context. That's why we have Grand Theft World. And then people who are like, right. oh, yeah, I do. I need the daily news. That's cool, Tim. Thank you. But I also need historical context. Yeah. They don't have an answer for that. Grand Theft World. So you could do something similar. Yes, you could take a clip from the show. So it's like, oh, is this a clip from the show? And then you have a call to it's action. An ad. Like, I got you. Yeah, yeah. yeah, for your philosophy course. Awesome. Yeah, yeah good that idea. Was just, that was just an idea I had. Marketing master, Richard Grove. Exactly. Well, I think freedom has a marketing problem and good messages deserve like the knowledge that we have and experience like to get that, get out there.
And uh, we'll talk about Daily Wire and how much they invest in Facebook and how close they are to big tech and those sort of things. But I don't think it's wrong for an entrepreneur on an yeah. individual level to use the powers that are to get sure. the freedom message out there while we can. All right. So the book stacks that you brought, brought to Timcast. Did you have like a book bag? Like, is it a backpack? I did. No, I had did a giant, I, I stuffed as much as I could in my little, you know, carrying duffel bag that I carry with me. Um, I brought, uh, I tried to pick out the ones that I thought would be the most relevant to, uh, you know, what I know of Timcast and, and their vibe. Uh, so I yeah. brought. All right. So hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's make yeah, a game yeah. of this. Everyone at home, write down the, how many books did you bring? Two, three. Uh, roughly 13, 14. That's pretty good. All right. Uh, everyone at home, if you're playing this game, make a list of books you think Jay would have taken. Cause at the end of the HG Wells time machine, there's books missing and they hypothesize what books did he take with him? We're going to do the same thing right now. Cause, uh, freedom's cooler than HG Wells. So what books yeah. did Jay, Jay take with him? Go ahead and make your list. You guys got a couple ideas. And then, uh, when you give us the books, Jay, uh, what's the book and why'd you bring it? And we'll kind of break into each one that way folks would understand uh the arsenal of tools you brought to okay. uh, help assail the audience who might have ignorance in these areas right so uh i think everybody in your audience will uh we do have some new people coming over from my audience that I, sure, I, yeah. I i plug this tonight so um a lot of these will be new to people uh maybe in my crowd uh, who might come from the religious or uh, philosophical vein of things they might not be familiar with the geopolitical stuff especially from the 20th century these are a couple kind of uh must-haves and they won't be uh, uh foreign to anybody in richard's audience but we have um two of the bertrand russell texts that are really important we have scientific outlook and impact of science on society and the reason that i brought them was just that he's a great go-to guy for his uh membership in the fabian society for a, a little while but of course i don't think he ever ceased having essentially the worldview of the Fabians, even though he supposedly distanced himself from it. It's the same idea. Uh, 1931 is when he wrote Scientific Outlook. And of course, Russell is a member of the Royal Society. He's <clears throat> considered, I think, through propaganda, the most important philosopher and logician of the last you know, couple centuries. That's all propaganda, not because he's not a logician, but just that it's all part of that uh, British imperial strategy of promoting uh, relativism, empiricism, et cetera, et cetera, atheism. Yeah. And part of his logic was a whole new logic he came up with, which was not formal logic of Aristotle and what was right. used for 15 to 1,500, 2,000 years. It's symbolic logic with Albert North Whitehead and Percipia Mathematica, which is takes a self-reference, takes the reality out of it, takes, you know, sort of trying to come up with a scientifically <laughs> perfected language is sort of the terminology I believe they use. Exactly. And going along with that point, early on in this book, he makes a very wild statement that well, you know, since David Hume, we really can't even know that there is an external world. And so it's ironic because, you know, the, the man touted as sort of the, the apex of, you know, science, of reasoning, of logic is admitting from the outset that uh, it's a, a radical form of relativism. We don't even know if any of this is true. But by the way, we'll just uh, pretend that it is. And so I actually made a list. I won't take too, time, too much time reading this, but uh, I thought it was funny to see his definitions throughout this book as to what uh, science is. So this is, this is going to be funny because you're going you're gonna to say, wait a minute, this is all over the place. So first is science is what is based on experiment and not tradition. 
Okay. Well, I mean, that, that one seems plausible, not too controversial there. But wait a minute. Let's listen to all the definitions of science here. And we're, what we're going to notice is that it's actually propaganda, and it's so loose as to be anything, everything, and nothing all at once. Science <laughs> is... I'm going to have to put on my boomer glasses. I Sounds like a good... Uh, I can't even I just read put it. mine on, dude. I just put mine yeah. on. So let's put my, let's let's go full boomer here, um, full boomer nerd scholar. Um, science <clears throat> science only provides probabilities and not certitude. Science is empiricism. Science is are uh, scientists are those who have reasons. Science is knowledge. Knowledge of general laws or facts is what science is. Science begins with Galileo. He's contradicting for, for people who aren't aware. That's, that's just this. And, and, and there's a bunch more. <laughs> Science is quote <laughs> progress. Science is the power of manipulating nature. Science is almost a form of divine providence. These are all from this book. Science is induction, but is not deductive reasoning. The scientific method is omnipotent. Science is knowledge that does not stand alone, but exists within a general body of scientific accepted knowledge which by the way that's not empirical <laughs> so we're noticing the contradictions there science is based on the assumptions of things that are unverifiable the authority in authority in science is not reliable but notice that Bertrand russell had just told you that science on his authority, yeah on his authority science omnipotent is based on, man it's got all the power what, so notice these two statements. Science is based on assumptions that are not verifiable. Science is not based on authority. But he just made an authority claim about what science is based on that is not verifiable, which, again, this, this is self-repeating. Self yep. uh, science it's is not concerned. Because what he's saying is he can't get yep. underneath the axioms or foundations of, like, of reality itself. Yeah. Uh, science shows us that there is not a soul, but only matter. These are universal claims. Of course, science can't do that if it's an empirical uh, methodology. So science it's like a is scientific backup of what Vont was saying, because Vont said that uh, human beings had no soul and that they could be manipulated like clockwork oranges. Exactly. These, these sort of. Okay. Well, and I uh, speaking of that, I did actually brought another book that they found very fascinating, which is programming and metaprogramming in the human biocomputer, where <laughs> uh, dolphin freak John C. Lilly says that humans are just programmable uh, meat computers. But he didn't do it on porpoise. Hey, yeah. uh, the other thing, when you brought up Lilly, do you know that Lilly did the adrenochrome studies for the National Institutes of Health? And I have them in a stack over here. If you've never seen them, I'll bring them out while wow. while you're reading these facts but uh it was like uh humphrey well, osmond in 1971 it was it was interesting so i'll dig it out because we had talked about that a couple years ago science is in decay everything ends with hume and barclay and so he's oh, saying that we can't know there's an external world right, right. um science is a, uh, an entire worldview and is the basis for man's civilization Science is, in Bertrand Russell, scientism. A mist this is my analysis of all these phrases. Uh, science oh, but there's more. Science is power thought. I don't know what that means. Science is causal knowledge of bodies. So you'll notice that this is all over the place. It's basically an, a form of propaganda, and science is basically scientism. That's the whole point of all this. Uh, all of these like twenty different conflicting definitions and explanations of science. Science is what well, strong so. people say. say it what is. they say it is. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. All right. I want to deliver because I know somebody was incredulous about John Lilly and Adrenochrome. 
So here's two documents we've talked on the show before. Now, the first one here is the adrenochrome hypothesis in psychiatry, Humphrey Osmond. Uh, this, this says the, the, uh, anyway, they did some of the first research and it had to be where Hunter Thompson got his, uh, early knowledge of such things for fear and loathing in Las Vegas, but that's not where, what we're here. Let's see. I think this one's it on modified human agents, John Lilly, uh, let's see personal papers, Stanford, human agents, brain research. Let's see if adrenochrome's not in here. It's because this other document is always with this John Lilly document, but let's check it out. Oh, wait, building modified human agents. Let's bring this microphone over here. Uh, let me just search real. Go, go ahead, Jay. Keep. Uh, no, I didn't are, bring are these, you, but on this, are you done with Bertrand about, Russell? No, I, I, wanted, I brought the other one, his other one, but the uh, right. on this point of Lily, I just I always think it's funny to bring up that in his biography, his autobiography, uh, the. <laughs> The introduction was written by um, Timothy Leary and <laughs> Timothy Leary says, uh, John C. Lilly is amongst the pioneers of the second age of exploration. He's like a new Alistair Crowley. He's a new Aldous Huxley. I thought that was a, a fascinating comparison from uh, Timothy Leary there. All right. So Tune apparently this Alistair. NIH experiment wasn't, this is John Lilly and it's HHS and there's interesting things about them doing mind control, electrostimulation. Well, here's the, the here's in, in Lilly's biography. Here's his uh, brain chips that he first, the first ones he came up with. So here's where they put them in the brain of the monkeys. Here's the actual uh, chips and the frequencies. This is in, I think the fifties when he was doing this with the monkeys. So he started with the monkeys before he moved on to the monkey, to the, to the dolphins, but. And then he's using you and Cameron's techniques from MK ultra. Yeah. And then Lily writes that a technique for covert, relatively safe implantation of electrodes into the human brain has been devised. And this direct electrical injection is what Schwab's talking about in his appendix for fourth industrial revolution called uh, right. deep, deep shift. Yeah. So, I, I didn't take yeah, any of the Lily. Like, Go ahead. Sorry to cut in. I was just going to no, say it's sort of like an analogy to that movie altered states because he was someone who's, you know, yeah. a part of the deep state in regards to the, the CIA machinations around the late 60s, early 70s movement, uh, the hippie movement, which is largely a social engineering project. And I remember when I, you know, because he, I think altered states had something to do with that movie from the 80s. I believe that was Patty like, Chayefsky. Who is, that. Alter yeah, states is on. based on John C. Lilly. Yeah, it's, 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 it is. OK, yeah, yeah. there's a chapter in the book about him talking about it. Saying, Isolation yeah, tanks. I thought because isolation tanks. It wasn't, he was on uh, ketamine or something, not not yeah. in the movie, but I think John Lilly used ketamine and uh, isolation tanks in order to. You know. Yeah, here he's got the tank and the poster in his in his uh, autobiography. <laughs> that explains a lot, then. All right, so uh, real quick, anyway, I didn't bring that. I didn't bring the autobiography. I just brought the the actual. But by the way, this book is unreadable. Um, it's I have no idea what he's talking about in half of the baloney like in here. I think the most relevant. Oh no, that one. I oh, the, this one. In, in, it's in, in Dolphinese. The, that's why. Yeah, <laughs> he's speaking dolphin. Maybe that's why. Uh, but I think the most relevant sections are where he talks about you know experimenting on kids. So what does that tell you? All right. So I conflated two studies. So I want to disambiguate. So this is this has nothing to do with John Lilly, but it is the National Institutes of Mental Health. It is the Adrenochrome study that they had done back uh, in the in the fifty nine and sixty five. It looks like, and then the National Institutes of Mental Health. Funded by the Rockefeller Foundation with R.D. Lang from MKUltra doing the same sort of experimentation that Lilly was doing over here 
in this HHS paper. So that's why those two papers are together in the stack. So it's so, so interesting about uh, the overlaps between Lily's research, MK Ultra, and uh, yeah, Altered States is a good I flick. always find it interesting that behaviorists need to remove the soul component. Uh, the thing that they can't, you know, conceptualization, the immaterial, well, it gives them plausible, the spiritual plausible deniability. If you're but it's the only way their behavioral studies work if they remove it. So they have to either school it out of us or traumatize people out of it or do whatever they can in order to try to isolate that mechanism so they can create the perfect automatons they're trying to to model in their perfect societies. But anyways, so right, Jay, uh, so you brought this and you brought this one. Oh, no, you brought this scientific outlook, right? And have you ever, yeah, do you have impact, this impact and scientific outlook is what I brought. This is, this is one from 1913 that he did. He talks about eugenics, world government, yeah. uh, you know, controlling of education, war well, and war as a way of life, warfare. There's another couple of interesting points that are forgotten in scientific outlook, too, which is that he mentions geoengineering. He mentions weather control. I mean, he mentions uh, genetic modification. Uh, he, he mentions peak oil as a scam. Interesting. He says that uh, we'll use peak oil and the notion of uh, controlled or uh, scarcity of resources to then create, uh, literally says an environmental movement on page 109, which would uh, be a means of control. And then he says that we'll have to get control of pesticides and bio warfare and master uh, blights to control breeding science. So he makes Mm. connection between blights, pandemics, breeding science. And then he says, we'll create synthetic foods. And by the way, the elite, he says, will eat steaks. This is page 120. The elite will eat steaks while the masses will eat fake food, fake meat, beyond beyond burger. The bugs, yes. The bugs. Uh, I've got I've got a lot of fake meat. Uh, it's going to be really good. It's going to be uh, it's recycled human feces that we made into a steak. Uh, it's going to get those numbers down. Uh by the way, somebody did a really good Bill Gates. We got to get him down to zero, man. He bought up all the farmland. Then he yeah. developed non-meat based foods. And then he was part of the pandemic. I mean, he's he's hitting on all cylinders these days. And he didn't even finish college, let alone go to med school. <laughs> Probably make more money than he ever has. He's front men. He's front men of history. Whether yeah, it's of course- Zuckerberg or any of the rest of them, man, they're just front men. Bill Gates right. is making those moves. Yeah, that's, uh, that's classy. Impact was a you know, classic. So is he I trying think. to in that book or in the scientific outlet? We read it a couple of times on the show, but is he trying to in the what you were highlighting, Jay, build a straw man around the idea that they need those sorts of specious arguments in order to justify the type of world society they're attempting to create? Or does he actually believe that there is like the Malthusian doctrine of geometric growth and so forth in the sense that that there is going to be peak oil, there's going to be peak resource usage? I'm just wondering if he just acknowledges the fact that these are fake sort of specious straw men they're building up, or if he's actually believing. In well, he own. wants you to believe him. Oh, certainly he wants us. Good question. To yeah, let, yeah, let me let me see what he said about. People. I got a you. I got a mouth this quote right here. Oh, let's see. This is education, but I got Malthus right here. There was another page that was all marked up with Malthus here. When things don't go right, okay. So let's just go through war as an institution. Becomes an everyday type thing. World state. Bringing about a world state. Eugenic conditions. Birth rate for depopulation. And education is usually treated as a means of promoting, prolonging the status quo by instilling prejudices rather than creating free thought and a noble outlook by example of generous feeling and the stimulus of mental adventure. 
but that's not the Malthus quote I'm looking for. So I'm going to acquiesce. What do you got? I got Spinoza. Yeah. So here's here's the peak oil section. Uh, this was 1931. He says one of the most difficult problems of modern technique is that of raw materials. Industry uses up a continually increasing rate of substances which have been stored throughout geological time in the Earth's crust. These are not being replaced in any usable form. One of the most flagrant instances of this is oil. The supply of oil in the world is limited, and the consumption of oil is continually and rapidly increasing. It will probably not be very long before the world's supply is practically exhausted, thus useless indeed the wars which will take place on the possession for its possession, on the possession of oil, and sufficiently destructive to reduce the level of civilization to a point where oil will no longer be needed. We may, I suppose, assume that our civilization has not suffered a cataclysm that some substantial substitute for oil will be discovered as oil becomes more expensive through its rarity. But as this example shows, industrial technique can never become static and traditional as agricultural techniques did in former times. Thus, it will be necessary to invent new processes of finding new forms of energy. And then he goes into wind farms. <laughs> so he oh, predicted the wind farm scam back then. Now, so he seems to be saying that, you know, like passing it off, like, oh, there won't be, you know, it's an as inevitability if, as if it's a yeah 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 that makes sense. i got the fabian scientific organization aspect this is 1913 he's writing about this so this is fabian so so he's recommending how to how to manage the future but i did find the malthus quote malthus's statement of population question had been true enough up to the time when he wrote it is still worth uh it is still true of barbarous and semi-civilized races and of the most uh and of the worst elements among civilized races but it has become false as regards the more the civilized i'm sorry but has become false as regards the more civilized half of the population of Western Europe and America among them instinct no longer suffices to keep numbers even stationary. So this is interesting because he says it, it applies to the rest of the world, but uh, not so much in Western countries. It's funny because might, that's a contradiction of even modern anthropology, but I won't. Yeah. Chapter 11 is all on Malthus and tech, the, the technique that he's talking about. There is uh, the technique of um, controlling population. And then peak oil. Did you ever read this? Read this book by Thomas Gold of Cornell. Uh, no, I have not, but I I did find. Um, do you remember Fletcher Fletcher Prouty? Oh yeah, for sure. Have yeah, you yeah. seen that video where he talks about it? There's a video yeah. of him talking about mm-hmm. it. All right, so uh, Thomas Gold is a member of the National Academy of Sciences, a fellow at the Royal Society, emeritus professor of physics at Cornell University, regarded as one of the most creative and re- wide-ranging scientists of his generation. So this book deep hot myosphere thomas gold sets forth truly controversial and astonishing theories about where oil and gas come from and how they acquire their organic signatures the conclusions he reaches in this book may at first be difficult to believe but they are supported by a growing body of evidence and by the indisputable stature and seriousness gold brings to any scientific enterprise in this book we see a brilliant and boldly original thinker increasingly a rarity in modern science as he develops a revolutionary new view about the fundamental workings of our planet he says that oil is abiotic and it's generated by the earth and uh not a finite supply and that the people who own such industries don't want you to know that because then you wouldn't uh give them so much money for something yeah, that's a renewable scarce. resource that actually replenishes itself quite quickly and they play this scam between what's been drilled for what's known to exist through you know seismic sort of measurements um or sort of uh, uh radar type of measurements however they used to look at underground cavities that have oil and then what's speculated to exist and so they play this sort of game between speculation and what they know to exist in order to prop up the price of oil that goes back to oh my God, no decades ago 
<clears throat> one other thing that it's uh, that's overlooked too, I think, is the the way that he speaks of Soviet Russia and other countries that had had Western um, created philosophies exported to them, particularly Bolsheviks as well. Uh, Bolshevism, Sovietism, um, Maoism. He calls them experiments, and he says the Nazi experiment. <coughs> so there's essentially techniques, of <coughs> experimental techniques of control, um, according to Bertrand Russell. So he looks at it as like social engineering, essentially a continuation of Bentham and social science and sociology, Auguste Comte and positivism. Well, Bentham, Malthus, Locke all worked for the East India Company and yeah. therefore were influenced and paid by the monopoly that had opium, the opium monopoly, call that. There's actually a book uh, by Lamott, well, I think, called The Opium the, Monopoly. But let's go back to Bertie Russell. You know, the later chapters in Impact of Science and Society are, are fascinating because the, what's funny is that I actually had some haters try to come after me on this book. Injections, because, injunctions. Uh, me, me too. I actually Well, because they'll, they'll say that, oh, in the first part of the book, he's just being hypothetical about what could happen, but he doesn't actually believe it. No, if you read the rest of the book, he goes on to say, no, we do need a platonic ideal state which does put into play a global government, which destroys all nation states, a, a world state, he says on page 94, which controls population and outlaws nation states. So that's 1953. He's talking about world state. My other point is from this book, he's talking about in 1913 as a world state. So this is a continuing theme he had for decades and decades. It's not exactly. lifting a reference from one book out of context. Like some people who don't want to yeah. actually become literate, and use their literacy for knowledge. They don't want to do that work. So they say, I mean, he talks about re-education camps, man. I mean, right. he's like full on, like total world state Fabian. Well, that's because George Bernard Shaw, who he's hanging out with in the Fabian society is also a big fan of what Cecil Rhodes did down there. The, with, yeah. The camps. Mil exactly. Yeah. yeah Milner's second. First war. <laughs> but it's like, when you read the rest of the book, he's like, but I absolutely advocate he even says at one point in there, we need a black plague to kill off the population. He a says, I, I hope there will be a black plague so that, the people lie and they're like oh he, he he's he's like a loop he's not a liberal he was playing the role of a liberal right. just like hd wells did in the fabians the, the fabians are playing this role of fake liberal they're wolves in shapes clothing and they're logo, exactly. man. and i'm like you you tell people that like, no he was a good guy i got called out on that when i first presented the trivium um i went over his remarks on education and talked about ficta and the idea of education injections and diet as ficta laid it down yeah we'll create the type of ideal society um or type of the scientific ideal society and so what i did was in my logic course when we went over the fallacies i took the the fallacy of excerpt lifting or quoting out of context and use that as one of the many examples because all you had to do is keep reading I like exactly. it. I took I took a exactly. paragraph, but all you got to do is keep reading and it gets worse and worse and worse. I have a, a huge uh, sort of diatribe went on with that because it was very frustrating. That was Zach over 10 years ago. But I which remember, is why we all I, do what we do, by the way, because right. like we're not hyperbolizing. It's much worse than what we can even tell you. And you need yeah. to look at this stuff for yourself to get a good understanding of what we're dealing with. So we can deal with some other mature adults on this topic, please. Yeah, I mean, I, I tried to bring just kind of a selection of um hundred year old stuff up to now. So I kind of went, um, they're not in any specific order per se. Right, so what's, I, yeah. What do you, what, what's the I didn't know where they're going to go. So obviously everybody knows about, uh, Julian's uh, philosophy, UNESCO, which just restates the older eugenics plan as, um, UNESCO essentially, uh, it's renamed as, uh, like an environmental and, sort of like, uh, bio, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, but, he, but there's a lot in here that, that, that's that's overlooked as well like the promotion of um primitivism shamanism drug culture a new kind of humanitarianism 
calls for technocracy. Cultural relativism has to be pushed. Um, ugly cities and e- ugly art, which is all part of that uh, CIA uh, co-opting of abstract art as part of the Congress of Cultural Freedom and all that kind of stuff to fight mm-hmm. Soviet realism. Then he goes on to talk about uh, using mass communications to control the masses, which we all know about now. Um, use the, uh, this is one that people overlook too. There's a really good book on this. It's a big fat academic text, uh, Chords of Memory, but using libraries and, uni- and uh, museums as tools of propaganda. And that's why the Rockefellers put so much money into a lot of the, of the museums that are out there was to inculcate various forms of propaganda. A lot of the p- petroleum robber barons, like, yeah. you know, in the, the, museums, like, the, yeah. the, the Frick the museums, culture. the Carnegie, there's Rockefeller, there's Morgan Museum. There's, the, yeah, there's, that's good. Observation. The book, yeah. So the, the philosophy of UNESCO ends with, um, it says promoting a, a universal basic credit system for the entire world through unesco and it says that the uh the process is dialectical reconciliation of all opposites this is why you have to know dialectics and yeah exactly uh because they say that any any position that's out there that is against some other position they have to be through diapraxis uh, reconciled into some new position which is what will get us to uh the final global government so they have to reframe yeah and this is the other reason people need philosophy because these people are using advanced methods of philosophy philosophical sophism and solipsism against their audiences because it goes back to like um during christy lee's clip it was like the government's lying to all these people well how does government lie a lot of people have to believe those lies for the government to get any traction with that so the problem is people are believing things that aren't true and then you're helping them with each of these books that you're bringing to timcast like that's an unassailable reference. This is Julian Huxley. Exactly. And you don't point out he's the head of the World Eugenics Foundation. You say he's in charge of UNESCO because he was doing both at the same time. UNESCO, United Nations Educational. Okay. So that's a that's a check mark, you know, green check mark uh type of okay. Well, let's break into that. Tim would have let you break into that. And then you're just busting out. It's all about eugenics and globalism. And it's not conspiracy theory. It's just yeah. Julian Huxley comes with the territory. Exactly. Uh, we know this classic Richard knows it very well between two oh, yeah. ages. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and we, I did get to throw in the Sutton reference there because, uh, of, you know, where he references, uh, Sutton's thing on the buildup of the Soviet union. Right. In that footnote. Yeah. In the footnote. Yeah. So I, I did get to go into that a little bit and kind of throw in who Sutton was, although I didn't actually have any of Sutton's books with me, but <clears throat> I just wanted to bring mainly only global elite text. Yeah. Right. I think everything I brought was from them them in their own words to overcome like the skepticality of someone like tim pool who is embedded in daily news because they're not telling you about any of this daily news memoirs right right yeah i I brought i had those with me did you bring those yeah there it is (laughs) that's but uh yeah and luke referenced that one right away so that that was cool but um well he's actually met david rockefeller and a lot of these other characters i know the first thing i said was to him was uh Hey, Luke, sit down and shut up, because that's what Brzezinski said back to him when he confronted him at one time. I'll never forget it, because right? Alex used to play uh, Truth Rising, yeah. and then it would go from Truth Rising, and then it would go to Luke asking Brzezinski, I think about 9-11, and sit down and shut up. Yeah. Zit down. Just trying um, to ask a question. <laughs> right. And, and it, this one's pretty wild, because like within 15 pages... Brzezinski's talking about 
mutating humans and making them into like toxic avenger basically he's like literally saying we're going to create synthetic humans mutate them through chemical tampering uh this will actually lead to determining the sex of children uh, in test tubes like that's that's literally page 15 <laughs> and then he talks about uh, and we'll got to we figure out some way to uh link them all into uh skynet he says that uh, so-and-so, uh, Charles DiCarlo, in his uh, essay, Computer Technology, in 1968, describes how holography can create the sensation of a living presence, as well as the actuality of conversations by long-range laser beams from a satellite. So he's basically kind of talking about the Internet and where we would go. Uh, and again, of course, the book is written in 19, what, 72, 71, 72, 70. Um, but I mean, within 15 pages, it's like, it's already crazy. Right. Then in uh, page 57, he's talking about weather weapons. You know what I mean? This is like, it's hardcore. And then he gets into a human, people forget the, uh, the religious chapter because he goes into the uh, universal religions, using the world of the churches to become NGOs and soft power versions of world religion. He talks about uh, blending Marxism with the West, this third position stuff, which is kind of what's happened. That's that's postmodernism. That is the that is postmodernism for the large extent. In other words, and, taking it out of a, an economic dialectic or material dialectic and putting it into a cultural dialectic. Yeah, and and the sort of relative relativity that's needed in order to perpetuate the disintegration of society. Right, and I don't. I'm not saying this to try to offend Roman Catholics, but if you read David Wimhoff's book, which is a history of the CIA's relationship to uh, the Vatican, it's it corroborates what's on page 94, where uh, Brzezinski is basically saying that the u.s government the super the supra tech uh technocrat state will need to utilize the roman catholic church as an ngo so he he's corroborating that the plan was to use these entities turn them into tools of social justice not religions that operate on the basis of religious philosophy but turn them to the purpose of the deep state essentially is what he's saying and he says that we can utilize philosophers like Tehard and these kinds of weirdo mm-hmm. figures that are basically pushing a kind of new agey world religion. Yeah, the phenomenology of man. Chardin, yeah. Phenom- the phenomenon man, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I, we didn't get, that's get what, And that's what the Pope is today. Into. That's exactly, that. that's literally what it's become. It's <clears> manifested <throat> as. In other words, pushing socialists, he's constantly talking about sort of like the idea of stakeholders, the idea of climate change, the idea of you know the people's inclusive disadvantage capitalism. the inclusive capitalism the need for immigration all these sorts of different elements that are used to destabilize nation states yeah, yeah but, uh, of between course, two ages what year was it done 1970 all right so 10 years before that sabine you wrote this book this yeah i had like, that yeah. okay and this is the first place i found where carnegie and rockefeller are funding him mm-hmm. right so 1960 because i have a reprint right Carnegie and Rockefeller were funding this book. So 10 years before he's coming out with that uh, between two ages, he starts writing on their current projects and they're like, Oh, we like your work. And then he gets partnered up with this Rhodes scholar, Sam Huntington. And then he starts writing more uh, dialectical stuff. And then he writes between two ages and David Rockefeller says, I really like this guy. Let's make a trilateral commission together and they pick up jimmy carter as their president and nelson rockefeller graduates from uh, vice presidency and he moves on to uh an early death between a secretary's legs allegedly uh, and one, one go, sorry go ahead um and so that between two ages is picking up right at the time 
that the Club of Rome is saying there's a predicament with mankind and we create this World Economic uh, Forum, but they're also creating with Brzezinski, these other groups like Trilateral that's supposed to bring in the Asian countries into this new world order dynamic. One little tidbit that I picked up just between just the phraseology, um, what Julian was saying at the end of UNESCO document was that ultimately the philosophy to create this world government is the reconciliation of all opposites. And uh, ironically, uh, Alistair Crowley said the exact same thing from a totally different vantage point. So here you have these uh, two figures essentially as adjuncts uh, uh, of the British imperial system saying the goal of what we'll have to push to get everybody to submitting to a world government is to getting rid of Aristotelian law of identity, law of middle, uh, excluded middle, uh, law of non-contradiction, and push the idea that all positions are the same position by double think yeah exactly that's what and so julian huxley saying the same thing as the satanist i was recording saying because they're essentially working for british intelligence (laughs) so yeah and the idea is they're creating a relativistic standpoint that nature itself is fundamentally in contradiction with itself so we have to read some sort of synthesis that will be sort of contrived prescriptive sort of from authority um to dictate what that reality fundamentally is because it's constantly in 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 in, uh, what's the word i'm looking for but in opposition to itself yeah so there must be some grand re- resolution the resolution though inclusive prob- capitalism yeah it's always something that comes from an authority that has just their own I- idealism or ideology behind it rather than something that's fundamental that you can observe and and try to deduce from nature itself yeah there's no objective truths because all truths are uh Relative. part of that uh yeah the process philosophy of, of everything working out it's well, it works in the presence of its opposite, is at least what they would claim. So everything is only known in the presence of its opposite. So that things exist right. on a spectrum of, of instead of differences in kind, it's differences sort of in degree. And that's a huge, huge problem that has continued its way forward, really, with Hume and Kant really providing the, the greatest specious arguments in regards to instantiating it as a concept. And then Hegel sort of making a weird sort of almost mystical religion out a, of it. A mystical religion out of it, yeah. yeah. Uh, next, I brought the two H.G. Wells books that we all know about, probably on this this audience. Oh yeah, those uh, th- those uh, titles seem to pique Tim's interest a little bit. So he was like, "Oh, open conspiracy, okay? Oh, New World Order, right?" So those seem to resonate just from the yeah. titles. We didn't really get to go into them, but they're they're uh, they're classics. They're important. Yeah, because now he can defend himself intellectually and say it's not a conspiracy theory. It's a 1938 yeah. or 1939 book by H.G. Wells and these these sort of things. Yeah. Did uh did you get the I didn't get a chance to watch the clip yet. We're going to do it tonight. But did you get a chance to go through most, like not through the books themselves, but at least get them on the screen and be like, these are real books that exist and, you know, people should have an idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. A couple of times we held the books up and talked okay, about great. them. Um, nice, nice. We didn't really go deep into any specific book except for maybe, I think we probably talked about Between Two Ages for the longest amount. Um, if we you were to come... If he were to come to you and say, sorry to cut you off real quick, this maybe just think of a question I want to ask you. If he came to you and said, if we don't have time for all these books, but if there's one book you wanted to pick out, which one would have you have chosen in that regard? And if he said to do a deep dive on, let's say, within that sphere, even though it didn't, that didn't get to happen necessarily. But I'm just curious what you would pick. Uh, probably the ones that I brought, I would have said either Klaus or Anglo-American Establishment would have been probably the best of all the ones that I brought. 
Yeah, the Anglo-American yeah. establishment is just Yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough. I mean, the story of the Anglo-American establishment can hold people's attention because if you say a whistleblower from the secret society came to Quigley and told him this story and he was so paranoid about it that he wouldn't publish the book during his lifetime and then after he died they published a book in 1981 that he wrote in 1948 and here's what it said. And in between that time he published Tragedy and Hope in the 1300-page form to kind of hide that story and point to it, but he hadn't published it yet. And then after he passes away, that book drops and it names names. And those names, when you look them up, mm, makes a lot more sense than the official story. And it correctly has America's flag upside down in distress with the Union Jack overshadowing it. And yeah, he called it. Also it also shows and, how they infiltrated every aspect of modern life from media to education to finance. I mean, it's, it's infiltrated the names of players and insulated because they infiltrated right? it and then Absolutely. they kept that control since they killed Kennedy. Right. I think that's the other thing that killed uh, that that scared Quigley was he worked around all the people that were in on that that whole sure, Georgetown sure. set, yeah. you know. That's well said. Cord Meyer. Well, uh, when I got deep, when I did a deep dive into Tolkien and Lewis, um, they soon seemed to have been somewhat spooked by what they noticed was being taught in the inner uh, Oxford Cambridge circles about eugenics, and that's what that's actually what you get into the space trilogy it's explicitly about the third one is about uh tavistock and and depopulation and transhumanism i also think that's what lord of the rings is about that might be a little more uh debatable but um but tolkien makes lewis the excuse me lewis makes tolkien the hero in the third volume which suggests to me that the eye of sauron and the development of technology and, and all that is is actually a technocratic um expose and then there's always the uh, the C.S. Lewis, Aldous Huxley, and JFK all passed away on the same day question. And then uh, Bertrand Russell wrote a criticism. He wrote the first conspiracy theory, one of the most popular early conspiracy theories on JFK's assassination. Bertie Burt did. So huh. It's also interesting that he's writing cover for the MI6 CIA operation. Do you think also nation with- state in there too, but. With Lewis's space trilogy, I think it was Lewis, right? That did that, I believe. It was. Yes, yes, Lewis. Yeah. Um, in regards to, I mean, obviously the the allegoric sort of allegorical symbolism that you're pointing to, which I 100% agree. But you think it's also from the fact that they were very devout Christians in the sense they had a good, strong sort of metaphysical understanding as well. Debate, they debated. I mean, sure. they had some uh, issues in regards to you know God and act or potency. We can get in, you know that, but. Still, yet yeah, there's there's many layers. There's like a many dimensions from which you can sort of view the allegory, especially in like Tolkien's work. Maybe most specifically, I haven't gone through all of the space trilogy, where you can you also get sort of the rehashing of Christian or even to some degree loosely Platonic ideas or Aristotelian ideas or Christian ideas. Kind of, I mean, we can debate. No, I, yeah, I don't think that's in, at all in question. I mean, the space trilogy, it's. The as well whole, as a critique of the culture, because you can see sort of the reflection of both of those, both metaphysically and the inst- what's being instantiated in the culture through these institutions, sort of carrying out a, for lack of a better term, a yeah. I mean, Caesar makes demons. Doctrine. He makes aliens demons. So right, yeah, right, right. and they're the ones that are promoting people to uh, push the depopulation, and it's explicitly discovered as a kind of a demonic motivation that the the demons hate humanity, but they're selling everybody through this institute which is almost p- totally parallel to tavistock that if um if they <clears throat> uh, accept this idea of uploading their consciousness to some machine they can escape bodily existence and they'll become you know godlike 
there's actually a section too where they uh anybody that joins was it's kind of a joke it's called nice the institute for something and it's like the most evil people on the planet it's like you know davos and then tavistock all come out together but they actually put you through a uh, ritual humiliation which is intended to degrade you and compromise you um and so mark the central character is kind of the, bones right there. Yeah, it's exactly like that yeah so yeah it's it's it, it was it actually blew me away it was like way more prescient than i expected it to be but yeah it's it's definitely both of them are christian allegories in different ways um but yeah that's a whole other thing we, we did a breakdown on alex uh, the fourth hour that got a lot of views on that if anybody's interested i'm going to go deeper in that but um yeah you so see how like many layers you can analyze it because you can analyze it geopolitically but also metaphysically mm -hmm. also theologically there's like it's a multi-dimensional right. sort of tool which makes it such a powerful um literary expression for these complex ideas what's happening in culture yeah he, he's also they're both medievalists so they were both really skilled at you know lewis did a lot on literary theory and uh, allegory and utilizing <clears throat> allegory in a, in a way that like medievals did and tolkien was using it in a different way because he was he was influenced by neoplatonism but he was also uh yes. very into the old nordic texts so he wanted a different approach from lewis's approach my godfather wrote the screenplay for what was supposed to be the the lewis tolkien movie so he's oh. like an expert on that that's the reason i know about this stuff is from him i mean i've read the books but i'm saying that the interplay between the two i also have access to as somebody who, who went and spoke at the tolkien society in Oxford. lewis was also into uh mithraism which is part of uh the cambridge i don't know if it's cambridge lewis was also or the inklings until yeah. the very end mm -hmm. and then he sort of denounced it a little bit um well i think I mean, there's, there's a, there's such a connection between mithraism and a lot of versions of flavors of christianity out there so it's not that incongruent the the oh, singing yeah. to the sun because they do like a boys choir on the roof over there at the university and it's pictured in that uh there's a anthony hopkins c.s lewis movie it's yes. a type of monism it's yeah a type you know so that is that does exist so in some of the inklings were uh in the ritual magic the golden dawn charles williams was the golden dawn member um i don't think they were all but i do think you're right about the neoplatonic point that they they kind of saw that as like the real overriding uh mythology here so there's kind of a you know, perennialism at work but um this they're still good like they still have in my view a lot of value uh, there's a lot of my, ideas, a lot of crossover between Neoplatonism and early patristic Christianity, although there's it's really where the details, the very specifics were it makes them very different. But, you know, the idea of the, the, the good beauty, symmetry, order, unity, you know, there's like a crossover between the two ideas. So I can see why they they are also against the Gnostics at the time. You know, Platonists and early Christian fathers were against uh, uh, the Gnostic heresies. Because they considered they neither saw matter as being debased or evil um, necessarily, because it was created in the image of the good or for Christianity of God, and so forth. So there's a lot of crossover, but it's also you know differences as well. It's right. a very detailed specifics of where those differences are that make them very different. But correct, yeah. The Cappadocians for the Orthodox, you know, they really focused on the goodness of the body uh, for the Bali doctrine, of the Bali resurrection. And so even though some of the concepts are used for the Trinity or for the doctrine of the, of the divine ideas, uh, <clears throat> the locus of a lot of their apologetics is against Neoplatonic argumentation. So the Trinity doctrine, for example, uh, is the big debate that they have with Eunomius and Eunomius's whole system is essentially a version of Neoplatonism. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> if you go all the way up until the seventh council, uh, 
they're still battling Neoplatonism because the motivation behind iconoclasm is also Neoplatonic. So yeah, I'm not trying to disagree or fault what you're saying because I completely agree. You were saying that it's a both well, and the specifics. Yeah, there's specifics that make them very different. They were definitely at odds with one another. There's no doubt about that. That's, I, well, I, and that's I what this out of my research as well. This book that I'm reading right now is really good because it traces that same battle all the way up into Byzantium, and there's the confrontation between the Neoplatonism of Plethon is what is the real locus of ideological argument in the Byzantine Empire. Now, didn't you mention that collapsing. one last night? I did mention it because I didn't know where. Because I was like, okay, Jay just said Byzantine. Let's see, let's see what kind of action he gets on the table with it. I just thought I would throw in something kind of you know out there like has byzantine empire been mentioned on timcast probably not no <laughs> so, you're the first one to mention plethon it's all it's all in the record books now well it was the reason he's relevant though is that this guy uh this it's, it's a really well done cambridge text he's arguing that radical platonism in byzantium led to the uh illuminati the actual historical illuminati via the influences on Spinoza and Spinoza's pantheism, which leads to some of these enlightenment philosophers being influenced by this, this form of uh, evolutionary Platonism. And you can see the same thing with Hegel because Hegel has the same type of thing. He's, he's influenced by Kant and Spinoza as well. But anyway, so we didn't really go into that book though, but I did bring uh, Jacques, our buddy, the, the, the Kissinger of France, Jacques Attali, this is a, a key global elite text from 2006, uh, which Kissinger recommends. And he was the uh, mentor, kind of like, uh, you know, Quigley was a mentor to Clinton. He was the mentor to Mitterrand or Chirac. I forget which one he was the mentor to, but he's essentially, again, like the, you know, the like we have these deep state figures that are always just in the background and never, you know, get in any trouble. The Kissingers, the Brzezinski's. So Jacques Attali is one of those. And this book is is wild. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's comparable, I guess, to Klaus's book, but you know, 10, 12 years before Klaus's fourth industrial revolution, because he actually gives you decade actuaries. Like, here's what we want by 2030. Um, which is fascinating because this is 2006 and a lot of what has rolled out by now is what he talks about. He talks about um, internet currencies. He talks about what he called at that time nomadic devices. And he means these. Yeah. Yeah. And how the nomadic devices, he said, would, would basically create rootless consumers, people with no heritage, no land, no tradition, no family, just bug men, basically. Um he says that we would all be watching live streams. <laughs> so here we are watching live streams. Um, he placed that actually a little bit later. He said by 2030, it would all be live streams. Um, but he was close enough, I guess. Uh, other fascinating elements that nobody really thought about before that. We, we can't forget the gamification idea, which a lot of the tech Silicon Valley elites talk about in terms of how society is with all these points, reward points and all this stuff. And that now that things are going into everything being online, we're getting into everything being gamified, which is intended ultimately to kind of get you to opt into the tracking, the tracing. It's like, oh, did you brush your teeth this morning? You'll get five pokey points if you brush your teeth, right? This kind of a thing. So living your whole life out online in a kind of nonstop IRL stream 
is what he envisioned at least us going into and everything being part of gamification right so he wrote this after black mirror though (laughs) (laughs) no this was 2006 okay well that's just right before it then all right right right. before what black but he's sort of thinking about it from almost an economist standpoint i think he was an economist so or like he's like portrayed as such but his idea is like in sort of game theory markets correct and then he goes on to say so with social engineering with social engineering sorry We'll use uh, mass movements of migrants, uh, migration. You can guess what I mean there. I know that's not mm-hmm. friendly on YouTube, but um, this no, is we a don't tool. Care, dude. You can say anything you want. I don't, it's yeah, a tool, don't. right, of moving channel. populations around. YouTube. And he even says that uh, propagra- populations are a form of weaponry, which I have Kelly Greenhill's book, Weapons of Mass Migration, which you're not supposed to talk about. But it's a known public. It's a That's a Stanford Naval War College produced text about populations being weapons but if you talk about it you're an evil person even well, though it's a military strategy isis has done that too they've said uh they're using population yeah, remember erdogan was like if you don't yeah. do what i want i'll flood you with immigrants <laughs> yeah um anyways he says uh that what this will do is basically mass migration everywhere will, will destroy everything to be put into a global governance and then he goes on to talk about carbon scam he talks about how we'll continue the pollution narrative that humans are the real uh, problem that's what pollution is about and then it really gets amazing at the end and he says that where, where are we at we are at the stage right before the planetary empire right so what's the planetary empire well that is first by 2040 the end of america the integration of everything into the global internet world market through nanotech, he says, nanotech will be key to create this world market. And he says, by 2040, there will be bots everywhere that are between you and the external world. So you will, you won't interact with the, you won't go on the internet and search whatever you want about what's going on in China. There will be a personal AI tailored to you that tells you what you need to know. He says this. He says what you need to know about the external world. You, you won't find bots. Out. You have a bitch bot, like basically bitching you around, telling you what you can and can't do. And literally, he's like, you won't need, you won't go to school because you have this bot. This bot is your school. It is your life. These people are so lame. They need it's to so go crazy, to a park man. or go hiking or something. Everything becomes, a simulac- Everything becomes a simulacrum of reality. It's like they you know, hate reality thing- so much they have to reinvent reality. Yeah, it's crazy. Means. Yeah. The, uh, there's another two texts that really hit on the importance of the medical side of this, which a lot of people overlook. I'm not talking about you guys. I'm talking about in general. Like when we think, oh, the New World Order is the government. Yeah, but what about medicine? Right. And that was to be the back, the secret kind of back door. Look at all the COVID stuff. Right. Medicine is. A, and he says this as well as Friedhof Copper did in Turning Point, that medicine would be the secret kind of back door by which all of the mass surveillance would come through, because he says we will use medicine because that's the thing that everybody's the most afraid of and what all people sort of default to their doctors as the authority. He says health will be the new um fighting ground to actually bring in the new world order. I think Bill Gates said something like that pretty recently. It makes sense because of the adherence to the authority mindset is so strong, especially when people are under sort of like an internal conflict with their fear of like, I'm going to get sick. Yeah, exactly. 
Then he goes on to say, uh, it gets really crazy, not so much in 2030, but 20, uh, by the way, uh, global sports, he says. Key to bringing in the global government is the promotion of global sports, which I think we are beginning to see that. For example, I mean, I don't, if people like soccer, that's fine. I don't care whether you like soccer or not, but soccer, he says, would is because it's a global sport. When we import that to the United States, this gets everybody in the mindset of, oh, it's the United States soccer teams versus the other global soccer teams. He says there's nothing to do with the sports. It's only to promote globalism. That's it. That's it. Same with the NFL going to Germany or the UK and trying to expand their brand. The NBA is very global now. You see that in China. They're massive, massive in China and the East. Also, I wanted to fortify real quick uh, your commentary on the control of the medical system, control of the education system. That's the Rockefellers and the the right. key key characters that uh, the Flexner family. Yeah, so there Flexner was a Flexner report, report right? <clears throat> and that has to has influence over uh, that's Abraham Flexner medicine medicine men. Well, there's yeah. three brothers, so let me just explain it. There's Abraham Flexner. And he does the Flexner report for Rockefeller Foundation and Carnegie into medical schools. There's Bernard Flexner, who does the Palestine Economic Corporation, Rockefeller Fo- Foundation activities over there in Israel, what will become Israel. Simon Flexer, Flexner, who uh, also did medical research. So maybe Abraham did the the educational report, but there was three. There was reports on education and uh, medical by the Flexner's. And they were like uh, Renfields for the Rockefeller medical establishment and educational establishment. So kind of reminds me of the British state department utilizing sort of the ideological movements in the early 19th, three Flexners, three Warburg brothers. You gotta, you gotta learn them all. So he goes on to talk about clones, uh, sexuality be completely removed from reproduction it'll be uh, completely related to individual pleasure and all human beings will be grown in test tubes which we so saw what we with- need uh chemical castration to make the eunuchs uh, you know because how is yeah. that going to happen otherwise you need albert bortain borla and his improvac made for humans there you go yeah um then he says there will actually be temptations for people to uh, try to bring back various forms of tradition traditionalism like having that- relations and having babies well he says that we have to be foremost concerned about um jews christians muslims reacting against this and he he says that the key to this will be uh co-opting all of those religious institutions to become basically ngos so that they don't react to when we bring this in um he says uh, there will be a temptation in america to turn to a theocracy by 2050 he says now i mean that may be outlandish but he predicts and by the way uh hg wells did too didn't you know in shape of things to come he predicts these uh counter-revolutionary figures that get they get squashed right yeah they get squashed and also intel pro sort of hoover fbi directed sort of Invest where you, you infiltrate and muddy the waters, create narrative control. I mean, Pope Francis is that quite literally for Roman Catholics. Yes. And you see that with secular Judaism within the, in regards to right. Zionism, specifically Zionism. So, which is, a and I don't know as much about strategy, political strategy too. And you can see in Kyle Weitzman and, and some, um, well, he's writing letters back and forth of, with Rhodes, Cecil well, they, Rhodes. They're like, we want to set up an apartheid state like you got in South Africa. They also say specifically they, they despise the religious Jew quite literally, and that they wanted to create a sort of one that embraces secular ideals over, you know, religious ideals. And that's their that ideas behind Zionism. So 
whether it's uh, Weizmann or um, there's a couple. These are all things that Crowder couldn't talk about if he took that fifty million. <laughs> he would have to far. have a very set position on that topic and not entertain other pieces of evidence. One of the best uh, quotes in the book is where he says that <clears throat> the vanguard of the new hyper democracy, which is what he says, the future global governance will be hyper democracy. What is that? He says, "Oh, that's just transhumanism." He says the transhumanists are the vanguard of the new order on page 260 261 that's one of the best quotes in this book and then the uh the craziest part is where he says by 2100 we would hope to have complete uh, global unification continental unions and everyone integrated into the global brain the borg and he calls it Gollum. i'm not joking that's his <laughs> word well, he so, doesn't know at that time that so many people have seen uh, Lord of the Rings movies. No, no, no. Or maybe he does. I guess he does. No, right? he. Well, he's talking about the medieval Jewish. Yeah, the idea creation, of the golem. Yeah, the oh, golem. Okay. Sort and of he's like, saying that that we will actually create the golem, and it will be when every human being is integrated into the Borg. The idea is that yeah, everything is sort of stitched together and then artificially created like a Frankenstein like monster. Yeah, and in the Frankenstein, uh, the golem doesn't have a will. Exactly. So when you hear Noah Yuval Harari saying, there is no free will, you don't have this anymore. This is nothing. well, that's the Illuminati, yeah. which is what Mary Shelley, uh, Mary Bish Shelley, or what's that? Mary Shelley. She wrote Frankenstein. She's married to Percy Bish Shelley at the time. And uh, Frankenstein takes place in Ingolstadt, right? So she's writing about the Illuminati in the place of the Illuminati a couple decades after they had kicked off and they've sewn this thing together that's out of control. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Frankenstein is a golem uh, and it is uh, an image of the transhumanist creation. But that's there. He's saying that that's for controlling everyone. That's not for the elite who are going to be immortal. He does talk about the elite supposed to getting immortality in that book. But um, yeah, I brought another overlooked one that is really wild. I know that uh, people have heard of this, but he's overlooked because of the just insane admissions at the end of this book. It's one of the best ones to, to get people to see the craziest part of this stuff. For example, when he talks about drugging all of the water, um, putting pharma pills in all the world's tap water. And he what says that when it? we do this, uh, he says it will be the alchemist dream. What to, book is that? It's uh, Kessler's ghost, of the machine. Well, transmutation, transmutation. He also wrote Thirteenth Tribe. Kessler did correct. Yeah, um, he actually well, has a bunch of wild books. Yeah, but. Kessler, Kessler is an interesting figure. I'll have to go to my email. He says human sacrifice, ritual human sacrifice, was one of the best things that happened because when that happened, humans evolved, and it limited population. So he's he's one of these guys that's like. We need to bring that back. You know, you hear Alex always saying that, that the UN diversity assessment talks about bringing back uh, human sacrifice and this kind of stuff. And I every mean, single, every civilization has practiced it. Yeah. And, and Kessler says this was nothing bad. It's just part of nature. Right. So we need to bring this back. Uh, except for the Aztecs and all, all of the good parts of human sacrifice. But the best part, as I said, is that the book ends with him saying that and uh, a lot of people don't know this, that he cites the Dr. Holger Haydn, who uh, is cited in the 1969 uh, CIA mind control conference that took place in California, I think San Francisco. Uh, Dr. Holger Haydn has uh, papers that he wrote, which I dug up. You can't find them anymore, but 
they they're on um, flipping genetics in men and women. That was one of the papers that was at this 1969 CIA mind control conference about making women more masculine and men more feminine through artificial means in the, in the environment, food, water, uh, that was that time frame inoculations. Congress for cultural freedom that was going on. Was that the same, same time? Cause Kessler was part of that. I thought. Yes, he is. But what I'm saying is that there's this whole other conference by listen, look, he says, <clears throat> uh, we're going to, he says, humans are, are manimals <laughs> and manimal must have uh, breeding control. But he says, uh, since man is an evolutionary freak, there's nothing wrong with experimenting with the freaks. That's his terminology, right? So if man's an evolutionary freak, then what we what what better thing to do than to fix the freak? And he says that it's no different than when man was eating man. When man ate man, he became the next phase of evolution in his view. And he says, so we're not doing anything different as the priest class. And he says that we will have to use mind control and genetic modification because man is so irrational that he must be controlled in this total, by the way, he committed suicide, by the way. So he was completely insane. Total maniac. It says that uh, the night here, it is the 1961 university of California, San Francisco medical center put on a symposium called control of the mind. That's the CIA's mic It's sponsored by the CIA and Liber uh, uh, radio Liberty. At the first session, Dr. Holger Haydn, uh, who is the guy who wrote the paper on flipping genetics and making men women, uh, presented his paper, Biochemical Aspects of Brain Activity. And he goes on to say that Holger is the leading field in uh, the leading guy in this field. And there he talks not so much about the, gen uh, the man, men and women, but he goes on to cite this paper at length about what can we do to use mind control to convince everyone to stop having natural births. And if they won't be convinced through the mind control, how can we convince them or force them to be sterile through other big pharma means, he says. So mass sterilization is what he says must happen. And he says, get this, this is a thing that you hear Alex Mitch all the time that everybody overlooks, binary weapons. He says the best way to do this, according to Holger Haydn, cited by Kessler, is to have secret uh, in, uh, uh, inactive ingredients that are in different aspects of the environment that yeah. when put together, right. cause the sterilization. And then it says you can't figure out who did it. You can't track it. And you can't sue them. And they've already used this pl plausible deniability in yes. court cases before. Here it is. 334 binary weapons right there. It's hard to argue with facts. And then he goes on to say, uh, and if none of this works, then we'll just put it in the water, the tap water. Yeah, because they love you. They're looking out for your best non-productive, non-reproductive life for you. I'm trying to find the, uh, for Arthur Kessler, he was- Congress for Cultural Freedom cultural ended freedom. right before Yeah, that's what, what Jay I'm was just talking about. about. Congress for Cultural Freedom. He was one of the key architects culturally behind sort of- uh, uh, Codename CK Ultra. I think project Haydn also has a paper. If I recall, of Europe. I'm sorry, go ahead. Th there's another paper I found years ago. I think it's Holger Haydn. If, if not, it's one of the people in his circles um, about fixing dementia in elderly people. 
but then there's a specific a section where he says, by the way, this can also be weaponized to cause dementia uh, in the population on a mass scale. So, well, when you look at the Congress for Cultural Freedom, that was the predecessor to what you were just talking about with uh, the kind of uh, sex swapping neurochemicals. Bertrand Russell, <laughs> Huxley's, we were just talking about, uh, happened to be influential over that. So you can guess there's some eugenics in there. You can guess there's some Fabian socialist technologies in there being precipitated down on people. You got Freddie A.J. Ayer, and he's a big uh, propaganda guy. Yeah. Logical positivist, A.J. Yeah, and he was British yeah. intelligence. A.J. Ayer was a British, British worked for MI6, uh, I think. That then, makes uh, a lot of sense because a lot of positivism. Well, he came up with like a sort of branch of positivism from a called logic. Yeah. Yeah. I think who let's see, Isaiah Berlin, uh Kirk Quigley in this one mentions uh philosopher Isaiah Berlin being part of the helpers. I don't think he was in the inner circle, but I think he was one of the helpers of the Society of Helpers. Yeah. Um and I want to say maybe Popper, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Oh, that would be fascinating. Popper as well. That would make a lot of sense. Let me um, see if he mentions Popper. As you do that, real quick, Congress for Cultural Freedom, this is what I was thinking of in August 1949. Arthur Kessler, Ruth Fisher, Franz Birkenau, and Melvin Lasky met in Frankfurt to develop a plan where the CIA could be persuaded to fund a left-wing but anti-communist organization. The plan was then passed on to Michael Josselson, who was the chief of its Berlin station for covert action. Finally, it reached Josselson's boss, Lawrence Neuville, de Neuville, he later recalled, quote, the idea came from Lasky, Josselson, and Kessler, and I got Washington to give it the support it needed. I reported it to Frank Lindsay, and I guess he must have taken it to uh, Wisner, Frank Wisner. He had to beg for approval. The Marshall Plan, that's what I was saying. The Marshall Plan was the slush fund used everywhere by the CIA at the time. Also think of Operation Gladio at the time as sort of a part of the diverging funds into creating na radical nationalist groups in the post-war environment. But anyways, that's the... Frank Wisner died of suicide, allegedly. Really? Yeah. <laughs> that's another one kessler is another one of these figures too who uh is a uh I believe a, he grows up a hungarian marxist committed marxist but then suddenly becomes a british uh order british order the uh, order of the british empire he's awarded this and he's brought into the royal society and then like he puts an honorific out, title or something like that and yeah and then he, he puts out these books about eugenics because he realizes that oh, this is actually not a Marxist versus capitalist thing. This is a run at a higher level that has a longer plan. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then, and he was, and according to, if you read his, his bio on, on Wikipedia, it's like, oh, I'm so committed to this that my wife and I are going to commit suicide together. This is how much we believe in this death cult. So wow. at least the public story is that they committed suicide together. Uh, and then, of course, we all know this one in your audience. Everybody's uh, very familiar with this. I brought it. It didn't come up, but they seemed curious about it when they saw it. I was like, what's that flag there? That weird sort of British American upside down flag. So, well, Tim, you know that when the United States flag is upside down, it's a symbol of being in distress. Distress. <laughs> yeah. We're under, we're, we're deep capture right now. Like our entire lifetime, we've been running um, a foreign entity. Richard, I know you've seen this video, uh, this one, because I did a video many years ago about oh, that. Oh, yeah. That's a hard that one just, to get, dude. Yeah. I, but I brought it just because I thought like the stabbies might come up and I didn't mm -hmm. know where they would want to go with that. I know it's not that safe for YouTube, but it didn't come up. So we didn't really get to go into it. I did mention this, the priest class and the survival of the priest class, I think something like that. But um, I took Klaus's book to kind of tie it all together and show that, you know, there's 
continuity of agenda here for the last uh, you know 100 150 years and a lot of those other um, books represent ideas klaus represents the instantiation of those ideas exactly. to a working committee yeah yeah he's like the marketing for um it's a great reset. yeah i think luke mentioned uh this book three or four times when he saw it sitting over there we didn't really go into it but he he pointed out some of the big quotes you know the whole i mean there's a lot of gems internationalist there's a ton of gems in this, but yeah, the, the famous chapter where he says, uh, I am a proud internationalist and, uh, you know, people accuse us of a conspiracy. Well, I say yes. And, but that, if you read the rest of that chapter, it's just as good as that, because that goes into Bilderberg. It goes into, um, you know, all the steering committees, CFR, uh, is the first thing. Then it goes to Bilderberg, um, Prince Bernhard, all the, all the classics, right. He even mentions Opus Day, by the way, uh, for the, yeah. Roman Catholics, because that's, of course, deeply connected to the CIA. Yeah. Ultimately, CIA is basically just another Rockefeller creation as well. Um, and he says that, yeah, I, I was a, a, an intelligence asset. And by the way, I learned how to do all this and make these networks through my intelligence time as an intelligence operator. Yeah, he got uh, back in World War II, but he was making the intelligence networks for Standard Oil. Yep, exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah, for the family. The yeah, so he yeah. was doing it for private interests. Yeah. Um, and by the way, it's funny because there, he's got all these pictures in the middle of his meeting with the communists, like when he flew over to China. He, I met with Khrushchev in 1964. I thought he would be a good man, a good leader for that time. I met with uh, Zhou Enlai of the People's uh, Republic of Beijing. So he's, you know, he's, over, he's flying over there meeting with all of the, oh, here we go. Here's a clock. Look what I found. It's me in my book, my Rockefeller book. It's me and uh, the Beastmaster. <laughs> and when i Mark's, met the beast Mark master uh, he was a complete douchebag by the way he was oh, a total dick uh, he, i didn't realize that you're supposed to pay for getting a picture with him i didn't know that yeah and he yeah. literally followed me, followed me out and was like hey write yeah. me a check for i don't like i don't have any cash he's, he's like, like they're well, not making any more beast masters anymore you yeah. ride the check the beast master yeah <laughs> um Anyway, this one, uh, we didn't go into it at all, but I, this is a classic. I really love this one because, I mean, this book is one of the most important for understanding how this stuff gets trickled down and implemented. Yeah. Because Miles Copeland is just saying, and, and, and you don't realize it until you get to the very end, when he tells you, if you want to understand what I'm up to, he tells you what books to read. And he says, read Bertrand Russell and read the Council on Foreign Relations publications. He's yeah. like, that's what the CIA is up to. A hundred percent. Like they have uh, the council and then they have the, the work group and the CIA is the work group out there exactly. getting, getting those yeah. things done. And Miles Copeland was working. He, like, he was hand trained by MI6 through the X2 double cross system yep. to uh, go perform coups on Mossadegh and uh, all sorts of our well, uh, and all, you yeah. know, for years. Well, even with the creation of the CIA, didn't Rockefeller put him up uh, the MI6 uh, sort of yeah, he put up uh, British security coordination, II, British security coordination, Rockefeller Center. Yeah, so yeah, MI six has been. That's just the Anglo-American establishment, though. That's the point. Like the Rockefellers are the American side of that establishment, and so they're like, "Here's uh, real estate for you to set up your espionage circuit in America uh, before we're even on in into World War Two. Well, they made sure we got into World War Two. The first uh, chapter is about the. He mentions the report from Iron Mountain, and he's like. This is kind of a satire. He's like, but actually the report from Iron Mountain is based on something real. That's the yeah. first chapter. And he says that if you go to the uh, CIA's uh, 
what he was calling at that time their like their their situation room or like their game room. Um, he's like, what we did was we were just trying to map out everything in terms of game theory for all of these regional conflicts and see who would be winners and losers. And he's like, so he's like, the report from Iron Mountain is satire, but it's also true because it's that's what we were doing in the game center was doing this stuff. And then he goes into it's all pure pragmatic power politics. It's a zero sum game. And he's like, let me explain to you the rules of the game. And then I mean, the, the, I mean, there's so many gems in this. It's like it should be its own lecture course. There's so much in there. I mean, everything from like funding the terrorists and creating the terror. There's a whole chapter on creating terror uh, to, like I said, he says, if you want to understand what we're up to, uh, here's what you should read. First publications are Council on Foreign Relations. He lists several things. And then he says, check out uh, James Burnham. So you've probably heard of him, managerial society, right? All that kind of stuff. He says, read the Machiavellians by Burnham, read uh, Power by Burnham. Then he says that these are important because he was a consultant to the CIA during the period covered in the chapters of this book. So if you want to understand the modern Machiavellian attitude of those in the CIA, particularly here at Burnham, you want to read these books. Then he says, read some books that have to do with ecology and uh, environmentalism and pushing environmentalism. Then he says, you need to understand the uh, Rand Corporation. He says, because we are implementing the stuff that we get, that Herman Kahn and these people study that then we implement. And he says, one particular text would be the year 2000 by Herman Kahn, which was about the goals of what we wanted to introduce here. And so the point of that is that a lot of what he says in this book is that you might think that we're uh, modernizing, industrializing and updating Egypt because we want to help them. No. Has nothing to do with helping these people. In fact, he says we brought Hollywood in because when we bring Hollywood in, we know that Hollywood controls cultures. We export Hollywood to other countries, he says, to control them. Anyway, he goes on to say that technocracy is key. And he says, you need to read about Bertrand Russell and uh, all these guys. He says, here's a bunch of OSS people to read. So, I mean, if you don't think that, and here's the CIA, CIA guy saying, Go read the Rand Corporation, the CFR, and Bertrand Russell to understand what we are doing. I mean, can't be any plainer than that. And there's just amazing chapters on like how we ran these full flags, how we control public opinion of the events, how we do this, that, fake student riots. I mean, it, you, anything you could think of, it's in here. Not only that, but uh, who's his son? Uh, well, he's related to Stuart. I don't think well, Stuart's I Miles, his son. I thought, uh, or maybe his grandfather. Stuart and Miles Copeland, they're definitely so related. He, they're related, but I don't, he's yeah. not. I don't think he's Stuart's father, but I forget they're like brothers or cousins. I forget, something like that. But there yeah, is a relationship. He, yeah. well, but he place. went and did he went and Stuart was involved in setting up like record stuff. And so he was doing, in my view, things related to the CIA for the music industry. The cultural rather than geopolitical. It fits in with the patterns of the quarter brothers making uh, films and using it as a front company as a front. Yeah. They did HG Wells's things to come, by the way, that we talked about earlier. By the way, he mentions uh Muslim brotherhood uh, being and working with and for uh, MI6 and the CIA, which yeah, created by Sinjin Philby, a couple which decades earlier. It's supposed to be earlier. a conspiracy theory, but here you have CIA uh, operatives telling you that that's what they do. Stand a uh, pl- plan and stage terror plan and stage coups run by the CIA. Here, quote, here's this is a great quote. 
when we use terrorists, they are just useful losers and we use them with finesse. They have a certain techne, if you will, or technique. Plus, it's a zero-sum game. So however they're going to use them, they're, the terrorists are always going to lose because the narrative they've been given as part of the game isn't fundamentally and they true. Need I just think it's so, it's so wild that he's like, they're they're losers. We're just picking like low IQ people that are losers. And he says, and we we play them with finesse. Yeah, yeah they like, look at it like Saddam they're just marionettes. All right, Sinjin Philby in, in this book, and then also the eminent Georgians, Sinjin Philby, Nancy Astor, the uh the Cliveden set. Yeah, the Cliveden right? set. Yeah. Right. So there there are some connections by the people in this book. And Philby was a, a key character who helped to to set up uh the stranglehold. Saudi Arabia. Saudi like Arabia. well, yeah. So the T Lawrence and Philby, they all went and they were the Arabists for the yes. British Empire, right? So they went and pretended or acted as if they were converts to Islam and wore the costumes and the headgear and, you know, and they, they were the first ethnographers sort of, you know, imbibing themselves in the culture like CIA later does with ethnography. Um, so that was most of what I brought. I, I didn't bring tragic hope just because it was so big. I couldn't fit in that, in that duffel bag. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's all the text that I took. You have plumbers tragedy and hope one Oh one. I do. Yeah. Right, yeah. That's, that's another good one to, ha- to, to have on hand. All right. So that was a wide spectrum. And um, you only got to a couple of those books during the show, but that leaves room on the table for an invite back so that you can go a little bit deeper. Cause I think that they're really close. Like Crowder's behind Tim, like Tim, like Crowder's not going to talk about eugenics or global government, but he will talk about a little bit about Davos. Right. So, Mm -hmm. but, but Tim's show is kind of that, uh, I mean, outside of the gap, I mean, a co-host for goodness sake, who's a little bit more, aware of these narratives and they had a debate about this like a year ago in regards to oh, really? the importance of looking yeah lugardowski and tim they always go uh, ahead, to ahead. Had, yeah they had a little bit of a oh. debate that we played on the show in regards to whether it's important or not to pay attention to these technocrats and sort of tim pools making the stand that the, the world's too complex to assume that these players have any real control and obviously <laughs> uh yeah and since then though i have to say he's been a little bit more since that altercation or that sort of debate, quote unquote, he's been a little bit more open um, as time's gone on in regards well, to Tim the idea express- of looking at these individuals. I think the problem is he he gets frustrated because he's like, these are so many names, dates, places, events. It's almost impossible for me to make any sort of sense of this that I can intelligibly communicate to a, a very large audience that wants 15 minute sound bites, you know, right. on YouTube. And so like he's it's not so much he's not saying there isn't an effect there, but he's saying like, how am I going to make this something that people can actually understand and make actionable we and, too have that question and yeah. we're working on it but the just big is, challenge <laughs> you, is, you can't is. get people the answer you can't get people the solution set that we're talking about right here so freely because <clears> they have <throat> short attention spans so the first yeah. thing they need to do is watch like tim cast for three hours or something like that and make a bigger attention span and then get more substantial content on a consistent right. basis to that audience and slowly they would outgrow that status quo and they would see it's not some it's not a caricature it's not cartoonish. There's not people in the back room twisting their mustaches being evil, but they, they do sit around and do these things. It's and a they're, not, of they're not incompetent. They're, they're, yeah, they're highly competent. Right. They're very competent. Right. And it's a continuation of philosophies, ideas, geopolitical strategies that actually span centuries. In some and some represent cases, sociopathy and psychopathy. That's the other oh, reason we from a psychological standpoint. About this. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> they're legit crazy. Yeah. Right. 
That's why they have to use such uh, crazy rationalizations and all these terms, positivism or the analytic tradition of the 20th century or, you know, a pragmatism, utilitarianism of Bentham. I mean, it's just all these isms that get people it's the so birth confused. Pods in fact, it's just the, the suicide denying pods. reality. Yeah, there you go. And your life in between on a screen. Right. That's what they're doing. It's anti-human. It's disrespectful and they're not creators. That's why they have to be destroyers. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, that was a good arsenal of books to take. And then uh, you got some extracurricular activity. You got to hang out with them a little bit before and after the show. So you got to. Yeah, I got to pretend I was James Bond wearing my flashy uh, things at the casino and uh, losing $300 immediately at the roulette table. So, yeah. We got to support the house. (laughs) You know, the house pays for all those tables and people to sit at them and the cards. It's all expensive stuff. So you got to donate to the house. Well, I I tended to hand me the first $100 bill which uh, I lost 95 of that and then gave him the last five for him to then try to win it back. But then I was like, all right, I'm going to go lose my money instead of your money. And then I, I successfully did. I successfully yeah, lost yeah. my, but it's, it's just fun. I, you know, I, I have mixed experiences with, with roulette where I'm not a big gambler, but every now and then we go and have fun. Like, I like the statistics of it. Like roulette's first off, it's one of the only games where you have a decent it's, it's, chance. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, um, if I wait for, you know, red to come up three times in a row and I bet black, you know, there's a statistic thing there that says 50, 50, any, you know, chance. But yeah. if you wait for a couple of things to come up, like in a pattern, right. it'll break that pattern usually. <laughs> yeah. So, but I don't do that for a living, obviously. <laughs> Lose that. Yeah, wait, but it was, it was fun. We, I got to, you know, sit there and Luke ate Chinese at the casino and I ate hot dogs at the casino and, that's awesome because you know Ligurowski, i'd never talked to him so yeah we, we had a good chat about his adventures and uh, all the people he's talked to and confronted and all the wild stuff he's seen so yeah, it was it was it was a lot of fun and uh i didn't know how i would vibe well with tim or not just because i know he's very much in control of the show and so i don't know if he's gonna let me talk or like shut it down or but i mean i it didn't people were saying they didn't let you talk enough from my vantage point in the show, I felt like it was a good conversation and everybody was kind of going back and forth. So for me, it was good. I didn't talk a lot in that second part about Scooby-Doo because I just didn't have any comment or care about it. And that was wise too. It just shows wisdom on your part that you're not adding energy to continue that. And you're waiting for it to get back. Like Luke said, let's get back to the globalist. Let's yeah, get back right, to talking about the, the people messing us up. Right. And well, like, you're also, a, you're, you're walking a tightrope. Whole- because it's in between Candace Owens and Crowder coming on in this whole other drama situation. So it's about how to not touch that third rail, get your message out during the show and also like not uh, disconcert Tim as the, the the, the ringmaster trying to make it all go on on time and stuff like that for everybody. So that's good workout dude. That definitely triggered your complexity a little bit. And, uh, and then you got to see Burmese the next day. So that's good. I, I love it when uh, people are getting together in real life, getting to meet each other. You see each other online. It's good to give a handshake and a hug. And uh, if you get to share meals, that's also life memories you're building up right there. All right. So um, also, you just got your landing page up for your philosophy course. And I do. Oh, I did have it over here someplace. I'm making a black screen. Let's see. I got Jay. There Dyer. it is. It's called the Congress for Cultural Freedom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's see. Where it, uh, philosophy 101. There we go. Want a better way to study philosophy, gain wisdom, and defend yourself against the regime? Boom. I like Jay the 80s, uh, Look 80s at that, man. the background there. We got all the Jay Dyer headshots on the website. There's a, a nice random selection there. Like yeah, that. right. <laughs> so anyway, uh, 
this is now you get, you were ready. Jay wouldn't show this to anybody. He wouldn't let us release the landing page or anything until uh, he had it all done. And I'd say that's admirable. But now the challenge is now that it's done, you got to let people know where they can get it and how to get it and let them know more than once. So they know it's a thing and it's not something trivial that you can get on YouTube. It's a deep dive into the history and evolution of philosophy, which is a method of finding truth if you're using it right. So uh, what's the, uh, what's the website? Do you have a do you have a link on your site for it or right? So right now the top video uh, at my YouTube in terms of the uh, not live streams but uploads is the sample the forty minute sample. It would have been the HD version, but the hotel I was at had the worst uh, sort of upload, so I had to just put up the 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 low res one. I will upload the better quality HD one to uh, Rockfin and some other some other places as well. Um, I might even just replace the one that's on YouTube because I mean, 360 is, but that's what I had to do just to throw it up there. But yeah, if you go to the website, uh, you can access that, access that as well. It's the, I think the top, still the top post, the main front post on yeah, the I website as well. Um, it's right at the top of my Twitter. Uh, I've also got the live event there, but yeah, it's the, it's the top post on the website right there. So um, you can get the landing page that Richard's talking about uh, and access the first 40 minutes, which I went back and watched uh, some of that to see what was picked out. And uh, it was all pretty good stuff. I'm happy with that 40 minutes. That so looks good. And uh, all the comments underneath it seem to be everybody's pretty happy with it. So, yeah, I mean, this is basically for those that don't know, 12 courses uh, on the history of Western philosophy is intended to be a kind of an intelligent person's introduction. So it's, it's not uh, re requiring uh, a whole lot of uh, beginner knowledge. I give you the texts that I'm kind of working from, which are pretty standard texts in the history of philosophy, ones that are pretty well known, pretty established. And um, you don't have to buy the text, but if you do want to, I recommend them. Copleston's book's really good. The specific discipline uh, courses uh, or books are also. Yeah, I utilize well, well Copplestones in my own in my own research. That they're very good. Uh, the Bonjour text for epistemology is pretty standard in like you know uh, graduate or undergraduate epistemology classes. So. Uh, you know, we had a couple guest lectures come on with us for epistemology and aesthetics. That was a lot of fun. Everybody seemed to resonate with those people, friends of mine. If you are on my channel, I'm sure you're familiar with Father Deacon and uh, Father Vladimir. Um, but yeah, yeah the aesthetics so, lecture was off the hook, dude. Yeah, everybody liked that. Um, he a lot, gave a that, lot of pictures. He did. And he gave a different presentation of that. That was about two and a half or three hours at our live Orlando event that blew everybody away. A lot of that I'd never seen. Um, I've seen a lot of his presentations, but not that one I had. And that was really good. So yeah, it's, it's really wild, deep stuff in regards to the Renaissance art symbolism, form, harmony, symmetry, all that. Yeah. Um, but overall, I mean, I think it's about, uh, if you include the Q and a 30, 35, maybe even 40 hours of, of talk, um, and I try to break it down as best I can. The essence of it, they're all about two to three hours. So you're getting, I think, you know, solid material that people, somebody says, well, this costs almost as much as a community college. I will assure you this is better than a community college. And the whole, the whole legacy system is built on the idea in their system that you're paying at Harvard and Yale for somebody who's supposed to be umpteen million times better than the dude at the community college. Now, whether that was actually the case is another, 
you know, you could debate that, but no, what you're getting here is definitely way better than a community college course. I can guarantee that I've taken many courses with, um, undergrad professors at universities and online and all that. And, uh, yeah, I think that, I think this is better. I really do. And you can well, go you test it in out college. It's, uh, it's always fragmented. They're never it teaching is. you the yeah, history and evolution right. of everything. So you can understand, they don't want you to understand. They want you to keep coming back for more courses. Jake gives it all to you on a exactly. silver platter. It took a lot but of work to do what he did. It's somebody consistent. was talking about, I, I, I studied sorry, it from a different angle. I just wanted to yeah. give you props because I studied the history of philosophy. I've been into philosophy for, for decades now. And you did a phenomenal job um, providing the silver lining between the early pre-Socratics the whole way through the modern isms uh, after the destruction of sort of epistemology with Kant and Hume. And so you really did a fan. I mean, we may not agree on every single point, but overall, you're you did a great job of not providing any sort of your own takes on it. And so much as it's providing these are what these philosophers, these are the arguments. This is the presentation from this era. These are sort of the ideas um, Thank you. you know, whether it's scholasticism, whether it's the classical ideas, the pre-Socratics and the Sco- and the Socratic and into Plato and Aristotle, which I am really into. You did really a really fantastic job. And and to piggyback your point, like one thing about modern, I, my own mentor is Gino Denning. He sort of brought Richard and I myself and a uh, little community of Trivium. He always would make, me- mention that modern education is hijacked. So when you go mm-hmm. and get a philosophy degree, philosophy degree from modern education, you're getting it in hyper-specialized the format. Version. And the, well, the problem is you're getting in hyper-specialized format. So you're not getting sort of the connecting threads of the, the progression and evolution of the ideas, how many of these right. philosophers commented or were commenting on the ideas that came before them, whether they were mm-hmm. better or worse, we can debate that point. We can see like a, an actual causal chain that makes these ideas stick in one's mind and makes them sort of palpable, actionable, and understandable. Whereas in philosophy you mean maybe you take a course and you know a specific type of philosophy and i had a friend to go to the university of pittsburgh he mentioned that he uh, studied philosophy before he went to become a lawyer they didn't study anything on metaphysics anything right. on epistemology right. it's all ethics and politics and it's post rousseau post hobbes you were talking about early modern period onwards and that's leaving out a very rich and very powerful tradition almost of a thousand years before that of very interesting commentary on you know, metaphysics, epistemology, ethics, politics, aesthetics, these sorts of ideas that are just completely disregarded because somehow we're moderns now. We're so much more enlightened than the forebears beforehand, which actually had some pretty profound things to say. Absolutely. So, yeah. When really I was a fantastic at- job on your part to bring that in a cohesive and cogent and coherent whole and make it Thank intelligible. You. Yeah. So I got to listen in on some of it and it was just really, really impressed with your work. Thanks. Yeah. There, when I was at undergrad, there was a lot of professors who, Actually, I I complained multiple times that we had did this jump from uh, Plato and Aristotle and uh, the we didn't do any Neoplatonists. Maybe we did one class on Stoics, but then we jumped to Descartes. And I was like, I'll, I complained a bunch. And then they actually the next semester offered several medieval classes. I mean, they, <laughs> so they, they, like, that's skipping a really rich tradition of scholastic. I know, right? From like Aquinas to Anselm to Don. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many figures you're leaving out that really actually brought up really the the key points of Plato and Aristotle and a very debate scholastic style debate format that you didn't really get back in the classical. Well, yeah. Era, like you take know. if Metaphysics you don't study, agent. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. I'm, no, I'm, I'm bad. I know. I, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're good. Well, no, I mean, no, I was, I was my, did, my train of thought. Was, <laughs> if you didn't study nominalism, if you didn't know what the debate in the middle ages was between universals and nominal and the, the those who are realists and nominalists, then, uh, 
there's no way to understand Hume's move in terms of nominalism. I mean, Hume exactly. is, you know, so if, so, it, but we did that, like we skipped over all that. I went and did all my own reading of medieval stuff. Cause I was really into Catholic theology in my twenties. Right. Um, but I was mad. I was like, you know, I went to the head of the department. I was like, how can you skip over? Does it, would it, Hume is not going to make sense, but I don't understand what Hume is rejecting from the middle ages when he says right. burn all the well metaphysical said. books. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, I was, it's ironic. I was talking to my girlfriend about it. She studied philosophy in college and um, as undergrad in philosophy, almost actually finished her master's. One of the things we we're going on was Auguste Comte and she's writing a paper on the S the SPX um, uh, FTX scandal with SPF and this whole situation because their effective altruist comes from William McCaskill. And then you have Peter Singer, who's sort of uh, the mentor of like, or sort of the overbranding idea. It's really rebranding utilitarian ideas and ethics. Uh, and this uh, concept of long termism, effective altruism, we're getting into Gus Compton. He's talking about essentially the same ideas of nominalism. You know, the idea is it's an empirical sort of nominalism where they use abstraction and mathematics at the same time talking about the necessity of, of actual facts and things that exist. There's this weird contradiction between Double think. Yeah, exactly. And so it's very confusing. We're trying to hash out these these problems and these these contradictions. And I was laughing. I'm like, what well, do you know of nominalism? Do you know William Malacham? Do you know where that even goes back to Protagoras in the ancient tradition? And that's what you're exactly alluding to. And so it's sad that because to your point, Jay, then the, the the college or the university, or I don't know where you went to school at, but they started offering this course in scholastics and medievalism but the problem with that is it's still like hyper specialized like they're still not giving you like that connecting thread you know that's what you do in your course so i think that's really powerful yeah they don't yeah, want they, you to have that understanding no no the whole system is built on not making uh connections not just exactly. historically with different uh, philosophers but you sure as hell shouldn't make connections to other disciplines yes right, right and there. so for example if you study biology they don't want you knowing uh logical fallacies Hundred percent. That's exactly what our men my mentor um, pre presented to me over what 12, 15 years ago in regards to the issues in academia and what he actually suggested to me at the time. Don't go into academic philosophy. Here's your own pathway I can give you that will give you much of what you're doing now and paying it forward with your own knowledge and your expertise. Right. So kudos. Thank you. Yeah, it turned out great. Uh, uh thank you to you, Richard, for uh that opportunity. And uh, you know, I think we can definitely churn out some some other killer courses too oh yeah i, I want to do uh an anglo-american summit and from there i think we're going to have interest in courses and authors and every everything we put together under that okay so you guys can get jay's course at uh you can go to his youtube page you can find him on twitter you can go to marketplace.autonomyagora.com and click to it from there but the gist is get the philosophy between your ears so you start to tell fact from fiction because that's how the government is able to lie to people successfully because they can't tell the difference right that's the gist so it's a real tool of intellectual self-defense it was a pleasure helping to produce it because i was also a student in the class getting to learn every week at a very high level and filling in a lot of blanks and uh you know details that i didn't have for myself so i want to thank you for investing uh, that time and energy and attention into that endeavor because I think it's going to be evergreen and people 50 years from now are going to find it just as useful as the people who get it 50 minutes from now. Jay, thanks for uh, hanging out for a couple hours. Absolutely. You've yeah. had a big a weekend, man. So get some rest. Yeah, thank and you, Jay. Uh, we'll, awesome. we'll see you during the intermission because we're going to play that clip from Tim Cast later. Okay, cool. Yeah, everybody have a good night. All right, peace out. Take care, Jay. All right, so now, whew, that was like a whirlwind. Getting all those books, getting all that talking. 
it's good for my brain. I like having Jay on the show like that. Oh yeah, no, it's because uh, we can just you, you know be on your toes. You know, he's yeah, well, uh, he's very intelligent and it, and conversation is us interrupting each other. This is how guys talk. So oh, when people yeah. at home are like, "Don't talk over each other," we hear you. We try not to, but we are still going to interrupt each other because we're not like doing a formal interview. This is more like, "Hey, did you see this? And you got that, and I got this, and let's put these two things together and check it out." And uh, it's sort of yeah. what Jay was alluding to when he's on Timcast. A lot of people were saying that they didn't give him enough room to speak, but he went back and looked at it and felt like it was a sort of organic conversation. It's tough. Right. Like the audience is going to have a very different experience than what you and I or Jay have when we're trying to, to especially Plus, Timcast never focuses on a guest typically. Like the guest Correct. is there, but Tim's going to talk about the news and you learn about the guest as the, they present views on the news. Yes, right. Yes. So for him to even get to say, I got a book and let's talk about it is a unusual thing for Tim's format. And I'm proud of those guys for like entertaining it and letting it kind of blossom and flourish. And uh, I, I think it's going to hopefully there'll be more books and deep dives like that on Timcast. I think cool he, he, they, they got a segment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could see Ian is a bit more of that. He's a well, he already knows about the Federal Reserve and all these other things. Yeah. Like the things that he like, he seems to some people like the flighty hippy dippy type i was gonna dude. say but, but he he's philosophy. a co-creator of minds.com with yeah. bill ottman right so he's a tech brain he's you know getting over he's not so introverted as most tech people so he has a little extroversion and because he's extroverted he's like oh I'll, I'll entertain new ideas you got something about the bilderberg group i don't know about them and how was uh rothschild involved with that back in 1954 and on the steering committee and then he would have a conversation because he doesn't think he knows everything yet and he has no ego to lose by not knowing. And, you know, that's so a really he's, good point. He's still he growing. Yeah. He recognizes he's very sort of the Socratic method sense. Like he's very open, questioning ideas. He's not, he doesn't have like an ego associated with his ideas that he feels like he has to defend. He's actually just open to learning and growing. And he's still on that pathway where to Tim is a little, a little different. He has, you know, he's built up his own brand. He's built up his own show. So it's a little bit trickier, but he's, you know, to, to give credit where credit is due, he's been more open. I think, as my point out, since the debate he had with uh, Luke in regards to fielding ideas that relate to more mundane, esoteric, well, not mundane, but rather esoteric and recondite topics, you know, difficult, enigmatic, esoteric, sort of mysterious or occulted knowledge, you know, that um, he normally wouldn't consider, especially as the culture becomes more and more insane and the geopolitical milieu becomes more and more insane. I think he's almost, it's hard not to consider that possibility because there's definitely been enough people around him that have said, hey, look, you know, there's there's a little bit more going on. And Luke himself, being a co-host of a show, um, actually being willing to say like, hey, there's a lot more going on here. I'm sure he's showing things behind the scenes to Tim. It's like, hey, like I know you don't yeah. want to go through this. I don't want to make this part of your format. But just realize the more you recognize the chaos of the culture the more you might be interested in considering you know these ideas so yeah for sure all right so this next topic this story we got to cover it's like it's like a piggy bank we just got to smash it and break it open see what's inside here so uh ld i'm going to be looking for crowder's original yeah i have video. it so it's under the big con um and it's yeah the big con was video. the thing it's, so let me bring it up here. So if you go to culture, it's the very top. Yeah, yeah. And Steven Crowder, it's time to stop. And that's his first. That's when this whole thing. All right. So that's yeah. So setting the stage, uh, Steven Crowder is an American comedian and uh, hosts a morning show called Louder with Crowder. And it has like maybe six million people that watch, you know, conservatives watching in the morning and it's news and it's funny and haha. And he was being serviced by the Blaze, which is like Glenn Beck's joint over there, I'm pretty sure. And the contract expired and now uh, Steven's not on, he does his own production, but he doesn't have his own 
infrastructure. So now he is entertaining offers. And so he comes to his audience this past week. I'm a member of his audience. Tony's member of his audience. Yeah. comes to us and says, Hey, I got this crazy new world order offer and I want to show you guys. And so we're like, okay. And then within a couple hours, there's a response. So what I'd like to do is we can't, we can't play Steven's whole video, but you guys will know what's out there. It's a time capsule thing for the future. We'll just put 15 so, minutes of Steven yeah, and 15 video. minutes of Jeremy. And then people will know those are the two source pieces. And we have to play at least a part of, in my opinion, the response to the Jeremy boring, because that's where you get literally recordings of him saying, and that's, that's where like the, that'll set the stage. Right. So so you have like Crowder's complaint, boring's response, Crowder's retort. And that's where he drew a lot of eyebrows. Like, Oh, that's exactly. And Crowder's retorts only 15 minutes. We can probably play that in full, but uh, yeah, tell D yeah, just the first 15 of the first two will be enough for people to get the idea of the debate, but the last one you can play in the last clip called, uh, I don't want to do this. You can play that in full. I think it's only 15. Sure. So Jeremy boring, who you're going to hear from in the second clip, he's the CEO CEO of the daily wire. I think alongside Ben Ben Shapiro. Shapiro. And he's the founder of Jeremy's razors who had the best damn ad campaign video for kicking Harry's razors in the balls I've ever seen. And I have Jeremy razors stuff in my, my medicine cabinet upstairs. So Jeremy boring. I'm not a fan of the daily wire. I watch some other people, but as a whole thing, like I support it as a freedom operation, not really my flavor of conservative media Crowder. I do support him. I do watch him. I do think yeah. he's funny. He does a lot of coverage that the daily wire won't touch with a 10 foot pole. Cause they have a lot of money tied up in investments and have to tread softly exactly. and Crowder's over here carrying a big stick. Like he's Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. Just for context. I think we played a daily wire clip, probably more Matt Walsh than even Ben Shapiro, maybe two or three times sure. on the show in the past two years, whereas we played Crowder tens and tens of times. Um, it just goes to show you what Crowder's willing to talk about and juxtapose contrast to what Ben Shapiro or at all Andrew Clavin or Michael Knowles or even Matt Walsh are not willing to talk about. So, so they, this they are being... good. They are a good hedge against the culture. The one thing sure. I give them props for is they do really good sort of uh, retorts on the cultural postmodern milieu in which we currently exist. And for that reason, they deserve to be lauded. But at the same time, they're they're egregious with their history. All you got to do is look at the Ben Shapiro's history of Zionism and the state of Israel for an example of that. It's an they're, open air concentration camp. You can't notice, say that on Crowder's show if he goes over to yeah. Daily Wire. Right. Crowder also, doesn't think that, by the way. So he doesn't have a problem going to Daily Wire and not saying that. I'm just saying right. as an educated adult, and point out you're exactly right and also let's point out like uh you know they supported the vaccine they supported early mandates they did roll this back and they did for their own to be recognized the daily wire did file a lawsuit which is one of the key lawsuits as part of a number of lawsuits that went the whole way to the supreme court in regards to vaccine mandates even though they were pushing for the vaccine they still supported the sovereignty of the individual to choose whether or not they would get vaccine so but at the same time when it was safe when it was safe they, and, that's and the when they coast, rolled it back. When the coast was clear, Ben Ben Shapiro came out and said, I don't know if I should trust the, those vaccines. So yeah, exactly. He, you know, right. So exactly. that, I think that's disingenuous because your audience safe. got jabbed for two years and has health yeah. problems for the rest of your life. Exactly. Whereas Crowder was going a lot closer to it. Oh, he like was, he's no he, from T-Lab. day one. He was against, he was like, right. hey, up to your choice, up to your choice, up to your, but don't, you know, I look at this skeptically. From day one, Crowder was like that. So I think Crowder's upset about the duplicity because they talk about free speech. They talk about being, you know, Clearly. in support of science and all these ideas but in the absence of a better business model to facilitate what so you guys are going to pick that up on your own so the purpose of this is not to facilitate drama because we don't like drama but there's an important business problem in the freedom community and we'll consider 
Daily Wire and Crowder part of that community, even though they're kind of over here sometimes. <laughs> there's a there's a problem. So a is Stephen going about it in the most constructive, adult, mature way? And then you then you'll see Jeremy, who I do think went about a response in a mature, non-emotional way, very transparent. And we're going to get like a PhD education on term sheets and how to negotiate through this whole experience. So for the viewer here in present day, you're not just going to learn about the news, but you're going to learn a little bit about how to intellectually protect yourself and your interest in these types of situations, should they ever come this way. But more and more people have to do media for just about anything these days, you know, Zoom for work and video interviews to get a job and these sort of things. So this might uh, apply to you in the future more than you think it does. So let's go ahead to Steven Crowder with his gotcha moment. Well, it's almost a gotcha moment. And then we'll go to Jeremy Boring and then we'll go back to Crowder. And then we'll start to get some educated perspectives on what we've heard because this is a bigger issue. So it's going to take a few minutes. Like an hour. Like an hour. <laughs> like six. So six, hey, there's a show stop called big con minutes, right? dot com. Good. So, um, now exists to begin with. Um, it's been a while. Either this this has to stop or I'm going to have to stop. Either this, what I'm about to discuss, has to stop or I don't know. This, uh, this may just not be for me anymore. So let me explain. Give me a few minutes of your time because context matters here. I ask that you don't skip ahead won't take very long. This has been a long time coming. This is a conversation that I've actively avoided, sidestepped, um, and I've hoped and prayed that it not be necessary behind the scenes for a long while, but that's no longer possible. So if you've watched for the last decade, you know that I've always made it clear that we here at Mug Club are in the business of serving you the viewer, you watching, listening right now. I've also made it clear that I wouldn't be in the business of attacking other conservatives, uh, regardless of disagreements or personal issues. And I've always explained my logic was relatively simple. I believe that the world was better with more voices out there rather than less, regardless of minute differences, considering the magnitude of the battle that we are genuinely fighting for our country right now. But for the first time, I have to say, that I believe many of those in charge in the right-leaning media are actually at odds with what's best for you, the viewer, the customer, uh, and more importantly, the country. We here at Mug Club, we thought that we were all in this together, that we were fighting the, the, the media, entertainment, industrial complex. Um, we thought that we were all genuinely taking it to big tech. But too many of those in charge of the big conservative platforms um, are verifiably in bed with them. Big tech is in bed with big con. The people you thought, the people I thought were fighting for you, a lot of it has been a big con. Now, I'm specifically avoiding naming names or going after individuals uh, in this video because I genuinely hope that those I'm addressing, and you know who you are, have a change of heart. It's, it's never too late to do the right thing. Guys, this is a genuine plea. We can all do better. We can all do better. It doesn't have to be this way. And please, don't make me have to provide receipts. 
Now, to the others out there um, who have now been able to verify, have been locked into exploitative contracts that I have the luxury of not having to sign, which is why I'm doing this. Um, those of you out there who've been locked into this and, 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 and you know what I'm talking about, stay tuned. I've got something for you before this video is done. So a few points to address. Now, many, many, but not all of the suits running the business of, of big conservative, big con, at best don't share your values and at worst are taking advantage of your good graces. And as I've experienced it behind the scenes, I've watched our country be harmed as a result. So mug club. Professionally, it's meant everything to us here. Um, personally too, but professionally, you are the entire reason for our ability, your ability, to create this kind of content truly independently for the last six years. When I started doing you know, right-leaning like comedy entertainment videos uh, in 2009, maybe it was 2008, I didn't, really didn't have a plan. I didn't know the blueprint because there was no blueprint. I didn't know the ceiling because no one with this kind of content had ever really even tried it. It was you, Mug Club, you watching, supporting, who created the ceiling. And you made it clear that all of you were going to keep raising it. All I knew back then was that I was a conservative, I was a Christian, and there was nothing out there for someone like me. Not on cable, not on radio, certainly not on YouTube. And back then, that was really the only um, video platform. Uh, live streaming wasn't really even a thing. All I wanted to do was to set out to create the kind of content, the kind of show that I always wished had existed when I was growing up, and I hoped that there would be enough of you out there like me. Here's the thing, I was told that there weren't. I was told by the powers that be that you didn't exist. I was told that the only way to make a living in this business was to cater to older conservative generations and that comedy, that entertainment, that edgy quote unquote content didn't work on the right side of the spectrum. An entertainment show would never work. You, all of you are the only reason that I, that we here, were even remotely vindicated. And, and, and Mug Club sealed it. I remember exactly where I was when I thought up the idea of Mug Club. I remember who I was with. I remember what I was eating. I remember why. I could see the writing on the wall back then, the big tech censorship on the horizon, the diminishing advertising revenue day by day, and I knew full well that demonetization from these platforms, it was inevitable. Uh, but I wasn't really sure that this would work. At that point in time, getting anyone to subscribe to anything was pretty much impossible. Everything on the internet was basically free except for pornography. Even, you know, Netflix, the only player in the space at the time between shipping DVDs of Poltergeist 3, uh, they were struggling with online streaming. But I found a great partnership back then, a partnership with a company called CRTV, which later purchased The Blaze and used that name going forward. And on election night, 2016, so many of you signed up that the back end of our site crashed. We couldn't handle it. And it only grew from there. Now, I want to be clear about something. Uh, this video here, it's, it's not about the blaze. Uh, when they were purchased by CRTV, the, the company's goals, their vision simply grew further apart from, from mine, um, from ours here. Just, it just wasn't the right fit. Yeah, you know, I wasn't thrilled about some things and the, you know, handling of Mug Club leaving. And that's why, uh, you know, we launched MugClubForever.com where you can sign up just to be able to reach you. This really isn't about that. So I want to create some separation here. Business relationships end all the time. That's business. But I was 
in a period to field offers from other people, other key players in this movement. They flooded in. Now, before you guess who it is, before you start trying to do some, some, some Sherlock Holmes work, um, there are far more people beneath the tip of the iceberg than you know about who are trying to get into this space. There are more than you would probably assume. So I went into free agency. Uh, I looked over the offers. And I saw the clause come out. And I don't just mean unreasonable demands for control, but what, what I would argue are immoral terms that actually punish conservative content creators on behalf of big tech. And that's something that I, I just couldn't unsee. And, and I want to let you know, it's not the exception. It's the rule. Kids, kids out there coming up. We need to build a bench here in this movement. It's almost impossible. Don't sign, don't sign these contracts. I know, I now know what you are signing out there. I have the luxury of not having to. I don't have to be here. I don't have to say this. Please don't sign this. Certainly not without professional legal counsel representation. Do not sign something that includes, you know, let me go through this. Effectively, uh, full ownership of all your social media uh, platforms, channels, in perpetuity, the rights to your content, name, image, likeness, um, even the ones that you've built. Don't sign contracts out there that include multi-million dollar penalties for different... Let, let, let me read you an example of what I mean. Um, and this would be if it was me. If Crowder fails to deliver a monthly content uh, in any month or any of the quarterly content in the corner, including any and all ad reads, and by the way, all these contracts came with three, four, five ad reads per show, which would fundamentally change what this show is. Got to get those dollar-dollar bills. If I failed to do that, it would be a $250,000 reduction in fee per quarter. If, let's say, uh, we did do everything per quarter, but annually maybe missed something, like let's say we went and did a change my mind instead of a daily show, which of course requires a lot more work, it'd be a separate $1 million penalty for that if you miss a single piece of content. And the amount of content required is not in line with, frankly, it's worse than Disney. It's worse than ABC. It's worse than NBC. It's worse than CBS. This is ownership of you and everything that you do. But here's, just to drive it home, don't sign something that has another $100,000 daily penalty if it's not signed off on beforehand. You get, a sick, you get hit by a car, you have a sick day, you could lose $100,000 a day. Hey, anyone wonder why there's burnout in this? Anyone wonder why you have kids come up and they leave and never to come back? You think if you had that kind of a penalty, you think if someone said, hey, we're going to penalize you $10,000 every day you miss coming into work, you think you'd be stressed? This is worse than the left frames their contracts. Again, I don't, of course I didn't sign any of these things. But I now know what other kids are signing out there. And here's the worst part. Yeah, that's terrible. I think it's, um, I just think that's wrong to treat people that way. But this is where, in going through this, and I need to take some time because, look, I, I've always tried to be a happy warrior. 
uh, and I want to go back to that. I haven't, I haven't been happy for a while. To be really, I, I haven't been happy for a while because when you know what goes on behind these scenes and you see how many people are complicit, it creates an air of hopelessness. It really does. Where you think the people who are supposed to be linking arms and fighting with you, fighting for you, want to punish you. So here's the worst part. Do not, kids, under any circumstances, sign a contract with people who claim to be conservative, but will penalize you 25% for any demonetization or sponsor boycott. Look, let me read this to you. If any of the major platforms... Oh, no, sorry, that's the second one. Let me go back to the first one. There's another 20%. It's 45% if you get a content strike. Let's start with the demonetization. If blank is boycotted or dropped by more than 50% of uh, the advertising partners, the company is not able to replace them within 90 days, the fee will be reduced by 25%. Uh, that's a sponsorship boycott. So that's saying, hey, 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 liberals, boycotts work. They work on our guys. We'll punish them for you. Let me go on. Specifically, YouTube demonetization. If any of the major platforms issues a content strike such that Crowder cannot be monetized on such platform and the company is not able to resolve the issue within 90 days, the fee will be reduced by 25% moving forward. Now, I thought this was a mistake because, you know, these people maybe didn't know who I am that we've been demonetized for three years. No, it was made very clear to me in no uncertain terms. This is what's sent out to everybody. And then if, you get a, then if you get a strike, meaning a suspension, another 20% reduction. And then another 20% of it happens on Apple. And then another 10% of it happens on Facebook. And then another 10% of it happens on Spotify. Imagine you're deplatformed, as we've seen in the past, where all of the major entities decide to remove you in one day. Rather than having a conservative alternative, you would now be down to 5 to 15% of the revenue of your contract. Think about, think about this for a second. Those in charge, the big conservative, the big con, and it really is the biggest con going right now, they're making it known in their contracts that they will enforce the guidelines of big tech and punish conservatives on their behalf. Don't, don't, hey, don't, don't worry, Wojcicki. These, trust me, these conservatives will stay in line. If they get demonetized, we take away 25% of their operating budget. Take another 20% away if they get a hard strike. Hey, don't worry, Zuckerberg. We've got your back. Hope to see you at the UFC Apex. Let me, can, let me ask you, can you imagine if this show not only was never permitted to take risks per our contract as it relates to uh, big tech guidelines, like as far as the content guidelines, right? There's content guidelines and there's advertiser guidelines. Can you imagine, just imagine a, a world where this show could never take risks in relation to those guidelines on, say, things like mRNA injections, election integrity, take your pick. But one step further, if this show had to be advertiser friendly on YouTube, those guidelines pretty much read, don't say anything offensive ever. Well, what's offensive? Whatever is stuck in Susan Wojcicki's craw that day. I wish those at the top in big conservative with Granted, yeah, a lot of the money wanted to do better, but they don't. That's why I've created StopBigCon.com, and you can be a signatory, and our plans therein. Look, 
Like I've said, I have the luxury of not signing this. I don't need it. I've been demonetized for years. Uh, we've adapted here precisely because of Mug Club. All right. Our friend Stephen Crowder has launched a new initiative called Stop Big Con. And in the video announcing the launch of the project, he talked about leaving the blaze and all the different offers that he fielded from other conservative organizations and what he thought were the real problems with those offers. And that's led a lot of people to speculate about whether or not the Daily Wire is one of the people who made him an offer in particular, or are we the ones who made the offer uh, that he put up on the screen and talked about um, at length? And the answer is yes, that offer did come from the Daily Wire. Uh, I'm not trying to hide that fact. I'm not ashamed of that fact. In fact, I think it's a very good offer. Um, but I think there's a lot of sort of misconceptions about the nature of the offer, the nature of the points. I think Stephen misunderstood a lot of the points. And so the way we do here at The Daily Wire, we're just going to be incredibly transparent. You know that we like to have our members be a part of the journey. We live stream all of our company town halls, for example. We just find that you know, sunlight sometimes is, is the best disinfectant. And so with that in mind, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about uh, how we came to be in conversations with Stephen, um, how those conversations ended, and, and walk you just line by line through what the actual document that we sent over to him, a non-binding uh, term sheet, what it actually said and why. First thing you should know is that uh, I'm really miserable to be making this video. Stephen's been my friend for uh, 10 years. I think he's maybe the most talented person working in the conservative uh, media space. He's, he's one of the top entertainers in the country, politics notwithstanding, a great uh, comic voice. And uh, I find it really tragic that we're having this kind of a conversation. Um, but it's also very important, I think, that, that we talk about it, uh, in particular because I know a lot of people who are fans of The Daily Wire were really offended by the things that Stephen said in the video and they're concerned that maybe we're doing the wrong thing. And I think that by the time we finish this video, you'll understand what we were thinking with our, uh, with our term sheet and how we operate as a business a little bit better. I've wanted to be in business with Stephen since the day that I met him. Uh, ben and I tried to do some even movie deals with Stephen before there was a CRTV and before there was uh, a Daily Wire. For that entire time, we've talked at length at various times about getting together and doing things. Of course, for most of that time, he's been under contract first at CRTV and then at The Blaze. So we weren't able to, and you know, from time to time during the years, we would uh, get together and daydream a little bit about would there be a future for us to work together at the other end of that deal. We got word that Stephen uh, was finishing up his time at The Blaze and was interested in having a conversation with us. And so we reached out to his agent and we said, listen, we'd, we'd love to have a conversation. It's not every day that a monster talent like Stephen comes on the market. Uh, it'd be probably, we'd be bad businessmen if we didn't engage in a conversation with him. We weren't sure at that time if there was a deal to be had. I mean, for one thing, we're friends with uh, Glenn, we're friends with Tyler, we're friends with all the guys at The Blaze. We didn't we weren't sure that we wanted to commit to making an offer to Stephen. And you know, Stephen's an expensive talent. I mean, he's been in the business a long time. He has an enormous fan base, and we knew that it would take a lot of doing to get him over to the Daily Wire. This at the same time that we're investing very heavily in kids' entertainment content and uh, making you know real television content, streaming uh, scripted fiction like The Pendragon Cycle and Atlas Shrugged and other projects that we've taken on. Would we have the resources? We weren't sure. But again, you have to have the conversation. And we were happy to have it. So we reach out to the agent and we say that. We say, you know, we'd like to have a conversation with Stephen, kind of get into the details of you know, what's he looking for? What's he looking for financially? What's he looking for in terms of structure? Uh, what would make his life better? What would make him happy? You know, he's, he's got this opportunity now to have a next chapter. What's he want that next chapter to be? Uh, and Stephen's agent 
candidly just wasn't interested in any aspect of that conversation. He only wanted to know about the money. He said, you know, we're not gonna have a conversation, we're not gonna have some abstract talk, we're gonna send us an offer, tell us how much money you're willing to pay. And he gave us an indication of what the minimum number would have to be in order to even have a discussion with Stephen. And it's a big number. So we talked about it internally and, and we decided, yeah, we should do that. We should send over uh, an, an opening offer, a, a non-binding term sheet that takes a stab at what we think that, that minimum number is going to be to get the conversation started so that we can sit down with Stephen so that we can see if, uh, if there's a deal that'd be good for him and good for us. And, and that's what we did. We, we put together the term sheet, we sent it over, uh, and we asked if we could get on the phone and have a conversation with Stephen. I'm gonna walk you through that document, what it says, what it doesn't say, some of how Stephen represented it. I'm sure he feels like he was being accurate, but some of the things that he said are simply not true uh, based on the text. And, and, you know, Stephen's a very passionate guy. I think that he's uh, doing his level best to stand against what he sees as an injustice, but uh, there is no injustice in this document, as I think you'll see. And then I'll tell you what happened right after we sent the document, when I finally did get on the phone uh, with Stephen. So first, here's the document, the non-binding confidential term sheet. I'm just gonna walk you through it, full transparency. This non-binding term sheet sets forth the basic deal points of a proposed content production and distribution agreement between the Daily Wire LLC, the Texas Limited Liability Company, and Stephen Crowder via his loan out, uh, so that if and when the parties elect to move forward with a long-form agreement, they can move quickly in preparing a definitive and binding agreement. That's just legalese that means uh, this is just a conversation starter and we're obviously gonna have a negotiation uh, if we move forward and a lot of these points are gonna get beat up. And for those of you who've never been through a contract negotiation, well, that's how it works. When you, when you send someone an offer, you don't send them uh, everything that you're willing to say yes to because there is going to be a negotiation because agents and lawyers are going to get involved because you can't read their mind and you don't know everything that will be important to them and everything that they'll want. You don't know even you know, some of their sort of non-negotiable uh, points. And so you send over a, a loose offer and then they're gonna beat it up a little bit. They're gonna say, well, this should be higher and this should be lower. And you're gonna come back and say, no, we're gonna stand firm here, but we're willing to compromise there. And over time, you either get to a deal or you don't get to a deal. But that, that's how a good faith negotiation always works. 100% of every uh, interaction I've ever had with any talent, that's the process. Uh, and so here we go. Here was our offer. A four-year initial term with two-year renewal at DW's sole discretion. That just means Stephen's gonna work for DW for four years. Uh, and if it's going really well, DW can retain him for an additional two years. Two, uh, the fee. And remember, this is the, the minimum number uh, that we thought would get the conversation started with Stephen. $50 million for the initial term, plus $25 million for the renewal term, if extended, paid in monthly installments. Like I say, a, a pretty big number, uh, but we thought for a talent like Stephen, this is probably the, the minimum number that's gonna get, get us in the door so that we can sit down and talk to him. Three, production costs. Uh, this is important. We've, we've never made a deal quite like the offer that we put in front of Stephen because Stephen, very independent guy. I mean, uh, all of our talent have very independent voices. Obviously, we can't tell them what to say. You know, Candace says what she wants and Jordan Peterson says what he wants, Ben, Michael. Uh, but Stephen has always built in this protection for himself that, that he wants to actually produce his content. He doesn't want, you know, most of, most of our guys, they come to the studio and we turn on the cameras, we point the cameras, we point the lights. Steven likes to do that with his own team uh, to just make doubly sure that no one's interfering with his content, not that we would. And so we anticipated that and we said, Crowder will bear the burden of production 
including all costs associated therewith, on all the content contemplated herein, except on the quarterly and annual content contemplated below. We'll, we'll get to that part uh, a little bit later. It's kind of a novel concept. Uh, the quality of the production will be as good as or better than is currently existing content. This just, again, Stephen's going to produce his own content. It has to be as good as the stuff uh, that Stephen's audience has come to expect from him. Um, and that'll come out of the 50 million. So it's not like it's not like all of that 50 million goes right in Stephen's pocket. He's going to use some of it to pay for producers and, and studio space and camera uh, equipment and operators and lights, uh, just like we're going to use some of you know, the money that we make to pay for the infrastructure and the technology and the uh, marketing and the legal and all the other parts that go into making a successful business. Revenue collection that says we'll have the exclusive right to realize revenue in connection with all of his content and brand. We're paying you this guaranteed significant amount of money, $50 million. Uh, and for that, one of the things we're buying is the content, but we're also buying the right to monetize the content so that we can have a chance of making some money and not just spending money. What is the content? First, we broke this into daily, monthly, quarterly, and annual content. The daily content is going to be very obvious to you. He'll deliver a one and a half hour Louder with Crowder audio video show of a quality and kind consistent with the shows that he's currently producing four days a week. That's 192 original episodes a year if you factor in four weeks uh, of vacation, uh, including all ad reads and promotions as requested by us. So he's going to continue to produce his show, his, his Louder with Crowder show, four days a week, 192 times a year. Uh, and that'll include us being able to put ads in it and promotions in it. They'll be filmed in studio daily, Monday through Thursday. At least one hour of them will be outside the paywall. That's much how Stephen already operates. That's the part that goes out on podcasting. It's the part that goes out on YouTube. It's the part that goes out on Rumble. And at least 30 minutes inside the, D the DW Plus paywall. So in the same way that right now he has his piss off YouTube segment uh, that has historically been at uh, Blaze, well, he would still do that same kind of concept. 30 minutes of the show would now be behind our paywall. Uh, Crowder can bank or pre-record a limited number of episodes upon our approval and reasonable discretion. Um, days without new original episodes will be scheduled in advance subject to our reasonable approval. What's this about? Oh, like, I like Crowder. You know, in addition to his four weeks uh, of vacation, there's just also going to be times where he, for whatever reason, maybe he's got a speech, maybe he's got a stand-up comedy gig somewhere around the country. If he were to come to us and say, hey, I can't really shoot a show on Thursday because I'm going to be doing the stand-up gig that's fine. Let's shoot two episodes on Tuesday and we'll roll one of them out on Thursday. It's just giving us all the, the maximum flexibility to still make the episodes, but for Stephen to be able to live the other important parts of his life. 192 episodes. Uh, obviously, there are 260 work days in a year. Most Americans work 260 days a year minus 10. That's two weeks of vacation. So they work about 250 work days a year. And we're telling Stephen, you've got to produce 192. So already, even to say four weeks of vacation, um, you know, that, that is probably above average, but it doesn't really capture the reality of this, which is there are going to be, you know, 60 days basically of the year where, uh, Fridays, we call them, where Stephen basically doesn't have to produce, uh, a show. And you may say, well, that's still a lot. And I know Stephen says that's more than even, you know, network TV would, uh, would ask for. Yeah, these are points that can be negotiated. I still think most people feel like, you know, if you're only working four days a week uh, and you get four weeks off every year and you can pre-schedule even additional time to be traveling by banking episodes, you would at least say, you may think, well, he needed to negotiate that and get it down to 170 or something. Sure, I thought he would, but it's certainly not unfair to expect someone that is making $50 million 
over the next four years to, you know, work 192 days a year. That brings us to monthly content. Uh, what is monthly content? Well, you know, at Daily Wire, our members uh, are entitled to an all-access uh, once a month with most of our talent. Uh, and that's where our members get to interact with them, sort of one-on-one, ask them questions. So we're saying once a month, he would have to do a 90-minute all-access and any promotions and ad reads that would go in that. Right now, there are no ad reads in all-access. But again, you're giving yourself, it's a four, possibly six-year deal. You're giving yourself a little latitude for things to change. Quarterly content. Uh, we asked that Stephen would produce one major promo video and photo shoot uh, coordinated by us for his content at the company. You know, we would want him to four times a year come in and make a, a very well-produced promo. Very well That gives us marketing assets to be able to go out and, uh, and, and sell subscriptions, sell Mug Club, uh, sell any merch that we were doing with him, sell the, the entire idea of DW+. Uh, and one backstage episode a quarter or other major live event and VIP experience. So, uh, and annual content. This was a new concept. We said that Stephen would do one feature-length entertainment special. That's like a stand-up comedy special. And that Stephen would do one feature-length political special. And that's like um, a documentary, like What is a Woman? You know this is something we're doing with all of our talent now. Uh, you saw it first with What is a Woman with Matt. And then in addition to his daily show, he, he brought us this amazing uh, documentary. Um, you saw it with Candace with Greatest Lie Ever Sold. Uh, and we've got a lot more projects like that in the work with our other talent now. It's really become an important part of our business model. Here's, here's the key, though. He doesn't have to pay for that out of his $50 million over the next four years. We would pay an additional amount every year for that. In the case of the, of the political documentary, we'd give another $1.25 million of production costs. In the case of the entertainment Depends on how it breaks down, but we'd get between five hundred thousand and two and a half million more dollars. Uh, so you know, you're talking about just this is more than eight figures over the four years, in addition to the fifty over the next four years. Uh, and then E, additional Crowder content. What is this? I don't know, but presumably over the next four to six years, we might come up with other things that either he wants to do or we want to do. So we built a, a sort of catch-all bucket. If we and Crowder mutually agree to create additional content not currently contemplated. Uh, then we'd pay him $15,000 a day for that shoot. And again, a lot of that would be days he was already shooting. So that's just a little extra money in his pocket if we do something extra. Uh, item six, the back catalog. Um, Crowder will license his entire back catalog, including without limitation, every past episode of Louder with Crowder to us during the term. Uh, that just means that all the episodes that already exist would also be behind our paywall during the term. At the end of the term, all of that content that we didn't actually pay for would revert to, to Crowder at the end of the term. But we would have it in the meantime. Seven, ad reads and promo reads. DW will have the exclusive right to sell ads on the Crowder content on all platforms, channels, websites, apps, widgets, pages, and lists owned, branded, or controlled by us, and on any Crowder-owned or controlled social channels, email lists, websites, et cetera, uh, including louderwithcrowder.com. Uh, and it says uh, remuneration for that is included in the fee. So what does this mean? Well, this is just how are we going to make First, that at least bare minimum 50 million. And if you count the other things we were talking about, uh, 60 plus million, plus we knew he was going to negotiate. So you're probably talking about 70, 75 million plus infrastructure, plus marketing, uh, at least $100 million we would have ended up spending over the next four years. Well, how, how are we going to pay for all of that? Well, one way is we're going to sell ads uh, on all this content. And you know, this is how we handle all of our shows. Uh, he has to. Item B, Crowder will read the ad copy and promos as requested by us. 
though he'll have certain rights to disapprove of some ad sponsors um, in various for various reasons, right? He can approve to he can disapprove of like ten percent of the ones we bring him. He can disapprove if he owns equity and a direct competitor of one of the advertisers that we bring him. But point D, if he doesn't read the requested ads within that framework, then the content that he made won't be counted as delivered under the contract because it's all fine and good that he made a piece of content, but if we can't make any money off of it, then we're just paying him so that he can make a show. We're not paying him so that we can participate in any of the success of that show. Eight, ownership. This is a very important point. Daily Wire will own all of the content created herein and will own all of the DW created channels and brands created by us during the term. And to be clear, we can exploit those channels, brands, and content in perpetuity at our sole discretion. What does this mean? Well, it means just like all of the back catalog that Crowder would, would have been bringing over, we would have a license to have that all over at Daily Wire Plus during the four to six years that Crowder was here. But at the end of that four to six years, he would take all that content with him. A little bit different with the content that we're paying, you know, tens of millions of dollars for uh, during the course of, that content would always stay with us. We would have a sort of perpetual right to monetize that content even after Crowder would leave. And, you know, if if uh, Matt Walsh were to leave the Daily Wire, presumably at some date in the future, well, what does a woman would stay here? It was we paid for that. We paid for the marketing of it, the production of it. You know, we paid him for the time in which he created it. And so this contemplates something very similar. We would still have the right to the things that we make. As far as channels and brands, I'll get to that in just a minute because it's addressed more deeply as we go. Adaptation rights. All this says is that anything that Crowder says on any of this content, we can adapt it down into written content and put it up at uh, dailywire.com. So, you know, we already do a lot of this. You transcribe something that Ben says, you transcribe something that Michael Knowles says, and we can put that out as an article. They don't actually have to do the work of writing, rewriting their thoughts. 10, additional DW rights, merch rights. It says DW will maintain the exclusive right to create and sell Crowder and Crowder content branded merchandise. And the remuneration for that's already included in the, in the fee. So one of the ways that we can make money, put ads in a show. One of the ways that we can make money, sell uh, subscriptions around his content. One of the ways that we can make money is be responsible for his merch. Now that, that would mean that we have to pay for the creation of the merch, pay for the marketing of the merch, but we would own the upside. Email list. DW will maintain the exclusive right to manage, grow, and monetize all Crowder email lists during the term. You know, we have an enormous team here at The Daily Wire, and, and some of them full-time think about email. So that's a burden that we would take off of Stephen having to manage his own email list, just like we manage uh, and pay the expenses on the merch. But we'll, we'll get the upside of that. Remember, we're, we're trying to fill that 50, 60, 70, $100 million hole and, and to make profit. And the profit gets poured back in so that we can pay for all the infrastructure, all the technology, and all the other ways that we're, that we're fighting the fight. Social media management. This one was very, something that Steven seemed particularly aggravated by in his video, although I, I don't understand why. Uh, it says, DW will have the exclusive right to manage, curate, and monetize his official Facebook, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Snapchat, Rumble, and other social media accounts, excluding his existing personal Twitter and Instagram accounts. So why, why would we exclude some but not exclude others? Well, we're saying that during the term, we have, of course, he puts his podcast on Apple Podcast. We're the ones monetizing the Apple Podcast. So this is just making clear that, yes, if yes, we're selling ads in his podcast, the podcast goes out on Apple, Apple Podcast, that revenue comes back to us. Uh, we, we put 
something up on Facebook, uh, same thing. We bring in ad revenue off of that Facebook piece of content, but we're going to own that during the term. Obviously, at the end of the term, he's going to get his official Facebook account back. He's going to get his official YouTube account back. He's going to get his official Apple podcast uh, channel back. But during the term, again, all those people behind us, we've got experts in every one of these platforms, how to optimize it, how to make sure that you're getting the most out of it. Uh, and we'll manage that and we'll collect the revenue. But not as Twitter and Instagram, because those are very personal channels. You can't manage someone's Twitter. I can't speak for Candace Owens. I can't speak for Ben Shapiro. Uh, if only I could, they, I would like what they say a lot more. I mean, you know, as you know about Daily Wire, we, we have a lot of disagreements sometimes between our hosts. Presumably, if I could control everything that they say, there'd never be any disagreements. They would just all be right all the time like I am. But that's not the case. We're saying, of course, he needs to control his own Twitter voice. Of course, he needs to include his own Instagram account. You know, we get this a lot where people are like, you know, Jordan's Twitter has changed since he joined Daily Wire Plus. It's like, I have nothing to do with Jordan Peterson's Twitter account. I don't have login credentials for his Twitter account. I've never asked him to tweet anything or not tweet anything. That'd be way outside of the bounds of what's acceptable uh, because that's a very, the very personal medium, Twitter, very personal medium, uh, Instagram. It also says that we will have the perpetual and exclusive right to create, own, manage, curate, and monetize any and all social media accounts uh, that we create based on Crowder's content or shows. What is, what's that about? Well, Crowder already has enormous social channels. He's got like 6 million YouTube followers or something. I mean, he's one of the biggest voices uh, in the movement. But what happens if we create a documentary like What is a Woman? Well, sure, you've got you know, Matt's Facebook and Matt's uh, YouTube that are promoting What is a Woman. But we may also want to build a Twitter account you know, that is at What is a Woman or uh, a YouTube account that's just for clips from What is a Woman. Well, that, doesn't, that wouldn't belong to Matt. That would belong to us because What is a Woman belongs to us. And that's what this was meant uh, to say that all of the stuff that Crowder brings over, that's his, Louder with Crowder and all, you know, his Louder with Crowder accounts, all of that. Well, that's his. We're going to manage it for him during the term. We're going to monetize it during the term. At the end of the term, all of that's going to go back to him. He said that was not what it says in, in his video uh, that he released, but you can read right here. That's exactly, he gets all of, it's only during the term that we control that. But the things that we make based on the content that we make, well, that belongs to us because the content belongs to us. So those channels have to belong to us. Those would never match anything like the magnitude of the, of the channels he's created for himself, obviously. Uh, 11, exclusivity. Should go without saying, if you're going to pay somebody $50 million, you're going to have exclusivity. They can't go make content uh, for people who compete with you. You don't pay someone to go work for the competition. Uh, but there's carve-outs. Of course, he can go do non-regular guest appearances if Tucker wants to have him on. Uh, if Fox and Friends wants to have him on, if he wants to go do a hit with Glenn Beck or something, he can go do that. He should use good faith efforts to coordinate them with us. Uh, and this is important. See, he won't have the right to run any personal subscription or donation effort. He can't have a Patreon or a Locals or any sort of paid fan club while Mug Club is part of DW+. Right? We're, we're the ones who are going to own subscription revenue during the term. So I think all this is very fair and very obvious to anyone. You wouldn't pay somebody $50 million dollars uh, to then comp you know, compete with, have them work for your competitor, and you wouldn't pay them $50 million to have them compete directly against you. Now, here's this section that I know Stephen was very offended by, um, and I think, he, I think he misunderstood and therefore misrepresented. Fee reductions. 
There's a different fee reduction for all those kinds of contents we created. Daily content. If he fails for any reason to deliver 192 episodes of the daily show, or if he fails to include the ads that we agreed to or the promotions that we agreed to in those episodes, then we'll give a $100,000 reduction uh, every time. W what's that about? Well, again, you can't pay someone any amount of money, but you certainly can't pay them an unimaginably huge amount of money for their show and then not get the show. So what this is saying is you, you don't have to produce a show every day. You don't have to produce 260 or 250 or 240 or 230 or 220 or 210 episodes a year. You got to produce 192 episodes a year. You can film some of them in advance. You can stack them up. All of that's contemplated in there. Uh, you could shoot on a Friday so that you can take two days off next week. But if you don't give us 192 episodes, we, we can't pay you the same amount of money as if you did give us 192 episodes. So this is just, yeah, you give us 192 uh, times four minus one, then out of your 50 million, we're hitting minus 100,000. Steven said that this was unfair, that he that if he had a sick day or got in a car wreck, we'd dock him $100,000. But uh, I think that's just totally inaccurate for two reasons. One, uh, presumably if he was sick this Tuesday, he could just shoot an episode next Friday and you'd be completely even. He's got an awful lot of extra time in the year to shoot these additional uh, to shoot any episodes to make up. And second of all, it's actually contemplated a little bit later uh, what happens if there's a disability. In fact, we'll just skip right to it. It's, it's item E. In the event of temporary disability or serious illness that prevents Crowder from performing, the fee will be reduced on a pro rata basis, not subject to the fee reduction mentioned above. What does that mean? Well, instead of a sort of punitive fee because he's choosing not to do the right thing, in that situation, you'll just reduce it by dividing the total amount of money contemplated you know, by the number of episodes, just subtract that, which I think is, again, incredibly fair. If, if you're being paid a dollar for every box you deliver, you deliver 10 boxes, you get $10. If you deliver nine boxes, you get $9. That's a different concept than if you, if you just choose not to deliver it, in which case we're going to subtract a little bit extra. And again, you pay somebody $50 million, you should get the work. Monthly and quarterly content. Well, this is more valuable content and there's less of it, so the fee is higher, $250,000 if he misses that kind of content. Annual content, well, this is the most important, most expensive content. If you were supposed to have done a complete documentary this year and you didn't deliver it, well, we're gonna subtract a million dollars because that's one of the most important uh, high value pieces of content that we asked you to make that year. And then deed just says reset, the fee reduces each calendar uh, year. So, you know, every year you kind of start over you start over fresh. Uh, that brings us to 13, reduction of fee from lost revenue or boycotts. Again, this is one of the points that Stephen really focused on. He says we're enforcers for big tech, that we're doing big tech's bidding, that we're punishing content creators uh, if they run afoul of big tech. And first of all, that's just personally incredibly offensive. It's incredibly offensive to have your friend and ally uh, in, in 10 years of fighting this fight uh, alongside one another, coming up together, uh, say that you're not sufficiently conservative, say that you're, you're, I think he said in the video that we're worse than the left, that we're, that we're um, doing harm to the, to the conservative audience and harm to the country, uh, that we're not sufficiently at odds with big tech. You know, obviously that's ridiculous. You'll see that it's ridiculous as we go through this and I explain it. Uh, it should be, it's absurd on its face. We get content strikes all the time. We get demonetized all the time. We get shadow banned all the time, just like all conservatives do. Uh, we're 
investing tens of millions of dollars every year into technology to try to create alternatives, that, that's a long-term project. No one has built anything. Rumble is not a true competitor to YouTube yet. I hope that they become one. But right now, YouTube has many billions of people use YouTube uh, and many millions of people use Rumble. It's a long-term investment to build these alternative and Daily Wire Plus is an alternative platform but right now, we all still are dependent for getting our message out uh, to have access to big tech and to, to monetize our content. We have to have access to big tech. That's where the audience is, and it's where the money is. It's also where Steven Crowder has made his entire name. He's the biggest conservative YouTube star of all time. You know, he, he put out his video criticizing us in this contract as not being sufficiently uh, conservative the, the number one place people will view it is on YouTube. Uh, and that's not wrong. That's where people are. That's, of course they're going to watch it on YouTube. Of course he's going to put it out on YouTube. That's where the audience is. Now, Stephen might respond by saying, yes, but I don't make any money off of YouTube. I have been demonetized there. Uh, and that's a point that we'll talk about here. Uh, nevertheless, obviously, you and I and everyone else, when we go to YouTube to watch Stephen Crowder, Stephen Crowder may be demonetized and he may not make any money. YouTube, though, still makes money off of us. And so in that way, Stephen is still driving, he's still driving success for YouTube. It's unfortunate that YouTube has chosen to cut him out of participating in that success. In fact, in fact, I think YouTube is utterly wrong. The only time I've ever talked to the CEO of YouTube, it was to criticize her for her treatment of Stephen Crowder. I, I didn't even talk to her about the Daily Wire. I had nothing to say uh, at that moment about Daily Wire. But at that time, they had demonetized Stephen. Uh, and I used my one audience with one of the most powerful CEOs in the world uh, to tell her that what she was doing to Stephen Crowder was absolutely unethical and wrong. So what were we trying to accomplish with this section? But let's go through it. The reduction of fee from lost revenue, from boycotts, content strikes, or bans from major social media platforms. A, ad drop. If Crowder is boycotted or dropped by more than 50% of his then extant advertising partners, that is, if 50% of the money that he's making from advertisers is suddenly gone and we're not able to replace that revenue within 90 days, then his fee will be reduced by 25% until such time as the ad revenue has been restored for a period of 90 days, and then it would all reset. Steven says, all the left does is boycott our advertisers, so this just says to the left, uh, your boycotts work and we'll enforce it for you. We will punish the content creator for you. But this isn't about punishing the content creator. This is about if the Daily Wire is going to leverage I can't say, I can't stress it. Probably a hundred million dollars by the time you have marketing and infrastructure costs, by the time you pay for all the legal compliance, all the technology that it takes to support Stephen Show and Stephen Show, even at the price that we offered for it, which he would have wanted much more, at least a hundred million dollars. Uh, obviously, if the show makes dramatically less money, well, then Stephen has to make less money because we're making less money. And I brought this up to Stephen uh, on the phone, and, and I said, Stephen, if, uh, if your show, if we guarantee you $1, $1 for your show, and the show makes $1 in ad revenue and $1 in subscription revenue, then how does, it, how does the money work? Well, it works that $2 come in, you get your guaranteed dollar, we get a dollar. What do we do? What do you do with your dollar? Well, you produce your show and you pay yourself. What do we do with our dollar? Well, we market your show, provide all the back-end infrastructure, uh, pay for the 
plus humans who work to make all of this continue to grow. And by the way, we don't pay for one single person more than we need. Uh, there's no charity jobs. We're not giving our money away. Uh, if, if anything, we're understaffed by 50%. We ask more of our employees than any other company probably in America today. We drive people incredibly hard because our resources are limited and because we're trying to accomplish so much for our values, for our movement. Uh, so we pay for that out of our dollar and then we pay ourselves. But, you know, that's how, that's how it works. I said, if the next day, one of the dollars, the ad dollar goes away, now what happens? Should it be that you said something on your show that caused that one dollar to go away? Uh, now, you keep your one dollar and we make zero? I said, that wouldn't make any sense. Uh, obviously, you would have to lose a little and we would have to lose a little. I said, we're trying to sort of emulate the idea of a joint venture. And Stephen said, no, you should lose all the money. It's your business. And I said, well, Stephen, how, how would we have a business? Why, why would we be in business? Uh, and how would we stay in business? And Stephen, this is a very important point. Stephen, again, I think the most entertaining, uh, talented person in the conservative movement, I think one of the most entertaining and talented people in entertainment generally in the country today, has, has created a very successful content generation company, a very successful production company. But Stevens never had to create the company that actually distributes markets and monetizes all of that content. You know, he talks in his video about being one of the only true independent conservative voices. Uh, and I find that incredibly offensive. You know, Stephen, the whole time I've known him, has worked for someone else, uh, has been paid by someone else. That doesn't mean other people tell him what to say. He's a very independent voice, and, and that's good. So is Matt Walsh. So is Candace Owens. So is Ben Shapiro. They don't get deals that... They should be wage slaves for a little bit. Come over and make a salary and grow their brand. They should be wage slaves for a little bit. They should be wage slaves for a little bit. God bless the talk boy. Those things are worth like $5,000 now. It's an expensive gag. Um, so didn't want to have to do this, but Daily Wire out of themselves very, very quickly. And sure enough, if you see all of the people who, who work there, um, some of whom I have relationships with, uh, they immediately tried to make this all about money. Here's the problem. There are a few problems. And I'll go through with some receipts. Um, everything that was said about negotiations, how they transpired, beyond the numerical value, which is true and I'll get to, uh, everything else is untrue. I don't really want to get into that. It's completely irrelevant. Here's why. Go back to the 20-something minute video, 30-minute video. You've never heard me say or write anywhere online that these offers weren't paying enough money. Why? Because it's not about the money. It's, it's, it's kind of unreal to me that the only thing these people can still talk about is the money. The conversation was about conservatism, the movement, and big tech. They keep talking about money. I'm talking about a country. I'm talking about a movement. I'm talking about making a difference. It's not about the money. And Jeremy and the Daily Wire know that. How do I know they know that? Because after, according to what he said, you know, I walked away from the offer. I did place one more call to the Daily Wire. And I made it very, very clear that it wasn't about money. 
That was not the topic of conversation. There was zero, as they've tried to portray this, miscommunication. It was one last call where the only thing that I asked for, my only demand, was their word, and not even for me, but for other people coming up facing these kinds of contracts. Let's say it's a kid who comes in with 500,000 YouTube subscribers or something like that, 100,000. Let's say it's some other kid you're paying, you're paying six figures to come in and do it. There's, there's not the penalty of the demonetization or if they're removed from iTunes, Apple, YouTube. Yeah, sure there would be. And here's something else. I was also very measured. I was painstakingly clear in taking myself off the table because it wasn't going to be a right fit. That happens in business all the time. But that we weren't talking about me. We were talking about the futures of other people who could potentially be in that position, that very disconcerting position. No miscommunication. What I'm talking about is you're describing a model for everyone, a model for everyone, not just let's get, get rid of me here. Everyone, if there's a penalty for being demonetized on YouTube, because your business model requires that be a huge component of it, you need to change your business model or this movement cannot work, Jeremy. We, I can't imagine my show trying to come up and be beholden to YouTube advertiser guidelines, let, al let alone, I mean, honestly, being beholden from a conservative entity with hard strikes, right, being removed, but let alone being advertiser friendly. We know how broad those guidelines are. They, they might as well just read, don't say anything offensive, and they change them at the drop, drop of a hat. I'm not suggesting that the, that the uh, guidelines aren't terrible. I'm suggesting that if making money off of those platforms is part of how you're justifying the salary you're paying someone, then when, or the fee you're, oh, I keep saying salary, the fee you're paying someone, then when those go away, everybody loses money. You can't pay the same amount with less revenue. How about you create a different business model? Now, I, I, I know what some of you are thinking, of course, telling someone else, hey, hey change your business model. I, I get it. I'm in no position to say that unless instead of Monday morning quarterbacking it, um, here's the thing. I didn't just offer criticisms. I offered a guide on how to, here, here's the deal. I, I want to sit at the table with people who granted have an immense amount of power and have incredibly deep pockets. That is all true to be clear. And by the way, it's something that I want to have on our side of the aisle. But I offered a guide on how to do it. It is incumbent, this is what this is about. It is incumbent upon conservatives, if we believe what we say, to uncouple, to divest, if you want to use that term, from big tech, right? For the business models of the movement as we move forward to not rely on playing ball with Facebook and with YouTube, that is something that we have to move toward. You know that we've been trying to do that here for years. That's why every single show we say, hey, if you can watch on Rumble, please do so. We're not looking to be banned on YouTube, but at least we certainly won't compromise the truth um, in order to be advertiser friendly. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Daily Wire, Jeremy, and I really do hope that we can talk at some point. Please, you can pick up the phone. We've done that. We here have found a way to make that work. For proof, see election night, our numbers on Rumble there, and see the numbers on Rumble when we get suspended from YouTube. I think it was four times this last year, and I went to great lengths to communicate that to the people at Daily Wire. There can be no next me 
if the people at the top with with you know the financial resources are, are, are doing the bidding that's that's being the arm of big tech what you just said is well we have to play ball with big tech if we want to make money well i don't why don't you guys follow a model like i have and scale it that's that's what i've been doing since 2014 you know that has been trying to make sure which i thought we were all doing that we can all flip the bird to silicon valley this is saying we we need him and you need to play ball and by the way before some of you ask for this um look there's always personal information uh on on phone calls and uh, for the record i've recorded three people on phone calls in my life all three are involved with big tech just to be clear the entire call transcript has been sent to others to verify without hopefully having to release the whole thing. Um, and I'll be on uh, Tim Pool's show, I believe, on Monday to talk about it. Now, this is something else that's been brought to my attention, uh, that, uh, you know, look, some people have been sent out from, from Daily Wire and have gotten very, you know, very personal. Obviously, when we released this video, we, we didn't name names, and I told you there are a lot of people in the space who have made offers, and it is true. There are quite a few, and there are some others that have been pretty similar to this. This isn't um, an incredibly unique scenario, but there have been some good people out there too, and we're still talking with them. So I do know that some people from Daily Wire have sort of have come out, maybe been instructed to. I have no idea. I don't care. Uh, and they've gotten very personal. I don't want to do that. At least I didn't want to. But now it's sort of necessary for me to do so. Um, so these are the only personal things I will say about the people at Daily Wire. Uh, Andrew Claven is one of my favorite people of all time. He has an unbelievable skill to make you feel like the smartest guy in the room, even though I guarantee you he's smarter than you. There are very few people whose company I enjoy more than Andrew Clavin. Jordan Peterson is not only a friend, I would go to the wall for him. He's a guy who has changed the landscape of our country for the better. Can't say enough good things about him. Ben Shapiro is possibly the smartest person I know. That's as personal as I'll get. Now, here's the thing, only after that final call, after negotiations had followed through, uh, pleading on the side of principle and knowing that it was completely met with deaf ears, did I come out like I did? See, here's the thing, Daily Wire, they keep talking about a business. Well, I walked away from the table because I'm talking like it's about a country, about a movement. And this is the thing, the response that I've heard over the years, it's not just now, I've been doing this for a long time. You constantly hear, it's just business. It's just business. Well, guess what? It's not to me. Sure, I run a business, but it's not just business. And let me ask you, when have you ever heard someone say it's just business when they're doing the right thing? Ever hear someone give $250,000 to charity and say it's just business? And here's something that I would like to ask you, because I know that they've tried to play the identity politics and you know, misrepresent the whole uh, financial situation. But yeah, over the course of four or five years, the total operational budget, meaning 25, 30 employees, all of the costs, security, health insurance, would have been somewhere in the, uh, the, the $50 million ballpark uh, for that total operational budget. That is true. Okay. First off, I think it's a good thing for conservative companies out there to be gener generating or capable of generating far more than that It'd be better than just Disney and just Netflix and just Hulu Plus. And I'd like the people who are in charge of that to be people who are willing to walk away from that if it comes with strings attached, with people who hate everything you stand for. So let's take that at face value, okay? 
I want you to ask yourself this question, okay? Put yourself in my shoes. What would it take? How much do your principles matter to you? What kind of a headspace would you have to be in to walk away full stop from $50 million? Let me ask you even further. What would it take for you to be willing to walk away from at least $50 million because of it causing harm to someone else that doesn't even affect you? But the next kid, I've talked about this, you know, you have it in comedy. I don't, I'm never going to be the guy who pulls the ladder up after me. What motivates me is not money. Of course, everyone here likes nice things. They want to make a living. You've heard me say this many times. I want to pass the torch. I want there to be someone else to do this. It can't happen if this is how our movement is structured. And, and you know that, by the way, this could do irreparable damage to the movement, the country, and the people who've fought so hard for the ground gained if we've decided to get in bed with these people who want to strip it away. I'm asking, would you walk away? What would it take for you to walk away from $50 million? Because it's true. That's exactly what I did. It's exactly what I'm doing. And so long as these contracts out there include enforcement of big tech, of punishing, conservative creators on behalf of the people we claim to fight and the people who have long since demonetized us and can't stand me and part of me doesn't blame them. As long as these contracts include that, not even for me, but the next person, I wouldn't take a billion dollars. And certainly not if you understand in context when behind closed doors, I know and these people know and acknowledge exactly what's being done to the next generation of creators. Bench talent, young talent, they don't get deals like this. So they, get, they don't get deals that... They can be wage slaves for a little bit, come over and make a salary and grow their brand. That you then own? Well, I own parts of it. I don't own it. They can, when their contract's up, they can still go out and they'll still be famous. They can keep doing their show, so go do a show somewhere else. They'll be in a far, far, far better place. You helped make them. No, no, I'm not this contract. This contract owns it in perpetuity even after the contract. You're paying a lease but getting ownership. That's what this contract is. On the content that we paid to produce, yes. You know, look, I understand there are going to be differing opinions on this. I understand that. Um, as someone who does run a business and has to 20, I think maybe 25 employees, I don't know, we're expanding. Um, I understand people run businesses differently and have different priorities. Here's the thing. I, I would genuinely still, Daily Wire, Jeremy, love to sit down at the table and explain to you how you can make all of this work, how you can scale what we do and not have to be beholden to the people who, we, we all go out and claim that we're fighting, and especially with all of the financial resources that you have, which, by the way, are very impressive. And by the way, uh, since fielding requests for people who've sent this in uh, under, uh, who, you guys are under these kinds of contracts, right? You've sent in your emails. If you're looking uh, to either join a network or looking to navigate these contracts, we've been flooded. I'm going to try and get to all of you. But here's the thing. Let me give you my word right now. My word. Everyone, you can timestamp it. Call me on it. Here at Mug Club, we 
will never take any ownership over your social media platforms or your channels, and I don't want a dime ever of your YouTube revenue. You make your own decision as to whether you want to be monetized or not. Some people want to, some people don't. I just have a problem with requiring that you do and penalizing you if you don't. And to Daily Wire, to the rest of the people out there, give me a call and look, let me put it this way. If you give me your word, this is all that matters here. Just give me your word that there will never be a clause in a contract again for some unsuspecting kid or someone who doesn't have the luxury to walk away from $50 million, as I did, true, guilty as charged. Give me your word that you will not penalize them 25% for demonetization, another 20% for a strike, another 20% for Facebook, Spotify, Apple, up to 80%. Just give me your word that that clause, that that spirit will not be in any contract sent out to anyone else who's at the front lines fighting for this country, and we're done. All of this stops right now. You will never hear from me again. I will go out and sing your praises. You can pick up the phone. You have my word. That's all it is. That's all this is about. In the interim, to everyone else, stopbigcon.com, be a signatory. I'll see you uh, Monday. Tim Pool. So the question comes down to whether or not they will continue to use the same sort of contracts for future content creators. That's what he's essentially boiling with, boiling it down to at the end there. There's a lot to unpack. Um, and I'll certainly wait for Rich before I get into some of the extreme details, but there's you can look at it from both sides and find merit, veracity, and problems, uh, half-truths, straw manning, so forth and so on, depending on what side you look at it from. I, idealistically, I stand with in sympathy with Crowder, especially with what he's gone through over the past couple of years. Uh, he has been demonetized, deplatformed. He's gone through a number of situations, uh, whereby which I think he even once quoted the CDC itself and uh, lost his ability to stream on YouTube. I think mean, actually quoting the actual CDC. And this was during COVID. I forget the specific offense. And this is a number of situations. He would go over on a show with half Asian Bill Rich. Uh, to <laughs> see you laughing there. To talk about in specific, what were the issues? What guidelines with Twitter, with YouTube, with Facebook did they violate? And they get nothing. I mean, it's pretty much uh, sort of out of the... Oh, it's a famous uh, book by uh, Kafka, The Trial. I believe. Yeah. In regards to the idea of the sort of like modernist, the sort of like uh, existential plight in regards to the, the individual in Kafka's literary masterpiece has no idea what he's being charged for. Has really no, the system itself is pushing him around from one, one judge to another judge to another prison cell. He never gets a straight answer with anything. And it's sort of like that in regards to what he's been dealing with. The Daily Wire, the one thing that Jeremy Boring said that really left me with a lot of questions, uh, he kept saying, sorry, I dropped my note card, but this really, and Rich, I want to get your opinion on this. He kept saying, the hosts can say what they want. That's objectively not true. Right. He, Jeremy Boring said the hosts can say what they want. And they also said they've been demonetized. I have yet to see any substantial evidence they have been demonetized. Maybe, I'm sure they have been a little bit, 
but I would like to see the evidence that their clips have been substantially demonetized in some capacity where they aren't somehow still getting ad revenue, maybe not revenue from YouTube, but still ad revenue by using YouTube as sort of the host platform. Something's not right here. And the way he went through that contract was how a snake oil salesman uh, sells you on straw mans. All right. So, I mean, if you guys are really interested, you watch Crowder's whole piece, then you watch Jeremy's whole piece and you watch Crowder's whole thing that we just like sampled from each of those three. Right. Uh, LD, the next clips we're going to play, let's do uh Candace from Thursday night, Tim cast, then Patrick bet David, then dice, then JP, uh, Mark dice, not Andrew dice clay. It's not that type of show yet, but I, so the, the gist is daily wire makes seven ad reads. Right. Those are things that are making Crowder really nervous. He does one ad read per show. He has one sponsor, this whole format. Right. But with Daily Wire, everything looks like a nail when all you have is a big hammer that knows how to drive revenue. Right. So the whole contract, the whole term sheet, rather, is is driven around Daily Wire's need to make their money back on their investment. And the only way they know how to make their money back is through the placing the ad spots. Crowder's pushing back against that because he's like, hey, freedom. And he's done this thing since 2014 and he's built mug club following and all these sorts of things. Problem is uh, the Blaze, CRC or whatever it used to be, uh, the Blaze owns his email list club. They own all that content. But Crowder has a big audience. Crowder has people on YouTube, five or six million. He's got people on Rumble. He's got people on Twitter, right? So he does have an audience. But he's his audience list is locked up that will subscribe to wherever I go to, right? I don't see really if it's between me, you, and you know the audience out there, Tony. I don't see why this is going on in the first place. Let me show you some easy math. I don't know. Again, maybe I'm seeing this wrong. Maybe we need to think it out together. Maybe the chat will help us out. Let's say Crowder has 300k on his list. Right. People interested. He's got 6 million, let's say 300 people, 300 K they're interested in mug club. He charges a hundred dollars per year. That gives him 30 million per year times four hundred twenty million dollars. He doesn't owe daily wire and he, he is owning his own business at almost, I mean, that's over two times what they offered him. So this is without Daily Wire, what he could be making without seven ad reads, without changing his format, without having to do anything except maybe put some more money into infrastructure to support your 300,000 mug club members and deliver that content that you're already paying for production and have your own studio and have his, has his own personnel. So why well, doesn't he a- shop this number, you know, take that real number. So it, let's say he has in reality, 180 K on that list. Well, you do some marketing and you get that 300K so you can get this 120 over four four years and be 100% your own boss. Nobody tells you what to do at any given time. Nobody cares if you're demonetized or whatever. Your audience has direct connectivity with you. And this is what we've been teaching people for years. Get off the social media, get your own email list, know who your clients and customers and audience are, make them offers directly and be self-reliant, be autonomous. And I don't know why, you know, that's not coming up in anything that we're about to play. Well, that's that's extremely brilliant. And that's, you know, I stand with uh, principle 
I sympathize strongly with Crowder and I, I stand with him in principle at what he's trying to uphold, which is the right of free speech. Um, something that Jordan Peterson, now part of the uh, Daily Wire, would admit is the greatest innovation uh, the West had to offer the world. And once that's gone, we lose every semblance of freedom and tyranny will pro proliferate and consume because anything that is censorship now, is the ultimate refuge of the cowards. That needs so I agree. Stephen is standing good but, ground on free speech, but business wise, it doesn't make sense. And no, I business understand wise, you're right. You're a hundred percent. I don't mean to cut you off, but you're apps. I just want to. You're one thousand percent. This is where it shows that he's not a businessman. This is what, and that's exactly what you just showed in the, your diagram there. Um, spelling because he could have, if he understood it as an also and rather than an either or, instead mm -hmm. of making it an us and them sort of situation, which is what he did, he created an enmity when he could have created possibly a friendship and a new oh, way yeah. for for Daily Wire to think about their their model, their business model. Now it doesn't. My guess is he probably in the private. This is just a speculation in his private communications with Jeremy. There's no way. They're probably contractually obligated by their own advertisers. Like they're not going to be able just to overturn the model overnight. And that's what I think Steven wants. Steven's like, I'm ready. And Daily Wire is not ready. And then they could right. just let it go. But at the same Daily time, Daily Wire, it, although it's a newer company, is based on a dinosaur uh, revenue model that plays into the censorship, plays into all the Wojcicki, yep. all, all that sort of stuff. And this right here, this points to freedom. And that points to think of all like think Stephen could have his own daily wire media platform competitor, right? If he played it this way and he could still be friends with them and be symbiotic. Whereas now he's almost declared war because he didn't want to have lawyers getting involved and, and push the terms. Yeah. I think back like, and forth. it's, he didn't handle it very well, but at the same time, he didn't handle it as best as he could have, but he did on this private conversation say, there is another model. I, I wish he would have brought the numbers. About right, he didn't have a PowerPoint of, presentation. Right, he doesn't have a webinar to be found. like, Jeremy, here's how you can see my vision and take it on and, and let's exactly. do some business. Exactly. So again, um, but this was all surprising to me because Crowder is a, a child actor who's been in the industry. Like he used to be on that. Uh, I, don't, I forget Arnold or Arthur. Arthur. He was on Arthur, I think, oh, okay. that kid's show. So uh, he's had experience. His dad was in high finance contracts, these sort of things. Term sheets shouldn't be a big surprise to him. But apparently it caught him either at an emotional time or this has been a four-month timeline that's been compressed down in the last week because those offers and he said no. And then he called Jeremy last week and then all this, kind of, but he bought the website for BigCon back in December. So there's like this interesting part of the timeline there as well I mean, so the gist is he could be autonomous independent not have to deal with daily wire not building up all this kind of drama out there that's not good for anybody in the freedom movement because davos is over there trying to take our rights actually they're doing it because people are fighting over stuff like this so it could be easily resolved and you know marketing bro I mean, well, there's a lot of different sort of theories you could generate from this. One is the fact he bought the big con. Was he always planning on knowing that he was going to leave the blaze to sort of create this this, uh, this unfortunate dichotomy in order to bolster his own brand so he can then galvanize the, the community by dividing and conquering it, ironically, which is tragic, uh, and exactly what the powers that be do to us all the time, whether mentally, emotionally, spiritually, so forth and so on. Is he doing that to build his brand so he can then take his email list that he doesn't have control over with the blaze, but can re rebuild it and then go whatever he wants and do whatever he wants. That's one theory. I I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say he probably isn't. I don't 
I hope, let me just say, I hope that's not that theory. Another theory is that he really was blindsided by what he thought was an ally in the industry. Having a, he's very good friends, at least he was with Ben Shapiro. I mean, they used to hang out. They were he, uh, Ben very used close. to be his lawyer. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, like they were very close. Um, uh, he mentioned Andrew Clavin. Uh, he's close. He's when close he talked nice about those guys, the only person he didn't mention was Jeremy Boring. Exactly. Interestingly, and and also um, Jordan Peterson. I would just qualify and say I think Jordan Peterson's a lot smarter than Ben Shapiro. But nonetheless, like Jordan Peterson um, was went on a show many times over, especially in the beginning of when Jordan's was sort of uh, ousted. Jordan Peterson didn't need to hear that as a shibboleth. <laughs> well played. So that's another theory is that he was just so blindsided about what he thought was duplicity with essentially the the. The Daily Wire saying one thing, but then doing another. They promote themselves as being a bastion of free speech. They call themselves center right. They're trying to be a mixture of like Fox News meets Disney with supporting what they call tradcon or the, the culture calls tradcon or traditional conservative, religious conservative, Judeo-Christian values through media, particularly. They're really trying to gain. So, you know, like from the Daily Wire's perspective, um, he thought that considering that they are part of this movement, that they would be more honest about the way in which they would go about helping to support major figures or up and coming figures, up and coming talent, up and t- up and coming content creators in this space and be a little bit more transparent and not operate on a dinosaur model. But that's how the Daily Wire from day one, if I can say, to be honest, have always been consi- always been consistent with the fact that they are one, a conservative news platform Two, they are utilizing, they're essentially re recreating uh cable tv on youtube there they have With a judeo-christian flavor because yeah. the rest of the outfit is secular out there so they're like we got this nice niche right and they also appealed to a younger generation with ben shapiro and then the michael knowles and so forth and then even matt walsh is a little younger so they they get to the especially go, focusing on the culture they got big by focusing on the culture what i consider the lowest hanging fruit philosophically theologically epistemologically and we can go on that's part of philosophy we can go on and on about that now did they have meetings with netanyahu like uh glenn beck did well i know he's part of the sunday special i'm pretty sure netanyahu was on right. ben shapiro's sunday special not to mention ben shapiro's property in israel and is an ardent zionist so there's other questions with the daily wire but right. they're du- du- i think their duplicity i'm going to speculate is what really caught crowder off guard in regards to are they just as i think alex jones reiterated when I listened to it later this week, because I've listened to pretty much all the commentary around it, they're just gatekeepers at the end of the day. They're willing to play ball. And one thing Crowder's right is that, you know, you're essentially centering a contract around and really penalizing people heavily around whether or not they can or can't say certain things. This has been the last three years of my show has been getting taken down for things I can't, I don't even know because they don't give me, as I use the analogy to Kafka's The Trial, an explanation as to why I'm being taken down half the time. And they, in his half Asian bill, uh, or half Asian, it was a half Asian lawyer. Is it Rich or Bill? Something like that. I forget. Bill Richmond. Bill Richmond. Bill Richmond. That's what. Yeah. They would always come on and say like, "This is what we get." And then they try to appeal that, and they get no communication, or it gets tied up, and then nothing. By the time it's you get any word on it, they're already back on the platform. That's the game the big tech plays, and Crowder knows that. Um, you know. Well, you can so- also have Crowder Fest or the Crowder Conference, and you get all these people together so you got this mug club bringing in plenty of money for production not penalizing you for days off 
right? The subscribers themselves to this model, much more lenient. You tell them yeah. you want to take your family to Europe and you're going to make some documentary on the founding father or whatever's going on, Benjamin Franklin in Paris. You could do that with this model. You can't do that with Daily Wire. You also, like right. if you, if at the end of Daily Wire, you also don't have your email list. They own all that stuff, just like That's you just correct. got screwed at the blaze, bro. So looking at this self-ownership thing, self-responsibility, like the question is, can you figure out how to have a tech platform that supports 300,000 people paying $100 a year for your mug club subscription? And if the answer is yes, pass, go, collect your 200 bucks, stay away from the Daily Wire's offer because you guys seem to have some bad blood right now. I hope you guys work together in the future. You know, there's also another question of social media ownership. I thought this was a little bit, um, this is a classic sort of straw man that- uh, We're about to uh, learn about Daily Wire's relationship with big tech and how much money they spend on Facebook advertising. Yeah. Just a couple of videos away. Well, even even just the, this is a straw man that uh, Jeremy Boring sort of built up is that he owns his own social media. That's true. He does own his own social media accounts, but they're going to then create anything they finance. Right. They'll create a social media Daily account Wire for. plus account for Crowder and it's exactly. their perspectives on the stuff. They do the same thing for a lot of people. And in some I people, would... they take over their actual accounts for that time yes. and then you get it back. Right. But who wants that? Like, I don't want my Twitter back. After but I think Daily it's Wire worse than posting. that. I think we need to consider the possibility. One thing Crowder didn't mention, nor Jeremy Boring, is I want to know the details about what happens if Crowder's personal account gets flagged or banned. And it affects all the other accounts associated with it, including the Ooh. ones that Daily Wire controls. And that's why I think it's a bit of a straw man, because not maybe on both their parts, uh, or they just haven't gotten to the essential characteristic is like, what happens if these types of scenarios happen? Because there's going to be the edge conditions, the boundary conditions, where we're going to be able to define what how, what ownership looks like of these accounts. Well, I get penalized if I say something on my personal account, but then it affects what Daily Wire has set up as an account. That's a major question because that's a lot of ad revenue that all of a sudden they're losing and they could just go to the stipulation, whatever clause it was under in the contract and say, well, we lost revenue because you said something on your personal account that affected what the account that we control. And so you can see all these stipulations that Jeremy Boring did a very clever job, neglected aspects, straw man, just not dealing with in regards to the because he's reality really just that Crowder brings with him. So as a for instance, yeah. uh, Crowder does uh, ask me anything or one of those tabletop things. He's at a university, right? He says something, it gets him canceled on all the tech platforms. Yep. He didn't actually say something on those tech platforms, but it's just like Alex Jones when he cornered the Oliver Darcy. Exactly. Dude, right. And because of what exactly. he said is now outward transferable and that that rips a whole bunch. So what I'm detecting here as I analyze this business situation is that Jeremy Boring actually has a huge vulnerability in his infrastructure. And instead of making Crowder adapt to your broken infrastructure that is severely vulnerable from tech censorship, and the tech censorship is not freedom's friend, Jeremy. So you're going to have to make decisions, I guess, over there. Compromised I values. And you you were in that position, Rich, 20 years ago, 25 years I got ago. here. And I didn't take the and, money. And you stood for principle. Yeah. And that's that's why I worked with you. That's and that's why, why we don't have now. sponsors on the show. This show can actually sponsor other things. And that's why I'm sympathetic to Crowder's plate. Hopefully it's genuine. I, it seems to be genuine. We'll see the, what the fallout comes from all of this. But right now I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because I'm going to stand for those who have principles and act on those principles, not just talk the talk, but walk the walk. And Crowder right now is seemingly calling out not only a dinosaur model, but a model I think that the... Uh, that the Daily Wire is profiting from handsomely uh, in regards to, I mean, he talks the one thing. Job. 
the one thing that Jeremy kept coming back to is money. And the one thing Crowder made apparent in this taped conversation, it's not about the money. This is about principle. And they don't see, he didn't, Jeremy did not seem to care about that whatsoever. And they're sort of recapitulating for a younger generation that's used to YouTube, the the, the cable TV model of advertisements, of kowtowing to your ad. If, if it's not YouTube, it could be your advertisers down the road. Because maybe your advertisers toe the line between left and right. You know, maybe they don't want you saying something bad about LGBTQ. It's unlikely because they obviously go against it so heavily. So you're going to get advertisers that don't care about those sorts of things. But still, you can see how easily this can be compromised. And it has been compromised. We brought up before we even played those clips, the fact that we almost never played Daily Wire clips. We played plenty of Steven Crowder clips because he's allowed to speak his mind openly, do deep dives into specifically even what the CDC or FDA or WHO or even WF he's done a little bit on will say. And that the I think... I saw Ben Shapiro a couple months ago for the first time ever acknowledge the WEF's existence and say, yeah. oh, yeah, it's very troublesome. We played it on this yeah. show, in fact, because they finally did. The two years, three years after the fact, I mean, give me a break. They're, just they, like COVID, right? And he, like a lot COVID. of smart people watch exactly. him because they think he's smart, but he's only as smart as he takes his audit. Like, that's, that's, there's limits, there's boundaries on that stuff. Crowder's boundaries more of what he understands, which is way beyond the status quo's boundaries of the narrative, right? Right. And then there's, you know, in my guess, original researchers who are looking into the documents and yeah, it, it might be a little bit more accurate. And this sort of, end, yeah, hundred percent more accurate, hundred percent. And to sort of close this loop, I think the model, model you're representing, again, this is speculation. This is a speculation, but I just can't help but wonder, considering that the conversation went on so long, four or five months behind the scenes, it yeah. was a registered domain in December, which means Crowder seemingly already hit an impasse. That's what I'm going to And didn't come of, up with a better idea. That's the other thing, man. Well, I think he like had that. the I'm going to say, I'm going to throw a curveball and say, maybe he did represent the better idea. And the Daily mm. Wire actually might not have said, no, we're, we're already in bed with our advertisers. We're already in bed with the model that's making us a lot of money. It gives us the greatest potential to become a mixture of yeah, Fox and Disney. It's easy. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas Crowder's saying you're going to have to take a big risk, but the reward could be many times over and get you to the place you want to be Daily Wire much more quickly. And they do have a subscription model. They do. So, I mean, it would all juxtapose, we'd have to juxtapose their own subscription model the daily wires that is to their ad revenue. Maybe they're like, wow, yeah, we, we tried the subscription model. We do what you do and we still make tons from the ad. Why can't we do both and make tons of money? Which means they're willing to sacrifice their values for money no matter what, ultimately. Well, my other puzzling point of this is Crowder's coming into this deal with his catalog, his reputation, yeah. and almost enough subscribers to pay for the whole thing already without doing any ad placements, these sort of things, right? Jeremy's also got to know because if Crowder doesn't have 300k uh, already on his list waiting to subscribe, Daily Wire could make that happen. So this number, 120 million, is definitely real to Daily Wire. Even if Crowder doesn't know how to market whatever he's got on his list and grow that list, you might do like a bring a friend package. There's all sorts of creative ways you can reach out to the people who are on the list and find, hey, if you bring in five friends, we'll give you this deal and you'll put your name on the wall. They will get some special football phone. You mean we'll use marketing is the idea. Yeah, they have they have know? good digital marketing there. I mean, they 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 aren't like totally ignorant of digital marketing, the Daily Wire that is. So if Tony and I are writing up, a, if we work at the Daily Wire and we're writing up a term sheet for Steven Crowder and we know without Steven Crowder doing seven ad reads and monetizing his whole catalog with ad reads, just with his email list and people who are like known to be interested in mug club, we got $120 million we can offer him. 
it's also kind of shitty to just offer him 50 and kind of do all these other things. Instead of saying, this is Steven Crowder. We actually want to close this deal. Term sheet. We have our usual, what we would give people. Let's meet him halfway and not make him jump through hoops like we might do with a new person. And that, like, I want to ask you show him a more realistic picture and yeah. show him, hey, Steven, before we even do this thing at Daily Wire here, you've already got this sitting on the table. Maybe you should just take that because if you don't like our deal, like, you know, this is sitting there. You already have this. And I know we're going to get to this in the, the upcoming clips, but I just want to ask you a question because I know you have expertise in business. You know, I have expertise in business. So we know what a contract situation looks like. We've been a part of them. I've been a part of many. I know you've been a part of many. It is true. And the, the dinosaur model, the old model, the model has probably existed not just for hundreds of years, but arguably thousands, because contract law is as old as civilization Goes itself. back to Babylon. Exactly. 100%. It does. And it all has to do with one thing and one thing only, limiting liability. Right. Everything has to do with you're trying to get the best deal for yourself. Hence why lawyers make so much fucking money. <laughs> That's, that's, lawyers limit your risk autonomy helps you unlimit your potential you have to balance it right and so lawyers come in and they fight on behalf of you spend buku money on them as they go back and forth racking up their billable hours until they finally come to some sort of agreement and it isn't it's an old model it's not the most ethical model um, but there is that element like the patrick bet davids which i don't disagree with this because i know what that's like we've had contracts written up in our business specifically to limit our liability in the most absurd ways and our even our lawyer said to us they're going to come their own lawyer team is going to come back to you and revise half of this and i'm like okay um that's the way the game is played in traditional business i think where crowder is perturbed where he's perturbed is like i get that's a part of traditional business but i am one stephen crowder two we are friends and three we're fighting something bigger than just yeah, we have common There's enemy. Money. We have a common enemy that, quite frankly, is winning, What's and it's kind of wartime. So it's war, yeah. So that's what I think his. That's why he's like, we need to stand for info war more than info standard war. info war. Yeah. yeah. Just but you get my point, though. It's like it's so I can see why and sympathize more with Crowder in that capacity because and you because you sacrificed everything to recognize that there's something bigger than this the the old school way of doing a contract. Yeah, everything was if it was peacetime. You know, and there people weren't manipulating people's minds, hearts, well, and souls I, all the time. I traded out lower level priorities to preserve higher level ones like there integrity. Go. There you go. So I think it's just a it's a short sight when people look at it purely from market forces, because that is how the market operates. You do everything you can to limit your liability. And a Patrick Bet David, which I agree and I see his position because I operate in that. And I know he's operating in that space. I know you've operated in that space, but I think there's something different. There's something bigger that Crowder's alluding to, which has to do with the First Amendment. And mm -hmm. the idea of human autonomy, volition, the thing that makes us human in the first place, our ability for free speech, free thought, free inquiry. This is the linchpin upon which all of Western civilization and all of the, the rights of the individual and natural law really rests upon this one thing. Can I speak my mind without a fear of a threat of force? And let me ask this question. If Crowder takes a 50 million from Daily Wire, doesn't he sacrifice all the things that make him kind of crowder exactly. like the ability to call out fauci and uh the chick who runs youtube wajinski like the things that they do on that show are are cutting edge and avant-garde and much very necessary in a free yes. society and if he has to milk toast his whole thing down to fit the needs of that contract then it goes silicon valley and world economic forum to daily wire to crowder all that enforcement follows flows straight down which is what he's pointing out. Exactly. So it's cow telling to big tech. 
and he's prostrating before the hierophants or overlords that is big tech, just in a very subtle form. Uh, to and it, it, this is the ends justify the means argument that the Daily Wire is like sort of uh, intrinsically promoting because they're saying, well, we need this in order to build the brand to get to the point. He, he heard in Jeremy Boring said it specifically. We need YouTube because you have billions of people flood YouTube, whereas only millions of people flood Rumble. And, you know, so we so they can't they're operating in the scarcity mindset to your point, yes. Rich, where they cannot yeah. see outside the box in which they currently reside or exist. So and, that's why it makes Jeremy's comments look and seem reasonable in this logical business box. But it's a straw man. It's all a big fucking straw man. And he should know better. That's, that's the I'm, other bothersome point point about yes, this. But he looks, how do you get to be that dude and not know these angles? Right. Why, why do we on our playtime hobby show here know these things? <laughs> well, that's yeah, if why I could, I if I could interject yeah, just just yeah, yeah. briefly. Oh boy. Yeah. Well, it's I'll just have to be a disembodied voice. Let's just go with that. But it LB should just in the be noted. Room pushing too many buttons. Well, yeah. It's just it's whatever. Um. Um. It should be noted that you know Stephen has a history of using and abusing people in his past that that helped him get to where he is. And uh, one such individual that he kind of kicked to the curb. And if we want to talk about, you know, defending principles or the, the right to not be aggressed against for speaking your mind. Owen Benjamin. Owen Benjamin that- was kicked to the curb. Now, there's somebody that, uh, like a pioneer, if you will, who faced uh, a shutdown of, of pretty much any form of uh, income, you know, and he, he had places that he rented Airbnb. He was kicked off Airbnb. So the irony is that, um, you know, Owen executed kind of what you're laying out there, Rich, with uh, unauthorized and with uh, his Bertaria community. And they do events and they, you know, they've successfully sued Patreon. Um, And, you know, there's, there's a model, Stephen, um, there's something to learn from an old friend. So, uh, yeah. Uh, didn't Owen used to write for Crowder? <clears throat> he did. He did for $35 an hour until he started talking about Israel and NASA. And that was the end of the road. Yeah. That's, and, um, so, you know, uh, Owen, out, I thank you. He hit the invisible wall. There's, oh, there needs to be said, you know, that crowd, I don't really agree with a lot. I mean, this is actually something we brought up on. Is everyone still there? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. I kind of locked up there. It's something that we brought up on the town hall many times because people come in and ask us, you know, aren't always that keen on Crowder is a eclectic taste. It's a, you know, it's uh, not, it's not for everyone. And it's, I think he's growing more and more palatable to more people over time, but to LD's point and to many that have come on the town hall and expressed discontent um, in regards to us playing some of Crowder's clips. I don't agree and uh with much of what with a, a lot of what crowder proselytizes particularly in regards to his religious convictions and faith and part of that is he kowtows to the traditional sort of modern day the judeo-christian narrative which has been actually co-opted only in the past couple decades to be well the world council of churches and the dulles brothers in the 20th century helped to commandeer that so i agree with you wholeheartedly and I'm more there for the message than the messenger. Yeah, exactly. That's how I am. And Owen Benjamin needs to be held a little bit accountable too, because he's a little bit of a firecracker. Um, he's gone off and sometimes I think belligerently against previous hosts, previous individuals that I think behind closed doors, it's probably not very easy. Now he, it, 
could be said and defended by Owen Benjamin is that that's because he's been so abused and rightfully so. Yeah, he's, and I'd like he, to. Yeah. He and he has been. He has been because I because like when Allison Morrow his, tried to interview him, you could tell his like, mind. Yeah. Well, he had a little chip on his shoulder because he's used to being mishandled, and then it took him a while to warm up and be like, okay, yeah, we're, we're we can have a conversation now. Right. And first off, dude, he's a brilliant comedian. He's oh, a brilliant, yeah. absolutely talented musician. Yeah, very. Uh, I mean, first off, like in the fact that he can make up stuff and play the piano and make people laugh at the same time, it's like a triple talent score, right? Does he go and grab the third rail? Yes, but he's a comedian who has a license to say whatever the fuck he wants at any given fucking time because that's his fucking profession and he fucking chose it for himself. And who are you to tell him what he can't say? Right. So I think there's the problem with thing. Owen Benjamin is he hasn't been very, um, he does, he's not, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, reserved he has or that's not the word i'm looking for like he hasn't had the quite the the quite the uh, disposition or fortitude or metal to be able to handle what he was up against and i think he lost his shit one too many times early on i used to be a big fan of his until he really went south and a lot of very strange areas in particular his, his religious faith and like calling out certain groups and individuals that were rightfully should be should be called out but then agreeing with or believing in a lot of fantasies and a lot of like very avant-garde ideas that only marginalized what he was doing that much greater and so that's where i started getting very questionable in regards to i mean he started uh, essentially going after alternative media producers for a while too that quite frankly had little to do in regards jay dyer he went after no, jay they dyer. had beef Oh my God! Uh, too like, a, and then he had he didn't make intelligible points against Jay. Jay, I don't think that's necessarily did a great job against him, but like he's he's a little bit too much of a firecracker. Doesn't have a reserved enough disposition to understand how to interact with complex ideas and personalities in a way that would have built his brand better. And I think he he kind of marginalized himself as much as he was marginalized by other people. And he'd be a great case study and an example of what you don't want to be when you're on in the forefront of a new emerging sort of way of well, communicating in some ways ideas. he was like the dave Chappelle or kanye before yeah, that's true that said it because he basically was calling out hollywood probably after Chappelle left Chappelle's show right it was like after that but he didn't get any recognition for that because he's a tall white dude right. okay right? That's right but he doesn't need hollywood he's he restructured his life in a very healthy way has all these uh in real life meetups and has oh he know, did that yeah and he did that I, so like he, that's a very healthy response grounded. to an unhealthy situation and yep. he's uh had a journey i'm sure too i mean from what i know of following his work over years because he's a fan of the ultimate history lesson like he was tweeting oh, yeah. about that one time i used to be i, so I think to owen's credit the the community that he's inspired and sort of the what he was forced to do getting off grid kind of uh building a, a homestead uh there's a lot of positive value and and the people that have have coalesced in that community i mean you could ask scott about that he's he's kind of met up with, sure. with some of those people that's very powerful other- that's that's people that are building together and helping enable that sort of self uh i mean the kind of stuff we talk about that self-reliance in the real self-reliance world. yeah Exactly. Well, the other thing is they banned Owen before he was like the, um, you know how they froze Han Solo in preparation to catch Luke Skywalker. Well, in preparation to get Alex Jones, they're like, can we do it to Owen Benjamin? Can we, can we ban him on Airbnb? Is that something we can collude all these companies and ban? He was before Alex. Well, him and Stefan Molyneux. 
Astro before Alex. Yeah. So they they did like a test run of the most extreme voices and and on major. Yeah, peaceful parenting is so. And then they went to Alex Jones and some of the peaceful parenting is so extreme and so threatening to the new world order. They need you to beat the children, take them, beat them. And I agree with bugs with them. So like I've watched both the best and worst of Owen. I know LD, you've been a bigger fan than I have and have followed him much more uh, strongly than I have. But for a long time, I was a huge, huge fan of Owen Benjamin going back many years. And when I saw his downfall, I'm really glad to learn that he found a way to rebuild himself by actualizing the ideals and principles he he intends to live. And I think if anything, that's really grounded himself and given him the ability to actually find find peace with the tragedy of what happened to him. And some of the mishandled situations that were probably, you know, uh, where blame could be placed all around, both on him and on the on the bad actors that were he associated with or the individuals he, and businesses he associated with at the time, especially because it was such a complex environment where all of it was happening out of nowhere. The shadow banning um, people stole his jokes first, though. Yeah, no, that's true. Oh, yeah. And that still goes on, from my understanding. And sometimes uh, you guys got to talk offline, but uh, LD gets his milk from the man himself and tony oh, really? you're a big big uh natural milk you know mm-hmm. not pasteurized yeah, raw well. milk oh it's illegal out there i'm telling you man raw milk is yummy and yeah, then other stuff in the store tastes like water yeah, that's gonna yeah to i'm i'm a milker i'm a part-time milker myself hell yeah and i and i transport it um it's like I had, modern day bootleggers oh i have to give owen credit Owen is how the Owen is the conduit to me finding Richard Grove's work and Jay Dyer's work simultane, simultaneously bringing up uh, John Taylor Gatto. And, uh, you know, prior to that, I, I was sort of, I was listening to people like Glenn Beck and, and found Steven Crowder. And that's how I found Owen Benjamin. And, and when, <clears throat> when the, uh, when Crowder went to the blaze and I kind of saw like, oh, these people don't talk about certain things. And I'd been introduced because well, they got rid of not not gay Jared. He used to be well, a thing right back. You know, then. I, I was introduced. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd love somebody to take uh, Crowder to the mat about not gay Jared and Sven computer someday. But um, I was just saying that, you know, I found, oh, here's some people talking about history that it just blew open the paradigm that I thought I knew. I thought I was a fan of history. And so then when I see people that are withholding information, you know, <laughs> I stop supporting that. And, uh, you know, I, well, that's all I have to say. <laughs> so, no, I mean, there's are you telling the to audience be... to super chat tomorrow night during Timcast and ask about these things, or are we trying to help Crowder stay in business? I just want to make sure we got straight. <laughs> That'd be pretty interesting to see if, uh, the, uh, super chats about not gay Jared would get blocked. Like, uh, what were the super it's chats? Interesting uh, experiment. Oh, On one that? hand, he has $120 million if he can figure out how to facilitate the marketing for that site, and you could do that, dude. Or uh, there's not gay Jared questions on the table, too. When I Candace think, Owens yeah, was pay. on the other night, the uh, the term social autopsy was being blocked from being used in the Super Chats. That was an That's interesting right. thing. Wow. That's right. Yeah. Wow. You know, yeah. it needs to be... I want to piggyback what you said there ld because i do agree with you um for a long time it actually took me a long time to support steven crowder and even then he has some he has some major major blind spots he's sort of like a daily wire a little he's like a tenth he's like a 10 percent of daily wire in the sense that he'll talk about most everything 
But even Steven Crowder has a couple things he won't talk about. Now, he may argue what he won't talk about is based on principle related, related to his Judeo-Christian faith because he's bought the unfortunate uh, modern-day paradigm that the Christians are essentially subservient, um, should prostrate themselves before Judaism no longer Christian and Zionism soldiers. and specifically. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And so that you're you're exactly right there. There are certain things that Crowder won't talk about. He claims it's because of his faith. And maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but you are right. Still, regardless if it's his faith or not, he he um you he will not talk about certain things. For the most part, though, if you contrast it to the Daily Wire, he looks like a bastion of free speech. That's the scary thing. So right. it's uh <laughs> it's weird. It's a weird phenomenon because they both are sort of guilty of the same thing. Uh, they're, they're they're claiming of each other, or Stevens claiming of Daily Wire in this case, but just on a different, much different degree, if you will. All right. So you guys saw the first three clips and then we just talked about those. Now you're going to see a couple more clips on the same topic, uh, different tactics and areas of responsible substantive information to be had here. So the first we're going to take 10 minutes from Tim cast last Thursday night, Candace Owens. She works for the daily wire. She signed one of those contracts. She pushed back. It was interesting to talk about her six month contract negotiations with them. Right. So there's a couple minutes in there. We'll just sample that and know that she talked probably for a half hour on that topic. If you want to go see the whole Tim cast, it's on Tim cast IRL. Uh, next clip, we're going to hit Patrick bet David. It's short and sweet. He makes a really good point. Crowder didn't pick up on that point. And it, asked, it begs a question, having been a child actor, how did he misunderstand term sheet and like treat it like a contract? Right uh next andrew dice no mark dice Dice. he's going to talk about daily wires investment in uh social media how close they are to the tech lords uh give you some numbers mark dice also has been uh independent uh creator for 10 or 15 years he's not getting 50 million dollar offers so there's you know People who stand on principle and say what they need to say to communicate truth to their audience. And they know there's never a hope of getting an offer from, from Daily Wire because you got to grab the third rail on a consistent basis and actually communicate this stuff in a salient, cogent way. And, uh, you know, in, in Dice's case, he lets people just make fools of themselves on the boardwalk most of the time out there. <laughs> oh, those, uh, those, 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 those answers from Californians. Anyway, uh, <laughs> and then the last is uh, JP, who brings together some solid business points. Uh, JP Sears, not Jordan Peterson, JP Sears. Um, and uh, he actually sides with Jeremy Boring and Daily Wire for a couple different reasons. And before you go hating on JP, you should hear his reasons out. I think they're pretty well thought out. And none of us have a horse or, you know, in this trade. And we don't have to come to an opinion, but it is good to be informed on what's going on. What's the pushback? Where's the problems at? Because they're probably going to continue on past Monday, Tim cast. Cause uh, Crowder's going to be on Patrick, Pat David, and he's probably going to go on Joe Rogan. He's going to make the rounds probably, hopefully if he's getting out of this without daily wire, he needs to make the case for his own platform and get a bigger email list going of people who are going to send him a hundred bucks a year for some mug club. So, and they do have really nice, etched mugs it's a very high quality mug that the that the blaze put out we'll see what crowder's team puts out if he goes independent so ld let's go to these clips start with candace owens and then we'll just play them all and uh, get this topic off the table so we can cover some davos tonight all right thank you sir there's no channel change tonight maybe next that's right obs phoning it in (laughs) 
most. All right. Before YouTube, uh, that was so, how I used to do it. This is, I mean, this is gonna, this is a tough one. Uh, Steven's not here to defend himself, but Candace is here to, to uh, give uh, her perspective on this. So I'll just throw it to you and, and give me your thoughts on, on his response and what happened with the Daily Wire, because I know you got a lot to say. I do have a lot to say about this because obviously the situation impacted me and it impacted all of the other hosts on the Daily Wire. So first of all, I feel like I just want to say this, which is that I have never once, I've been with Daily Wire two to three years now, you have never once heard me come out to defend the Daily Wire on anything. This is not the first time Daily Wire has been in a firestorm or has been had some beef that has gone on, whether it's for Ben or Matt or Michael that's gone on the last three years. I tend to stay very much in my lane. As I mentioned before, I'm not an employee of Daily Wire. I'm not required to come out and defend them. And I'm usually just not interested in these beefs that seem to be so fickle. They last for a day and then they go away. And it's probably the reason why for whatever, doesn't really matter what anybody thinks about me, I have a good relationship with pretty much everybody. Like there's no one that I can't be invited and be in the same room with. Everybody sort of hates each other, but I am kind of, I can, uh, Alex Jones has a good opinion of me. Everyone from Alex Jones to Ben Shapiro to Paul Joseph Watson, Mike Cernovich is somebody that I call and ask for advice from time to time, Jack Posobiec. Like I, I'm a kind of person that judges people based on how they treat people, right? I'm not interested in dabbling in this nonsense. Um, nonsense from time to time that appears and then goes away and ebbs and flows. This situation, though, was different because basically Stephen Crowder decided to launch a war and didn't really care who got hit, you know, with the shrapnel, right? He comes out, he makes this glorious video, which it's shocking to me that people cannot see the amount of acting that is going into this. We all understand he was a childhood actor. He was on, he, I loved that show, Arthur. He was the brain. Like, he he is an actor. At the end of the day, he's an actor. It's also why he's so entertaining when it comes to politics. He's a talented person. But that people cannot discern the amount of acting that has gone on in this is, is stunning to me. I don't know where people's discernment, what's going on with discernment, where you can't just spiritually discern that, mm, this feels a little weird, right? You're recording conversations with someone that you have told us you are friends with forever. Oh, and by the way, at the end of you saying that that you're just trying to do the right thing. You're also saying, I'm going to launch my own thing, right? So just when I first saw the first video that he dropped, obviously I'm not privy to negotiations that happened on the Daily Wire. I had no idea they were negotiating with Steven Crowder. Again, not my business. I came into work one day, suddenly Brett Cooper was there. Not my business. I don't know who they're hiring. I don't own the company, right? But what I started getting was after I had dropped my podcast in the comment section, everyone was basically tearing me apart, being like, blink twice if you need help for a single, like I'm a hostage situation or saying, what, if you don't say anything about Steven Crowder, you're a fraud, you're a fraud. Just like suddenly you're a fraud, you're a fraud. So I go and I watch this video and just like everybody else watching it live, his first video, your instincts are like, whoa, he, he's throwing some bombs. He's calling it Big Con. He's saying essentially that we are enslaved by these contract terms. Uh, he actually uses the term enslavement. If you don't want to be a slave, you know, you, you maybe you'll come work with me. I'm going to figure it out for all of us. Like you're a hero, you're a martyr. And because I was getting so many comments, the first thing I did was that I messaged my EP and I said, we have to cover this tomorrow on the show because now everyone thinks I'm a fraud and they think that I've signed with fraudulent terms or slave-like terms. And that's so totally unfair to me. So my interest in this is that it, it hit me and it hit everybody else the Daily Wire and it was unfair. Do you, I don't, I don't know, you don't have to answer this, I guess, but do you have a similar contract? Uh, there are certain terms that I recognize. That's why I immediately knew it was Daily Wire. So, for example, the um, the fee reduction if you miss a day of work, right? Like if you miss a day of work. We are paying for X amount of episodes and this is a steep amount if you miss one day of work. When you first see that, when I first received a contract from a Daily Wire, I went, that's a shocking number to see. Then you have to calculate, and by the way, mine was not this. I want to be very clear. I don't have a $50 million contract. If there's anything I should be upset about, it's that they were going to pay that much to Steven Crowder, right? <laughs> not I, you. I need to go renegotiate my contract. But so you see it, and it's shocking. And then you read under, which is what he 
did not include when he says, so if I get hit by a car, like I'm just gonna $100,000 a day. He didn't tell you how much he made. You don't know what $100,000 means unless you can see what were they offering him. And you can calculate yourselves. Okay, so what they're basically saying is that we're paying you $63,000 a day. You know what I'm saying? He, like, he, he purposely like excluded right beneath it that says that actually it's pro rata if an event of an emergency. That's yeah, a very insignificant thing that would allow people not to be enraged at seeing this. Yeah, just to clarify, Jeremy, when Jeremy uh, re- released his video, he showed the, the the additional portion that said in the event of temporary disability, they prorate you, there's no penalty. And then we talked about this last night. I said the $100,000 seems punitive. I think you mentioned, yeah, but what about Daily Wire's costs. I said, oh yeah, fair point. DC Drano's it, and that is exactly right. Yeah. They, they have all of these contracts that exist. It's very easy to understand. We're paying you, his is $100,000. We're paying you $63,000 for the content. They are also have a bunch of contracts everybody that's working on the show. So for example, my EP, she's contracted. I don't know what her contract says, but maybe it says that no matter what, she is guaranteed this amount of money. So if I magically call out, they still have to pay her. They still have to pay the camera guy. Maybe the advertising is punitive. If you didn't give us the content, the advertisers may Maybe then say, okay, you Daily Wire has to pay us $5,000 if Candace doesn't read ads on that day. You don't know when you have an organization this big what everybody's contracts are. So I assume it's $60,000 and then they're baking in an extra $38,000 to cover their asses to pay everybody else that maybe showed up for work that day. But, but Jeremy did say punitive. It because, is. Because he said, well, you're right about the costs all around it. But he said, he basically said one circumstance is you're choosing not to work and one is you're unable to work. Right. If you're unable, we get it. We'll just we'll just prorate based right. on the lost day. But he also said something interesting that you could you could make up that day by banking it at any time. Right. So if, I do that, by the way. I that, do that. And that's, that's why it was, it's so annoying. So I, I see these things. And it, it's to people who don't know how this works. First and foremost, it's a term sheet. He was never given a contract. It was a term sheet. It's essentially a, a starting conversation. Here's what we have in mind. Everything's baked in. Some things literally don't make sense. Like in my term sheet, it said, you know, we uh, uh, whatever about they wanted access to my Snapchat. I don't have a Snapchat. They wanted access to my room. I don't have a room. They don't want access. It's literally just like, here's something so we can get the conversation started. Started, And really, the thing you need to pay attention to is, is like, this is the money. And then, of course, our lawyer is going to go back and say, this makes entirely no sense. This makes entirely no sense. So then you get to, you know, personalize it, so to speak. Right. When you yeah. say, OK, well, this thing makes me nervous because, OK, what if it's not me that's sick, but my son? I have two kids. Right. What if my son breaks his leg and I have to be I'm not going to not leave his side. So I have to, I have to then say I need to personalize this term sheet. And that is what the contract is then for. If you come to some agreement that this is what we're going to work on. Right. This is what we're going to negotiate in good faith. Right. So he first and foremost lied by saying it was a contract. He lied by omission, by not saying how much money so people couldn't calculate. OK, really, how punitive is is that $100,000, not that much. And you consider that there's a bunch of costs that go in to producing a show and, and people that they may have paid editors. In this case, he produces his own show, but you know, editors, writers, no matter what, the Daily Wire has to receive that package and do something to it. So, and by the way, like I said, we know it's at least standard. So it's not because they're trying to hit Steven Crowder. They've given this to all of us. And your job then, if you're a big boy, right? If you can put on your big boy pants is to go to your lawyer and to say, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. This makes no sense. Negotiate. Now, if you are a young talent that was discovered on YouTube, as I was way back in the day, who comes from no money, as I was way back in the day, this could be like unfair because I can't afford a lawyer to go through line by line of this and redline this. That is not the circumstance for Steven Crowder. He's already told us he's got so much money. He's more successful and he doesn't need the money, blah, blah, blah. So why don't you just hire a lawyer? Well, but that that's what he said in the rebuttal. Yeah. I, it's not about me. It's about the Daily Wire signing new upcoming young people to these terms and they don't. And, have and in that and in that capacity, he hits Brett Cooper. 
right? Now he's basically, so who, who is a young upcoming talent that got signed with Daily Wire? We, there's only, what, five hosts of shows on the Daily Wire? I mean, so you're, you're talking about Matt, Matt Walsh? No, he's not young upcoming talent that's just been signed. Are you talking about Michael Knowles? No, he's not young upcoming. You're not talking about Candace Owens. I don't think we would say Andrew Clavin is young upcoming talent. So you're talking about Brett Cooper. That's insulting to Brett Cooper. You have no idea. What, he's just saying shit, right? And it's not like he's reached out to us and said, hey, like, I'm doing this for all of us. Like, it's not he reached out independently to Daily Wire host and been like, are you dealing with this agree- these egregious terms? No, he is doing this purely. Let's not even try to make this anything but a selfish act that was to benefit Steven Crowder, who wants to launch his own network. Because and by the way, I gotta say this, this is the most important part of this. And nobody is talking about this. He receives the term sheet, okay, and he thinks it's so egregious that he's got to make this video four months later, right? I don't know what happened in those four months after they started negotiating. I guess Steven Crowder woke up, new year, new me, I hate the, I hate the Daily Wire, so I'm going to go after them. He, he thinks it's so egregious. The first thing he does is counteroffer and say, let's start talking about $140 million, okay? So if it was so outrageous, why did he go back to them and say, no, actually, we can have this conversation, but let's start talking about 140 million. Right. Um, It was only when the Daily Wire then turned that down that the term sheet became so egregious that he had to do something about it. I'll I'll just add real quick to everybody. Steven Crowder is coming on the show on Monday. I know he's not here to defend himself. Did you speak to him? Because he might have recorded your conversation. So you might want to come to him about whatever the hell it is you said to him. I mean... Yeah, my my view is I was kind of surprised to hear that Steven recorded the phone call with Jeremy. Crowder does a video for those of you that don't know who Crowder is. He's got six million subscribers, a comedian, conservative. I mean, the guy's a rock star. Funny comic, by the way. Billions. You know, he's doing stand up now. He's touring. Is he? He should. He should be doing it. He's he's yeah. Billions on top of billions of views. And he does this 27 minute clip, 28 minute clip. And when you're watching it, you don't really know who he's talking about, but he's upset about a contract. And everybody's like, well, is he talking about these guys? Is he talking about those guys? He's with the Blaze. Is it the Blaze? Is it this? Is it that? And then eventually, you know, within a few hours, the CEO of uh, Daily Wire does a one-hour video responding to it, explaining that he was talking about them because the entire market was talking about this. My phone kept blowing up. People saying, did you see this? Did you see this? I'm like, what? Tell me what's going on here. And then uh, anyway, so apparently these guys were... Offering him $50 million for four years is what the contract was. And uh, all in, uh, they're going to end up investing around $100 million into Crowder. But it would be him having to move everything with them, responsibilities of 190-something episodes per year. If you miss one, it's this much. If you get a strike, it's this much. All these different things that's in there, which, you know, one side is like, well, that as a business owner, you have to have that. The talent is like, well... You know, I think I'm worth more. You should pay me this. You should pay me that. But it all got public, and there's a lot of different, uh, you know, some are saying, why did he do it public? It should have been private. Some are saying, good that he did it. There's so many people in the talent space that, you know, want to uh, uh, have this be known because sometimes talent gets stuck. Like, you know, back in the days, rappers or singers that would get a contract, contract and then boom, they're like, you own this, you own that, and it was... You know, a lot of people got Sony had an issue with that when they Michael Jackson one time got up and called that, you know, Tommy oh, McCola. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that or not. Oh, yeah. 100%. There's a bunch of this in that space. So uh, uh, we're going to see what happens next with this. But these are, you know, these are two big names you're talking about. Who's he under? Is he with? Is he he's under, with the Blaze. He's with the Blaze. Yeah. OK. But he's got independent and he's got stuff that he does with the Blaze. Is, is it possible, though, that this contract was the first draft that their lawyers 
gave him. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you'll, in negotiations, lawyers come at you with a terrible deal, and then you go, get serious, and you send it back. So I wonder, is this, was this the first iteration? Did they even see it when they sent it, you know? You know, uh, uh, <clears throat> so know. When, when, the, when the company that made an offer to uh, uh, buy us, I'll never forget what he told me. Best thing he told me when him and I were talking. He has done a couple hundred deals. Okay, this guy's name is Brian Adams. He's a he's the biggest heavyweight in insurance right now. He built a company, ten billion dollar company is what he's done. He's done very well for himself. And he says, look, here's here's one thing that you have to keep in mind. If this deal doesn't happen, it won't be because you and I don't want to be in business together. It's because lawyers screwed it up. Uh -huh. Okay, he says every time our lawyers get to a point where the deal's not going to work out, you and I have to get on the phone together. That's right. Okay, That's it was the best smart. counsel, by the way, on what he gave. So two weeks into it, our side of the lawyer, the one we had from New York, one of the most feared lawyers in all of America, and I'm not being, like, I've dealt with so many lawyers over the last 20 years. We've spent, I don't know, $12 million on legal fees, $11 million on legal fees. So when you're dealing with lawyers, lawyers come in many different shapes and forms. He's okay? the Sammy Bull of lawyers. This guy <laughs> is the right. most feared lawyer ever. Wow. So there is no, how's your day going? There is no, how's your day going? Okay. I'm here to do the job. Here's what I'm doing. And he goes at their throat. Holy shit. This is the shittiest contract I've seen in my life. You're trying to take advantage of this. What kind of a bunch of this is this? You guys are corrupt. You guys are this. And he's gone. So, so, so they call me. <laughs> hey, you know, your lawyer just told our 13 lawyers this. Did you know this? I said, let me give him a call. So I call him up. So our board, we talk to each other. And I give this guy a call. I say, hey, man, listen, I love the fact that you're a pit bull. Yeah. You're our pit bull. But maybe try to be a German shepherd for a minute yeah, instead of a pit bull. You're a little bit like, you know. Yeah. You say, well, listen, this is what you pay me to do. This is how I do business. This is why I'm the best in the marketplace. And I'm going to stick to what I'm doing. Wow. I say, I totally get it. Go from a 9.9 .9 to try to get to an 8.8 .8 if you can, right? So he's good for two weeks. Every two weeks, you have we've had to, you gotta no, no. pull it back. You gotta By the way, this went for six months. Every oh two weeks, God. we had to have a call like this. Do you know how many times a deal almost fell through? If I told you nine times, that's a small number. Okay. Yeah, okay? that's not worth it to me. It was so many times that the deal almost uh, fell through. So for here, th there needs to be, listen, bro, our lawyers work for us. Your lawyers work for you. Yeah. They're going to write up a contract that benefits us. And your guys are going to fight for what's benefits you. And we're really dealing with 20 different things here. Mm -hmm. Okay. On the 20 different things, you can't tell me all 20 things are important to you. Neither can I tell you 20 things are all important to me. I have to tell you what are my five most important. You tell me what are your five most important. And then let's negotiate the bottom, the middle 10. Is that fair? Yes. I don't know if that was, that took place here. Because once the deal happens, you got to get the lawyers to talk. Mm. If you guys negotiate money, it's a problem. And again, I don't. I know nothing about it. I don't have a relationship with Crowder. Your friends, I, him and I, have never spoken to each other. He's going to be on the podcast here oh, soon. Good. Yeah, he? he's going to be on the podcast here in the next Great. couple of days. Is he? He's coming in. He's coming in. Yeah. Nice. So awesome. I don't. I don't have a. We're working Is on everything. Stand up but, in the area. I don't know if you know. No, he's not coming in for stand up. Okay. He, they reached out and, he's getting, and we've been well, going back and forth. But seashells with Vinny for yeah. The, yeah. So Rob, we, we have yes. something set up for yeah. next yeah. week, which we'll be announcing here shortly. Yep. Good. Good. Uh, so so and then. I don't have a relationship with the folks at Daily Wire at all. So it's not like, hey, I'm friends with these guys. We had a conversation. I've never spoken to the CEO of Daily Wire. We've never broken bread. We've never exchanged email, nothing. Uh, but 
normally when you see deals like this, the job of Daily Wire is to write a contract that benefits them and the job of, you know, Crowder as a big face of getting the type of eyeballs that he's getting is to protect him. 100%. Mm -hmm. Let the lawyers do the dirty work. Once you get involved, it's messy. Yeah, I agree. It's messy. It's going to be, uh, uh, and by the way, Jordan Peterson apparently tweeted something and then he took it off. Oh, really? Ooh. Yeah, he I'm unfollowed. Doing his daughter's him. podcast. Michaela? Yeah, yeah. Um, Saturday. I've never met her. But how does it get to this point? Like we're, we're in an eyeball attention economy. Yeah. This is pure speculation. Yeah. Is any of this for views, clout, no. none of that? Not. No. This is just what, business gone ugly and they should have kept it under wraps? Like, How, how does this get to the pop culture status? Unless oh, if, you're, unless if you're Card, unless if your name is, Kim last Kardashian. name is Kardashian, where your business model is for your personal life to be public. Yeah. Everywhere. You don't want your personal life to be public. Mm. Okay. You keep it to yourself. This is not right, stuff ahead, that pull, you want Patrick to Beth be David. public. So the lawyers should get together, work out that term sheet. Crowder went the other direction. Now, if he's going to learn, if he's going to launch his own thing, wouldn't you want like the Daily Wire to support you? Like, would, why would I don't understand why he went to war if he's going to launch his own thing? Uh, well, that's think, that's that qu very well said. I mean, that's the big thing. She, Candace Owens, made a couple of points that she she sort of. Um, accused him rather of the first theory I brought up brought to you when we were talking about this before we showed this clip, which would be that Steven Crowder is doing this divine conquer technique on purpose as an actor in order to rebuild his brand or to build up his brand because he doesn't own his own email list. She didn't go into those details, but we'll just assume to be able to build his own email list so he can go do his own thing. Um maybe that's the case. I said that's I hope that's not the case because that would show uh, him compromising his own morals that he claims to be standing up for. And if you're going to do that, might as well take the money. And the principles. Right. At that point, he might as well just take the money. Unless he thinks he can get way more money by building his, by doing the other thing, but he needs to divide and conquer With the, the way more community. money. That would be very, that'd be more duplicitous than even the Daily Wire selling out to advertisers. Right. And the way Steven more Crowder's money is only going to happen with mug club subscriptions. And you're not right. going to get that by breaching your integrity. I think it's unfair. I get why she would go to bat for the Daily Wire. Um, yeah. Because they changed her life. Oh, and yeah. She, she might not have uh, you know been able to negotiate as for uh, not frivolously, but fervently as Crowder could. Because like she said, she was on her way up. She couldn't afford lawyers. So she might have. And she also said <clears throat> that she'd have to renegotiate her contract. But she's also not shouldering her production responsibilities or costs. Oh, yeah. So she wouldn't be getting a $50 million offer, even if the work was commensurate in the eyes of the offerers. Yeah, I mean, $50 million, she was wrong about that. The cost of the show itself are going to be at least half that, if not much, much more. And they over and four be, years, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah I mean, oh, yeah. And Jeremy Boring mentioned and, that. You know, it's probably going to cost a lot more money than fifty million. They put that as low end as any company would in order to see if they'll, you know, sure. the guy is foolish enough to take the deal. But that's kind of Crowder's point is like, not only are you kowtowing to big tech, but then you're also coming to me, who's a friend and who has a lot of clout, and you're going to present a contract like this to me, and we're just going to do the old school way of hashing it out with lawyers instead well, of having Daily Wire said fifty, Crowder said one hundred and forty. They could have come back at seventy five or eighty and that's been able. That that would have all made sense if you're making one hundred and twenty million over four years just from three hundred thousand mug club subscribers alone without merch, without seven ad reads per show, and all this other stuff that gets included into it. So yep. 
I mean, it goes again to the idea is he doing it just on purpose in order to build up his brand and to go do his own thing. I don't see the evidence for Didn't it. Didn't need I, to. He could have already sent out an offer. That was the thing. Jeremy from the quartering was helping Crowder because Crowder's yep. blaze thing wasn't working out. And all of a sudden he's like, I need an email list. And Jeremy's like, okay, I can help you do that. So I'm pretty sure they're setting on a, a sizable list for that purpose, but they don't like he apparently doesn't have the infrastructure around to help him take that next step. One of the things I didn't like that Candace said as well is that she didn't actually um, deal with some of the specific arguments about the way in which like if you take it purely from the standpoint that the contract is in good faith based on the model that the Daily Wire employs, right. then it makes it seem like Crowder is being absurd. I mean, it really does. It makes it seem like he's being a baby. He's being absurd. But he's not as evidence on the fact that he recorded the conversation with Jeremy Boring. He's making a point that your model is broken and it's ultimately going to cause you to compromise the principles and values you claim to support and all those people paying money either to be uh, either to be subscribers of your platform or to watch you and listen to the advertisers through YouTube or other platforms. And, and so, that's, that's yeah. where I feel like she was very disingenuous at the yeah. very least to Steven Crowder. Okay, so for anyone who's like, why have we spent this much time in this episode on this topic? It's because if everything goes the way that tech billionaires and Davos want it to go, that's right. You won't have options for news in the future that can be comedy, cutting edge, trendy, uh, hypothesis based, like asking questions, not going to be allowed. I'm thankful every day I wake up and there's a question mark still on my keyboard because as long as they're allowing us to ask questions, there is hope. But they if, do plan a future where you're not going to have any questions. <laughs> There's not that's that's not the game anymore. 100%. You will be under control. You'll have uh, Autobots to control, uh, automatons, some something robots to control you. And the one thing she did is she used uh, she built a straw man based on the fact he's a child actor and sort of tore it down that he's just acting to build up a brand so he can go do his own thing. And there's not enough evidence to. It's a potential theory. But right now, there's not enough evidence to really support that theory. There's a number of different theories I laid out, three or different, three or four of them before we even went to those clips. And as she just supports the one that makes him yeah. look the worst because she had to deal with the collateral damage from it. And she, and she definitely, like, first off, she made a point of saying her interview on Timcast was scheduled months ago. Yeah. Right. So just coincidental, but she coincidentally also works for Daily Wire. And she's going to defend the people making her paycheck. That's, That's completely reasonable. So I took her allegations, not her. Uh, allegations her arguments her comments her 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 statements as just that right those are that's how she sees it from her perspective right i and and they hate that if she would have said this is a potential theory i would have been fine with it if she would have qualified it by saying she took shortcuts but she took shortcuts and said no this is couple minutes of a live stream i can forgive that yeah i mean she basically said this is what he's doing and no we don't know for sure that's specifically he's doing it for these reasons it could be possibly as i mentioned one of the theories um, but we'll have to wait and see if that ends up being the actual. Yeah, I just don't it. like to see like all this diversion while Davos and these things are like yeah. they're winning. But if we don't work these things out, they really do win. So I'd rather like and take some time and, and make sure that, uh, you know, for those coming behind us, you've got something truthful left to work with. Yeah, And it's not all just whitewashed, censored. You can't make heads or tails of it anymore because they're not giving you enough to find the truth. Well, I question it even with Candace Owens. I was under the impression that she pushed back against the Daily Wire from not allowing her to continue uh, with EA. Correct. Yeah. 
And she's supposed to bridge the gap culturally with uh, black Americans and, you know, that sort of divide with conservatism and, and, and black culture and black Americans and so forth. But yeah, he was talking about Zionism and Palestinians and all sorts of stuff. So right. persona non grata, he becomes. And that's, uh, and they, I mean, they shut her down very quickly. Has anyone think, seen him? Right. Anyone heard from yay in the past couple of weeks? Anyone? I'm asking for a friend. Owen said he went to Africa. Recording I mean, in progress. What Kanye was saying about Hollywood is what Dave Chappelle proved 20 years ago to the world. Right. With the guy that laughed the wrong way at his jokes while they were doing it. And he's like, oh, shit. And then he bounced. Yeah, time of contemplation. It's Hopefully Kanye is doing something or the artist formerly known as Kanye is doing something healthy out there. Yeah. So All right. Um, let's bounce into these. Every, uh, every time I every time I speak, Zoom Zoom like crashes. It's disconcerting. Oh. But uh, continue. <laughs> All right. Let, let's Fuck. get uh, Mark Dice on deck. Mark Dice, independent producer, author, someone who likes to interview people out on the boardwalk down there. That's underneath the big con. You probably already have it. So. Yeah, so he's going to yeah. give you the the gist from his perspective as an uh, honest, independent media producer over many years uh, as a peer of Steven Crowder. I think Dice is also uh, a comedian to some extent. So let's check out his perspectives. He'll make you laugh. He'll make you think. Here's Mark Dice. So Steven Crowder says that he's going to expose the phony brand name conservatives now that he has left the blaze and is independent or is he the phony and a coward trying to cash in on a fake controversy? Stay tuned and subscribe to my channel for new here because I'll break it down like nobody else since I have no strings attached. I haven't signed any NDAs with anyone and I don't believe in any sacred cows. Crowder's big announcement this week after he returned from a three week Christmas break was this. We here at Mug Club, we thought that we were all in this together, that we were fighting the, the, the media entertainment industrial complex. Um, we thought that we were all genuinely taking it to big tech. But too many of those in charge of the big conservative platforms um, are verifiably in bed with them. Big tech is in bed with big con. The people you thought, the people I thought were fighting for you, a lot of it has been a big con. Now, I'm specifically avoiding naming names or going after individuals uh, in this video because I genuinely hope that those I'm addressing, and you know who you are, have a change of heart. It's, it's never too late to do the right thing. Guys, this is a genuine plea. We can all do better. We can all do better. It doesn't have to be this way. And please don't make me have to provide receipts. Yeah, I'm sure your little video is going to cause the con artists to completely change their ways. Please be better, phonies. <laughs> Since Steven Crowder apparently doesn't have the guts to do what should be done, I will. I will show receipts again like I have been for years, exposing Conservative Inc., the brand name Republicans. But first, Crowder went on to complain that the contract, which wasn't even a contract, it was an offer or a term sheet given to him by one of these big con companies, stipulated that if he got banned from 
from any of the platforms, his pay would also get cut. Well, what a surprise. If you lose your reach, the advertisers lose their reach, and so the network loses money, and you're going to lose money. But he was really focused on one clause, saying that he would be docked $100,000 if he missed one episode. Well, I'm going to give it to you straight, like I always do, and because I don't have a dog in this fight. He conveniently didn't mention this, but the Daily Wire was going to pay him $50 million for four years for 192 shows a year, which is four per week. So if he missed an episode because he was traveling to an event somewhere or sick, he could easily make it up on one of his off days. And if you do the math, 50 million divided by four years is $12.5 million a year divided by 192 shows. That's $65,000 per show. So Crowder was making it seem like them docking him $100,000 for missing one day worth of work was atrocious. Like he's a normal guy and making 80 or $100,000 a year. But really, it's basically just them recouping the cost that they paid him for the missing episode with a small penalty in comparison. It would be like if you missed a day of work, not only do you get docked for that day, but you also lose a second day's pay as well. Not the end of the world, especially when you're making $12.5 million a year. This is Sean Hannity money. This is Anderson Cooper money. This is making me feel like a total failure kind of money. But Crowder is big time. He's the most subscribed conservative channel on YouTube. He's in with all the Republican members of Congress, many of whom have appeared on his show. So he's on a whole other level than me. As big as my channel is, it doesn't compare. So he was trying to make it seem like he was warning wannabe influencers and up-and-coming YouTubers about these terrible contracts from conservative media companies, and they could charge you $100,000 if you miss one video. But after watching the Daily Wire's response to him, which is almost an hour long, where Jeremy Boring went over the offer line by line, I think what is really going on here is Crowder thought that his show was worth a lot more money than it is, so he told the Daily Wire to get lost because he wanted 30 million a year, not the 12 and a half million that they offered him. And then he came back to them wanting to renegotiate the deal. They said no, realizing that Crowder isn't a team player. And if he couldn't be happy with 12 and a half million dollars a year that they initially offered him, then he'll never be happy. So Crowder is without money from his original mug club, I think, which was like his own subscription service or personal Patreon that I think the blaze was getting the money from, not him. And now the Daily Wire won't hire him, so he's throwing the Daily Wire under the bus, trying to get people to subscribe to his new mug club, the one that he controls, not the one that The Blaze made money from. Now, I've defended him when he's been censored and demonetized and when the leftists try to get him banned from YouTube, but I think he wildly misrepresented what really happened with The Daily Wire in a desperate attempt to try to get his revenue stream back now that The Blaze isn't paying him and The Daily Wire wouldn't pay him either. And a lot of people think that he's a hero for exposing nothing in his big announcement other than hoping the con artists in Big Con, as he calls them, will do better because of his pleading. Now for those receipts I promised about Conservative Inc. But first, because I'm a guy in my kitchen on a laptop, if you like my work, support me through Patreon or Subscribestar this year, which are linked in the description below, because I'm not Ben Shapiro, who is paying Facebook $135,000 a month 
every month on average to boost his posts on Facebook, just for his Facebook page alone, not for all Daily Wire advertising. So Shapiro paid Facebook $7.3 million divided by four and a half years. Note the dates from May 18th through today. So that's $1.6 million a year or $135,000 a month. So it's no wonder Ben Shapiro is the most popular political pundit on Facebook. This is publicly available information, by the way, that Facebook provides as part of their transparency policy after a a few Russians bought some ads back in 2016. So who's in bed with big tech? Ben Shapiro. They're basically married. Also, as I've mentioned numerous times before, Ben Shapiro had a secret dinner with Mark Zuckerberg, at least one that we know of, at one of Mark Zuckerberg's homes. This is what Stephen Crowder was alluding to, something that I've been talking about for years, something that he never mentioned before because he was in that inner circle conservative Inc. club. Glenn Beck was also at one of those dinners with Mark Zuckerberg. That's another fact that we know. And since we're on the topic, people should also know that Dave Rubin had a private meeting with YouTube CEO Susan Wojcicki in 2019. He's conservative Inc.'s token gay guy, so you know they're supporting him so that he can keep making the Republican Party more progressive. He's a good friend of Steven Crowder's, by the way. And this is why I've always stayed independent, because I don't want some executive producer or CEO telling me not to cover something or not to criticize someone or not report on the Bilderberg Group meetings or Bohemian Grove or Operation Mockingbird or the Sun Valley Conference or telling me that I need to just speak in weak generalities and give lukewarm takes about the wolves in sheep's clothing in the conservative movement or the cultural Marxists destroying our society. One of the points I agree with Crowder on in his video, which again, I think wildly misrepresents what actually happened between him and the Daily Wire and is just a desperate money grab now that he's unemployed, was this. They don't want a group of rebellious rabble-rousers who want to learn, fight like hell, and laugh together. You're of no value if you can't all be kept in line to some degree. I don't mean some master plan to eliminate you. Just subdue you a little bit. Just soften your edges a little bit. Just play ball a little more. That's a good point, Stephen, but to be specific, since I never became friends with any of the phonies in our movement and I don't have any dual loyalties, I think what you mean is anyone who signs a contract with the Daily Wire, the Blaze, Fox News, Turning Point USA, or PragerU won't be allowed to criticize anything Israel does to the Palestinians. That's anti-Semitic, or how the anti-BDS laws violate the First Amendment, and they'll be told not to talk about anti-whiteism or black crime, especially using that term, and won't be allowed to denounce gay marriage with too strong of language or say that gay men adopting children or buying them from fertility clinics and using surrogates like Dave Rubin is morally wrong. I don't mean for this to be a pile-on or an attack on Crowder. I have a lot of respect for him and what he's done. I've never really had anything bad to say about him other than maybe a tweet once years ago when I first saw him cozying up with Glenn Beck and joining the Blaze. And I'm not trying to start some beef or big controversy here, but this is a big deal. Withholding information about phonies and fraud in our movement and just thinking that they'll do better because you make a sales pitch for your mug club now that you're independent? As Joe Biden would say, come on, man. And speaking of Ben Shapiro, remember when he was caught on a hot mic telling his producer to cut out part of a live stream before the archive went up where he called pansexuals weird because he was worried that that would be problematic for the advertisers? No. We are indeed done here today. I have an appointment I gotta get to. Thank you guys, it's great to see you, and I will see you here next time. One thing on that episode, yeah. I already said pansexual, pansexualism is weird. 
Can we just cut that? I can ask. That'd be great. Before it's reposted? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we could... Um, it's like a 10-second bit. It's about yeah. halfway through. It's just on pansexual. I'm like, that's kind of weird. Like, you don't... You like everything? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. just... Like, you want to get rid of that. Yeah, it's just, like, it's nothing, but... So when you, when you when you it is weird the guard attracted to every single thing. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, no finish? taste at all. I thought that was a funny bit. It is a funny bit, but that's why I'll get boycotted. <laughs> Now, look, obviously there's a line you got to be careful not to cross when talking about certain things so you don't get canceled or banned from certain platforms. But how much more can someone water down the message if they're afraid to call a weirdo a weirdo? It's leaders like that who have caused the conservative movement to be so weak that it couldn't hold back the onslaught of Marxism we're now seeing permeate every corner of America, especially in the schools. I'm certainly not saying that the Daily Wire doesn't do some good work or that they don't have some good hosts, but I just can't help but notice that they're astroturfing influencers like Brett Cooper, who on the surface looks like a college girl in her dorm room doing YouTube reaction videos, but is actually in a Daily Wire studio with a team of writers and editors and probably reading a teleprompter with talking points on it as well. And I don't have anything against this girl. And from what I've seen, she seems smart and on point. But as a media analyst, I can't help but point out that she's a creation of the Daily Wire, not some girl who started making reaction videos in her bedroom and went viral as she's presented. She's artificial. I did a whole in-depth report containing my thoughts on Ben Shapiro. I won't rehash that. I'll leave a link to it in the description below. And hopefully this means that Crowder will stop sucking up to little Ben and the rest of Conservative Inc. who keeps steering conservatism slowly to the left. Today's Republican Party is more left than the Democrat Party was just 10 years ago, with Ronna McDaniel tweeting happy gay pride messages now. Steven's a talented guy. He puts on an entertaining show from what I've seen. So if you ever want my advice, if you want to brainstorm ideas and strategies, especially now that you're in a tough spot, you know how to get a hold of me, bro. I don't put people on pedestals and I don't tell people what they want to hear. I tell them what I want them to hear, whether it's going to cost me subscribers or the support of other YouTubers who may not want to have anything to do with me because I'm just a little too honest. For over 15 years, I've been calling out the liberal lunatics, the globalists, along with the rhinos and conservative ink clowns, all from a laptop in my kitchen, without being part of any conservative conglomerate whatsoever, which is why I can't even fathom the amount of money that Steven Crowder and the Daily Wire are used to. I've always just preferred to do my own thing without anybody telling me what I can and cannot say, and without having to answer to anybody, and just try to sell some cool t-shirts to my viewers. And if you enjoy my work, order one of the shirts from MarkDice.com, or support me this year through Patreon or Subscribestar by clicking the links in the description below, and that way I won't have to get sponsors and do ad reads, giving a 90 second pitch before every video starts for some random product like basically every other youtuber so supporting me through patreon or subscribe star is sort of like tipping your bartender or your waiter if i provide you with a good service then show me some support that way by clicking the links in the description below and checking them out reasonable demands for control but what would i would argue are immoral terms that actually punish conservative content creators on behalf of big tech Good Lord, there is quite a feud going on. Steven Crowder is absolutely pissed and he's trying to rally the troops over his disgruntledness on some condition terms in a $50 million contract that the Daily Wire offered him. We're gonna cover some important details of this. Welcome back to the JP Reacts channel, my 
beautiful freedom lover friend where we usually like to call out the lies, hypocrisy, and corruption of tyrants and highlight the amazing work of other freedom fighters. Now, I wanted to do this video on Steven Crowder versus The Daily Wire because I consider them both to be great freedom fighters. I love Steven Crowder. I love The Daily Wire. There is a major disconnect here in their $50 million contract negotiations. Steven Crowder came out, put out a video calling out conservative companies who are doing the bidding of big tech, saying they're really hurting the movement, encouraging people never to sign such agreements. The guy is pissed. So I wanted to cover this because uh, I think it's important. I have some perspective and I have a, a very firm opinion about who's right here. And I was doing a live stream this morning. I'm having people ask me all the time about this. I'm like, well, I do have something to say. I think I have some unique insight about this and kind of like what's right in this situation. And I'll share my firm opinion in a second. And I'll also share why I have come to the conclusion of that firm opinion about Who's right in this situation, Steven Crowder or Daily Wire? First, quick context. Steven Crowder, a couple days ago, put out his, in a way, scathing video. Saw a clip of here at the beginning of uh, this commentary, and it's got uh, over a million views. And in that video, he didn't name the Daily Wire as the company, but it's come out that it was the Daily Wire he was talking about. Mainly, we know that because the CEO of the Daily Wire, Jeremy Boring, came out with his own video in response saying, yeah, that's us, the Daily Wire, and here's the contract we offered him. You know, you don't have to just hear about it. Let me show it to you, and I'll, I'll walk you through it. Each of their videos have well over a million views, Talk of the Town, and I wanted to share my insight on this because I think I have some unique insight and because I respect both parties. I love both parties and the party that I think is wrong. I have no less respect for them. I, I love them. I want them to succeed. I just want to share what I think is right in this situation. First off, hats off to Steven Crowder for building this amazing empire of his, offering such great value, content, commentary, perspective, and comedy, where he gets put in front of him a $50 million contract for four years. That's amazing. I, man, I'm I'm inspired by that guy. I love it, even though like he's obviously turning it down. I think that's incredible. With that said, who do I think is right in this situation? I think The Daily Wire is right. Uh, I listen to all of Steven Crowder's arguments and really he's offended, he's pissed off, and he's really making accusations that the Daily Wire is just doing the bidding of big tech. They're not actually there being real conservatives. They're a bad influence. I think Steven Crowder is quite off the mark on, on his perception of this, and I, I think he's interpreting the contract in a way that's just not really based on reality. Though I will say, I love freedom, so I love Stephen's freedom to interpret this how he wants and to share his perspectives. I, I love that, and I, I support the guy. I don't support his perspectives in this case, but I support the guy. I love him. So, Stephen Crowder, his biggest discontentment with the contract. First, what was the contract? Four years, the Daily Wire is basically going to be his exclusive publisher. And what that means is uh, Crowder for $50 million each year of those four years, he has to produce 192 episodes of his show per year. And in that, it's um, a 60-minute show broadcast on YouTube and 
rumble. And then the last 30 minutes, so 90 minute show, first 60 minutes broadcast on all the big tech platforms and rumble. And then the final 30 minutes is behind Daily Wire's paywall. Then on top of that, he's got to do like a monthly Q&A session on Daily, Daily Wire Plus, exclusive content for them. He's got to do uh, uh, some piece of quarterly content and then uh, one special per year, either a comedy special or documentary. That's the, the basically what he has to produce in order to earn the $50 million. So here's where he really got pissed off. In the contract, it stipulates that if Crowder is demonetized on YouTube, as in he gets a strike and his YouTube channel isn't monetized, he gets a loss of revenue. In other words, he gets a percentage of his payment from the Daily Wire reduced. And then also if ad revenue, if sponsors that the Daily Wire secures to be sponsors on his show, if sponsors decide in mass to boycott Steven Crowder for whatever reason, if sponsorship revenue drops below 50% of the baseline, then Crowder gets a reduction in fee. And I'll, I'll show you the specifics on that contract, literally on the contract in a second. But that was the major point of disconnection with Steven Crowder. He said, oh my God, okay, so big tech, if they punish me with a strike, demonetize me, or if they deplatform me, then I get a major reduction in my pay. Daily Wire, that is just you doing the bidding of big tech. You're punishing me on behalf of big tech. I think that was completely off the mark. Why do I think that? The Daily Wire, yes, they stand for conservative values, as does Steven Crowder. Yet the Daily Wire, it's also a business. And it functions in a capitalistic society. Like, welcome to America. I love capitalism. A business basically says, hey, we're going to hire you to make us money. We're going to pay you money to make us more money. We want to cover your salary costs. And then we also want to make a profit on top of that. So we have money on our pockets and also money to pour back into the business to continue growing. I personally believe the terms of the Daily Wire's contract that they put in front of Crowder are very appropriate. Here's the reality that nobody likes. Crowder doesn't like it. Daily Wire doesn't like it. I don't like it. I don't think you like it either. Part of the reality is Steven Crowder, the talent in this situation, a lot of his content, if it were to run through Daily Wire, it would be distributed through YouTube. So the reality with YouTube is obviously they have it out for conservatives. There are certain things you can't talk about. If you talk about them, you're very much at risk of getting a strike, getting demonetized, and potentially even getting deplatformed. That is a reality of this situation. Like it or not, it's part of the reality. So part of the value that Crowder brings, obviously is great content, but the appeal to an audience, a massive audience that wants to watch his content. So the Daily Wire says, hey, we're gonna offer you not a little money, a lot of money and we'll have rights to your content. And our plan is to make, we're gonna offer you a lot of money, but our plan is to use your content to make us even more money, to cover our costs and then hopefully make a profit out of it. But part of the value you bring, dear Steven Crowder, is these millions of people that you reach every day on YouTube. There is a reality, the reality we don't like, that you YouTube could shut you down. There's a reality that you 
YouTube could demonetize you. And part of the Daily Wire contract is they collect the YouTube monetization. And if that were to happen, that shuts off a major portion of the revenue that comes to us. In other words, if Crowder were to say something to get demonetized, deplatformed, he's instantly bringing less value to the Daily Wire. It's a situation nobody likes. Crowder really didn't like it. So for me, the reality is it's very sensible that if there's a an element of value reaching a massive audience on YouTube in this case, that is then taken out of the equation because it's out of your control, then Steven Crowder is bringing less value to the Daily Wire. Now Crowder says, no, if I were to be deplatformed and a strike against me, you should pay me the same thing no matter what. And if you don't, you're just like big tech, you're doing their bidding. But to me, his perspective doesn't make sense if you're thinking like a capitalist. In my own personal life, I don't like to receive money for giving no value. If this was me in the situation and all of a sudden I was providing less value to the Daily Wire, I would not only expect, but it would feel better to me to have a reduction in pay because I realize I'm not giving as much value to the Daily Wire. So in my opinion, that's just a normal capitalistic business transaction. But from Crowder's perspective of, no, if I'm deplatformed and therefore a lot less people are seeing my content that you're trying to monetize Daily Wire, you should still pay me $50 million. Maybe I'm only making you $5 million, but you should still pay me $50 million. How that occurs to me, and I'm sure this isn't what Steven Crowder intends, but what that how that occurs to me is just, it's kind of like a socialistic mentality of, if I produce less value, it's fine. I should earn the same amount as everybody else. But capitalism is all built on when you provide more value, you get paid more. When you provide less value, you get paid less. Equity is all about if I work or not or provide less value, I should earn just as much as everybody else because I exist. But this situation would be massively different if let's say Crowder was in a deal, working on a deal with Rumble. Difference between Rumble and the Daily Wire, Rumble is its own platform. The Daily Wire's business model utilizes other platforms. They utilize Rumble, they utilize YouTube primarily, and then podcasts. Whereas Rumble, you don't have to worry about this. You don't have to worry about content strikes. You don't have to worry about getting deplatformed. The deal was with Rumble, there's much more security because Rumble is in complete control over you staying on their platform. If you sign a $50 million deal with Rumble, they are certain they are not gonna kick you off their platform. So there would be no clauses in the contract where there's a reduction in pay if you get deplatformed. De That's an entirely different business model. You're doing a deal with the platform. You're not de doing a deal with the Daily Wire, who is a business that largely uses other platforms to bring revenue into their business. Rumble is its own platform. So I think if if Crowder were in this situation with Rumble and the terms of the contract were the same and Rumble had the and Crowder had the same disgruntledness, I think that would be very warranted. But that's not the deal. It's with the Daily Wire who relies on their talent to distribute their content through YouTube and other platforms where there is a risk, especially a Daily Wire talent, they're conservative and big tech has it out for conservatives. So there is a risk 
that their content distribution is going to be handicapped. So let's take a look real quick at the actual contract. And this is a, a screenshot from Jeremy Boring's video where he was showing the actual contract. In this first part, this wasn't Crowder's major disgruntledness, but it's um, a meaningful part of the contract. If Crowder fails for any reason to deliver 192 episodes of his daily show, including any or all ad reads, etc., $100,000 reduction in fee per instance will happen. So that's basically if Crowder were to say, yeah, I don't want to do an episode today, then he would be uh, essentially have $100,000 deducted from his pay. That one's hard to argue with. Crowder didn't really argue that point. Where he did argue is on this one and then the next one as well, ad drop. If Crowder is boycotted or dropped by more than 50% of his then extant advertising partners and the company is not able to replace them within 90 days, then the fee will be reduced by 25% you know, his $50 million fee uh, until such times as that ad revenue has been restored for a period of 90 days. This is where Crowder gets pissed off and basically says this shouldn't be there. I should be paid no matter what. Part of the Daily Wire's business model is, hey, you're, you're doing a 90 minute show. So part of how we generate revenue to not only pay you, but hopefully make a profit on top of that and we're talking $50 million pay on top of another 40 or $50 million in advertising production costs. That's a lot to recoup before you're even making a profit. So they're saying, we sell advertisers, five, six, seven ad reads per 90 minute show. But if the advertisers, for some reason, decide to boycott you, we're going to have a lot less money coming in. Therefore, there will be a clause where you have a reduction in pay. And Crowder says, if that were to happen, I should be entitled to full pay no matter what. But in my opinion, again, it, how I look at the world, if the well that feeds the whole system is running dry through an advertiser boycott, it makes sense that I would be paid less. And this as a contract is an upfront agreement, you know, if we signed a contract and then they sprang on me like, hey, uh, we'd like to pay you less because such and such happened. That wouldn't sit well with me. But as part of an upfront contract, personally, I feel good about this. It's in integrity. It's part of capitalism. I would also bet there's a low likelihood of Crowder being boycotted from companies that the Daily Wire sells ad space to because they're going to be pretty value aligned. It's going to be... All right, so there's oh a lot boy. to consider there. Let's just say the the last point JP was making. Let's say Crowder became educated on the colonization of Palestine going back into the early 1800s, up through the late 1800s very strongly. And that may be the story he's been told uh, as far as uh, geopolitics over the past 100 years doesn't really reflect all the activity that went into that colonization, right? We touched on it earlier with the Flexners. Bernard Flexner was, I think, the one that uh, was doing the Palestine Economic Corporation with Sir James Rothschild. Dorothy Rothschild took over after he passed away. He founded the Knesset, like he funded the Knesset, the capital for Israel. So there's there's a whole bunch of stuff. So let's say Crowder read some heights, books. All the vineyards, right. all USS the Liberty, Soul, Kayan Weitzman. I mean, all these individuals, like they have intimate. Right. Let's say he read a book, Paris 1919 by Margaret Macmillan. He write, right. reads the last couple chapters on the Zionist uh, a faction there at, the, at Versailles. 
he might have some questions. He could readily lose all those daily wire advertisers because they would be like, oh, he, he's in a gray zone. We can't touch him now. He's I like, think I saw a pers- comment by one. Rich, what happens if I, you showed up to work and someone prevented you, like security literally prevented you from doing your job? Like you showed up to legitimately do work and security prevented you. And then you get docked for that and say it's all your fault. Like that's sort of uh, Mark Dice, I think, had by far the best commentary. Uh, on the whole situation, I said earlier I wasn't quite sure on it, but I re-listening to it, I was like, no, nah, he's he's on point. I don't agree with some of his characterizations yeah. and some of the, he takes. Well, the he's first also theory. just you know he's funny and snarky. He's oh, Mark yeah. Dice. That's Mark Dice for sure. Um, but he, I think he had the best point. JP, nothing against him, um, but I don't think he's making the standard sort of t- traditional capitalist argument within the model. That currently right. exists, the model that not recognizing the World Economic Forum, the, right. like the fact that we're at war. Crowder recognizes exactly. he's not sure who right. we're at war with, who's at war with us, you know, exactly. who's trying to do this and change our attitudes, values, behaviors, there won't be and beliefs. A capitalism. If JP, so JP Sears is operating under the idea that one capitalism operates with rules that are consistent, and the problem is those rules oftentimes are bent for certain players and yes, run, from, run by cartels, run by cartels that happen to be the ones that advertise. So, like, I'm sorry, there's a disconnect there, JP, and he, I, it's, I, I'm well, not here's against- a disconnect right here. Holy shit! Send bro. Crowder. Let's send Crowder this book. <laughs> And JP series, for that, right? Yeah, seriously. I'm sorry, then, JP. Then like, when you see Netanyahu swinging in on Glenn Beck right after Whitney was on the program, it's like methinks he doth protest too much. Right. I'm just There's also the issue the 65,000 <laughs> Mark Dice talks about. He's not all the first of all the taxes. I'm not talking about the taxes. Assumed. It's not talking about the benefits he's paying to his employees. It's not just docking an episode and and like an extra. It's not just docking essentially two episodes. Um, for missing a day of work, especially he also Mark Dice didn't. I, if, I might have not heard this because we've been dealing with this for so long, so I might have missed this. But I'm pretty sure he didn't comment on the fact of the censorship. Like, what if Crowder quotes the CDC and gets censored, and then the Daily Wire comes back and says, "Well, you didn't. We can't make money off of you over a spirit span of time." Sounds we like Daily Wire's problem. Yeah, that's what Crowder's pointing out. That's what everyone seems to forget. So then, then Dice built the same straw man that I think Candace Owens. Maybe it's a straw man or it's a theory, but he thinks actually I'll give Dice more credit. He said it's a theory or he said it's like, I think this is what he's doing. So I'll give it that Candace Owens didn't even say, I think this is what he's doing. So that's why Candace Owens brought right. a straw man. Mark Dice said, no, this is what I think he's doing. It's more of a theory. And Mike, Mark Dice went with Candace Owens' theory. The first theory I presented before we went in any of these clips was that he's doing this uh, just to rebrand himself so he can go make money and divide and conquer the community to sort of get it's not the best way to do that. I don't of... think that's what he's doing. I'll give him the benefit yeah, of the doubt. Right. I hope, let me say, I hope he's not doing that. And I, I think he's smarter than that, but we'll see. And to, to LD's point earlier, there's a lot. It's Mark Dice mentioned it. You can't talk about Palestine. You can't talk about Zionism. He also won't. He also sort of makes fun of the standard conspiracy elements. He's been more open. He's platformed, uh, um, even after the whole situation with Sandy Hook and the and what happened in Connecticut with that that phony trial, but he platformed um, Alex Jones. You know that's something. Ben Shapiro hates Alex Jones for context. <laughs> uh, so give you know credit due where it should be. Um, also the fact, but he also sort of marginalizes conspiracy. Think a little bit. Like I remember he had on some conspiracy guy a year or two ago. But how many over, books like, do you think Crowder's really read? Right None, to his credit, he's zero. insulating himself to things that he thinks are third rail, but actually like the, the information on such topics is copious. That's why I think he actually is more genuine 
because I just don't think he reads. I don't think he considers. I think he has a can he's we a get strong Jay Dyer on Crowder. That would be an interesting conversation. Holy shit. So there's a lot there. A lot of people are siding with this whole idea that he's um, just building up his brand because the Blaze owns his email list. And so he had to divide and conquer the community to be able to make money. It's a reasonable theory. I just don't. And there's some circumstantial evidence around it. Let's consider the fact he bought the domain back in December. He had been in contract negotiations for over four months, which gives him the leverage to record. Well, he could have been planning to use that against the Blaze. Yeah, that's true. Good point. Right. Good. So that's and that's the problem with circumstantial mm. evidence. There's no smoking gun yet that says that's the correct theory. It's just a theory. And yeah, we'll find out theories, later today yeah. on Timcast because that's where he's going to go and he's had the advantage. Yeah. So first off, audience, I know that seemed like a lot of dense information and some of it might have been mildly repetitive because each one's referring back to the original thing. Right. But this is what's actually necessary to come to an informed objective opinion yeah. or, or even just say, I want to be objectively informed. I don't need to take a, a stance. I don't need to bet on either side. I could observe what's going on because none of us has to make a transaction right now. So it's purely informational. It's not education. I mean, not entertainment, but it is educational. And in these situations, I think that anyone who sat through the clips that we just played has a more clear, concise, cogent perspective than anybody involved in the activities. Crowder is not hearing what Jeremy says. Jeremy is not hearing what Crowder says, let alone taking in this spectrum of information to say, I have some knowledge about this topic that's going on because not because of the players in the situation right now, but because of who it affects going forward. If there's a whole bunch of other people signing similar contracts, and that is in fact an industry standard, then isn't what Ye said about the industry and the contracts and the slavery a little exactly. bit more Ye true? Exactly. Ye said the same thing. That's a good point, Rich. Ye was pointing out the same. And many I'm other grabbing people. the third rail and holding on tight oh, right now. Shit, bro. Ye That's might have some points that need to be discussed still because Crowder is pointing out the very same thing that Ye was pointing out, that Owen Benjamin had pointed out, that yeah, Dave Chappelle had pointed out. Yes, yes, all of them. All grabbers of the third rail. It's a good club. We should make a club. <laughs> yeah, that's a fantastic and then point. That's don't go near subways ever again because it'll be too ironic when somebody pushes you onto the third rail. <laughs> so stay away from the subway. I think it's also important because it gives people an insight into how complex contract... And I get it. It's a. It's a. It's really... a. a it's like a resume. It's a foot in the door. This is a term, uh, term consideration document. That's all it is. So these are the terms for outlining what could then potentially become a contract. Yes, many of those clauses, uh, many of those designations within the contract will end in the terms will be also utilized in the contract itself. But I still go back to the model. Yeah, what Rich has on there. They're operating Dude, under a model that creates fascism. Over time, it moves but this towards one crony capitalism, and not that, not that. Right. I'm talking know, about the right. old model, right? Daily it moves model. towards, yeah, moves towards fascism, moves For towards sure. what we call crony capitalism. JP Sears, not capitalism, crony capitalism. Ca it's cartel capitalism. Cartel capitalism, one. sure. Whatever, uh, however we want to qualify it. It's all this, these are all synonyms for the same term, same concept. Crowder and Co. All right. So the point is. Whether or not he has 300,000 people on that mug club forever list, whatever he has, let's call it 180. Marketing gets you to here. Marketing without a sponsor, without ad reads, all you have is one consistent push for membership. 
and special access and special accoutrements to come with access and maybe a live conference, but you're in control. And if you want to do something different, there's no lawyers up your ass, bro. So the point is 300 K people is your goal. Whether you got that in your pocket or we have to go find it. Boom. A hundred dollars. Everyone can agree. Mug club is worth at least a hundred bucks. Okay. That's a standard membership. He, he could even charge more, but I'd go for the numbers and say a hundred bucks, make it easy, make it a no brainer, make it something people can easily say yes to. In the words of Sabri Subi, you make them a godfather offer that they can't refuse. So a hundred bucks subscription benefits, town halls, all that sort of stuff. Right now you got $30 million per year that covers dude, you're, you're paying your production expense. Like you're already doing what you need to like, this is money you already have sitting there. You're already doing the the song and dance, but it's with less new world order in it and more Crowder and company multiply that by four $120 million is nothing to sneeze at. And you can definitely use some of that money to close this gap right here. Cause the goal is $300,000, 300,000 mug club subscribers. Right. And then you don't have to worry about daily wire, the new world order, all this other stuff. And there's no shenanigans in the market you're not at war right sun tzu don't yeah. fight the war in the first place bro yeah, it doesn't yeah. need like you already have it in your pocket yeah. he lacks the confidence and yeah. the maybe business knowledge to bring this together he thinks acumen. he needs yeah. jeremy and and ben shapiro to do it for him when really i don't know he can get it done with the quartering and autonomy unlimited oh easily 100 percent. he just doesn't have the business acumen he made some major strategic and tactical errors both strategy with making going about making this he said i'm going to make this transparent pseudo transparent because he didn't name names and he didn't go into specific details as mark dice did to mark dice's point and candace pointed out the way that crowder framed it it was it was daily wire there was no other guesses oh like yeah she, Everyone. she, watched, she oh, yeah. demonstrated how he took those all away so even though it was like i'm not showing who it is he was, was showing who it was. So was there was flack on those his, people that right. they had to come out and defend their hive. So right? if he's going to, that's a tactical error. So the strategy right. is he's going to be transparent. My, that's my point, and dude. Then, and then tactics and like with his, it's not a big his, book, dude. Right. Oh no. Yeah. The art of war. It's a, it's a classic. Well, the, to your point, if he's going to be fully transparent, he should have been fully transparent. And one of the tactical errors he made is like, I'm going to be transparent kind of, and then I'm going to not name names, but I'm going to like insinuate and obviously, you know, make it so that it's only there's one the source material major. and then yes, there's the yeah. sample from the source material both have to be made available if you want me to consider evidence yeah i mean it's it's an unfortunate he didn't handle it obviously well and he could have i think been much more you know just as i sort of unfairly maybe castigate a bit of owen benjamin who's done who actually is 100 honest and true i just feel like at times and i'm not in his shoes so i don't know what it was like for him to be canceled and for him to come into a world of such duplicity with the individuals he was working with but the same it was time, all just part of him could have been a little bit more destiny sure but it could have been more refined same with crowder he could have been a little bit more refined in how he handled this and but at the same point i think some of his major points do need to be considered. He is pointing out something about to what Mark Dice points that that so you got to change know. the game. You yeah. don't fight a you don't fight the existing model. You make a model that makes it obsolete. Right. Crowder is two thirds there. He can go the rest of that third on his own yeah. with some support. Like I'm not claiming to be able to technologically facilitate 300,000 subscribers, 
but if we find the uh, service provider to handle that load, then it's not a problem. Because architecturally, if you can do 300 or 3,000 or 30,000, you could do 300,000. You know, what's the what's the user experience for someone who joins Mug Club? If it is a uh, 30-minute after show plus some town halls plus access to these other things that you can throw into that membership, 100 bucks, no problem. Especially when you get the mug. The mug alone was worth the price of entry. I had it make 125 and the mug is in, in the price now. Yeah, no, 100%. I have my mug downstairs. I also at one point subscribed to the Daily Wire um, just to see what their back-end count, like their back-end stuff looked like. Um, and, you know, it's it's not dissimilar. They have a bunch of just extra behind paywall content. It's usually like town hall style stuff where all their producer or all their um, talent, their media content producers get together, uh, content creators rather. And sometimes they're producers, not usually. Jeremy Boring inserts himself in that as sort of the god king. But he's usually Michael Knowles and Andrew Clavin and, and Ben Shapiro. Are... And they sort of just sit down, smoke cigars, drink some whiskey. Ben yeah, has I've seen like some of that stuff. Food. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, and it's it's okay. I mean, I, I, I didn't continue it for very long. Crowder, though, I did continue for a while. Uh, I got sick with the blaze, though, and I ended up. Well, Crowder made it easy when he gets banned off YouTube, and the only way you could see him is go to Muck Club. Yeah, People that's like, I'll just it. pony up. That's where that's I started exactly subscribing is when he got banned from YouTube. I was like, okay, I got to pay to see him. All right. Me too. It's like any other good service, if you want it, you can pay for it. And, you the know, it's it, it needs to be said. I wonder how much duplicity exists in regards to Crowder. And what happened with his past and how he's treated. I don't know. Maybe he's gotten better. Maybe he. Okay. So here's my question. Himself. I, I don't know. Aldi brought up it's a rhetorical house. question, but if someone here knows the answer, is Crowder an only, only child? I would assume yes. I rest my case. I don't think so. No? No? All right, though. My case needs to be contested then. Wow. I thought it was. Because it seems yeah, he like, acts like an only child. He might be right. the special boy, though. <laughs> maybe. Maybe that might be it. Maybe that was what I was detecting. Well, let's look. I'll go to his wiki here. Uh, oh, he's still allowed on Wiki. He's not that canceled then. No, nah, he's still on Wiki. Um, I'm pretty sure he's got a brother, but I could be wrong. Let's see. Let me. I'll just type in plus brother, and we'll see if what comes up. Or siblings. Here we go. So the question is, if there's infrastructure that can handle 300,000 active users, and you can honestly charge 100 bucks per year for that. And you could project if Steven just does his show plus the after show, people would continue to subscribe. They wouldn't drop off. I've subscribed to him for since several years. Yeah. Like I, I, I learned, I started watching him probably right before the blaze. Cause he still had not gay Jared back. Yeah. Then. Jordan Crowder. He has a brother. Jordan Crowder. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, All right. So the point is, the dude has what he needs in his pocket. If he chooses to use it, he has a single call to action for his membership that pays for everything plus double what he was just being offered at the Daily Wire that is putting freedom at risk because, you know, you, you've got people like JP is taking a side and like, we don't need to take sides on this. What we need is a solution where everybody involved wins, including the audience in a very freedom oriented way. I don't think he's going to get that at the daily wire. I don't think he's going to get that from rumble because rumble like, do you, do you... <laughs> I enjoy rumble, but rumbles HQ is on Columbus circle, New York city. Do you know what the real estate there costs? You know what the type of people who can afford real estate for a headquarters for a startup company? Well, like so. they're not, they're not, they're not your average startup company. 
okay so at any minute they want to go they want to go public so once it goes public it's going to fall under the same problems youtube has right so there's freedom of speech there's ipfs there's internet forever and then there's the internet where youtube and facebook and everyone censors what do you think is valuable to people in the future the place that's censored and like not accurate because what jp sears is saying is it's okay to not tell your audience the truth for an hour because if they pay, you can tell them the truth for a half hour, right? And that's the traditional model. You got to whitewash it for YouTube and then come over to Mug Club or come over to Luke Uncensored or come over to wherever. Like in this show, we just tell you the truth the whole time. And if you want more truth plus extra truth and a dose of 10x the truth, come to town hall, right? Yeah. But this yeah, is not a show that will be friendly to sponsors in that type of model. Like we could have sponsors. We could have Roberts and Roberts, Tim Fry. I would do business. Right. But we don't need to do these types of things. I can just say nice things about businesses. I respect, and there doesn't need to be a transaction because I can afford to do that right. sort of thing. Cause I have a platform that has integrity. Whereas Crowder, you're always going to be beholden to daily wire or the blaze or whoever, until you learn how to do it yourself. That's right. And maybe have it federated and work with Tim pool. Like maybe that's going to pop off in the next 24 hours. The Fediverse, Ian's going to get in there and he's be like, hey, instead of talking about the problem and the drama, let's go to the solution and let's look at this $120 million. And now, okay, all of our attention, $120 million, that's worth paying attention to. How do we do this? Well, we need 300,000 subscribers. How do we do that? Well, where are you at now? Plus, what do you need? And how many days or weeks or months of marketing do you need in what places to attract that type of value and what type of bonuses might you need to give out to people who sign up? These are easy questions that beginning like marketing 101 for entrepreneurs, like this is what you figure out. But Crowder's this far into it that he's getting a $50 million offer with the option to go 75, go 80 million on that. that term and they sheet. expected to be fair to Daily Wire, which uh, right. they did expect for a contract negotiation from the from the terms they gave him to go somewhere between 75 80 million that's sort of what they were expecting he'd come back with a, a outrageous offer himself and then the lawyers deal with it some end up somewhere in the middle as most contracts. and it's such a great use case because it could be a musician a filmmaker a whistleblower anybody could be in these types of situations right. you're gonna face this these types of offers instead of getting a million dollars for your life rights as a whistleblower you get fifty thousand. I know cases like that. I know one gets a million. I know one gets 50,000, but you don't want to be the one getting a 50 grand. You've seen one of those people in, on this show before. <laughs> you want to know how to secure your rights. You want to know how to negotiate in these contracts because I bet Daily Wire has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours through iterations through each contract negotiation with lawyers. They have a large accumulated experiential set to draw from. Oh, yeah. And then ben they Shapiro come up against you and it's in... your first time and you've never had a lawyer help you read a term sheet and negotiate and secure your rights and stand your ground. Probably going to lose. I mean, Ben Shapiro himself, Harvard Law, he's trained as a lawyer. So, I mean, not that he ever practiced. He went into media, I think, right after that, from my understanding. Um, but, you know, he's a trained lawyer, graduated from Harvard Law. So, I mean, let's, let's put in perspective. Let me guess. Now, he's not the on, one wait, wait. doing the contracts. They have a whole team of lawyers in their department, I'm sure. As a, what was as the a Tom Cruise itself. movie, The Client? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, about the mob the where they, they groom him to go and to be in the mob. Mitch, Mitch, D Mitchell Deere. 
Mitch McDear. You actually remember the name. Right? Mitch McDear. I read sure. the book and I saw the movie back in the day, bro. Please. I saw the movie. So ben yeah. Shapiro saw that and he's like, I want to go to Harvard and I want to become like the Tom Cruise. That's a, probably something like uh, <laughs> what maybe happened. Uh, and well, instead of being the mob, he, he sells out to Mossad right. instead. How about this? In the movie, it has something to do with mail fraud as like the way they yeah. catch him. And that was just a joke in the book. Boom. That was 30 years ago. I read that. Yeah. So read the book, go see the movie, compare and contrast kids and see how they make screenplays. It's only going to be 90 minutes. You're going to have to cut out a lot of plot points and maybe hook them with the, Oh, it's going to get them on the mail fraud. That's how we got Al Capone. Everybody. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. Tax fraud. Urban myths. One Oh one. All right. <clears throat> now that we have thoroughly covered that topic but we included solutions along the way this is not schadenfreude we're not like hey you know the young guy messed up a thing uh you know against the experienced guys we're saying that sucks that that all happened it shouldn't be going on <clears throat> people should act smarter and deal with the smart things on the table instead of all these kind of like drama causing things because i'm guaranteeing you at 120 million dollars crowder can pay his bills Everybody can do what they need to do and nobody needs, I don't want to hear seven ad reads. I do not. So I'm willing but to it's put not that idea hearing, on the table. It's not about, I'm sorry to cut you up. It's not about hearing it. It's about over time. Will those ad advertisers condition what you can actually say? Initially, a lot of times things work out okay. But over time, we've seen that if it's, if they have a certain ideological bias or if it impacts the ability to reach the largest target audience because you have a different opinion, you know, that's the issue. The issue is about, I agree with you. I don't want to hear, this is the reason why I never turn on cable TV. I don't even have cable TV because I don't want to hear an advertisement. Like I watched the 10 minute clip of the NFL games, like the division round this week on YouTube, 10 minute clips, no advertisers. Cause I have all the things blocked, whatever. But beyond that, it's about whether those advertisers are going to prevent, you know, uh, the well, ability for me to say what we're Crowder's advertiser, Walther, he sets the pistol on his desk, right? Yeah. I've uh, had Walther pistols over the years. I wouldn't want uh, multiple sponsors. Like if I, if I have a Walther on my desk, can I not talk about the Staccato XP or XL, mm. the P model or the XL? Good point. Or those sort of things, right? Am I dedicated to talking about Walther? And anytime we're talking about firearms, I got to talk about Walther and P99, you know, these sort of things. Probably not. I don't want to do that. He, a, he might do it. Maybe that's his everyday carry. He loves it. And then he's like, hey, I, I use your product and I carry it every day. Can I advertise it on my show? Then I feel more comfortable about that ad placement. Right. Yeah. But if you got to, you know, if you're getting, if you're getting money from Glock and you can't tell me about SIG, right. Right, right. you're not doing your audience justice because Glock's not for everybody. Gaston Glock is part of the, the triumvirate, but you know, there's something to be said for swiss and new hampshire efficiencies it's interesting uh i'm a big golfer and there's an influencer on youtube named mark crossfield out of the uk and he made a big point that when advertisers golf companies would come to him he did the reason why he got kind of got big for a while was because he did honest golf reviews about the technology like right? showcasing that the marketing is lies for the most part and it doesn't represent what the technology can actually do which is basically all conditioned by the regulatory committees of golf itself which means all the technology is relatively the same just different colors different branding slightly different features that could you know manipulate the shot types that depend on the person's swing 
then the thing he made a, a point of is when he started getting sponsored, he made it one public and two, he made it, he had, he never changed his reviews, making the point that in order to get the sponsorship, they had to recognize that I'm going to still do honest reviews, both of the clubs I'm into and other clubs that I think are really good. And that's just going to be the way he does it. So I always, you know, appreciated the fact that his review and his style never changed regardless of who sponsored him because okay. they still so allow now, he made the condition where he said no matter what i'm still gonna if you made a bad product i'm gonna call it out even though you sponsor me so now picture that guy having to do seven ad reads is his value to his audience the same when he has to do this other thing right it changes what he does and how yes. you feel about him because of why he's you know introducing exactly. this information to you in the first place right because not just in economics, but in all forms of knowledge transfer, AKA wisdom, it's based on trust. Right. And what daily wire is asking crowded to do is basically dissolve trust. Yes. Because they have a trust dissolving system where they do seven random ad reads, whether or not that sponsor that, that host wants to do them or not, they're contractually obligated. And if they say no to one or more of those, here's the financial penalties for that. So I'm saying instead of proliferating that broken system, maybe recognize parts of that are broken. And maybe Jeremy says, I agree. Parts of that are broken. We should make a new daily wire business unit that experiments with these new forms of economics mm -hmm. that are completely palatable. And let's bring on Steven Crowder as a pilot project and, and have a test for, you know, six months or a year or whatever back, you know, during which times Crowder could build out his infrastructure and be ready. If it doesn't work out, then he's standing more solidly on two feet and not like grasping at straws, trying to attack the 800 pound gorilla in the market, which again is like poor Sun Tzu. Unless you're like, you got some other moves planned for this. Like that doesn't, it's not plans. Well, he violated one of well the first as laws of Sun Tzu. Like he should have never went to war. In yeah. He should have avoided, place. right. Should have avoid avoided conflict. It. Yep. Yep. So he violated, he, like I said, he made a number of strategic and tactical errors, but at maybe the same he's time, reading uh Miyamoto the Musashi. Maybe he's like a five rings guy. <laughs> five rings. Sure. But to, to Crowder's point, uh, you know, if it is actually about the principles, no matter how much he may or may not have violated it himself in his own business dealings in the past, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, he brings up good points, at least in regards to what the Daily Wire is fundamentally about. And Mark Dice and others have pointed out, regardless of how honest or, unscru or uh, scrupulous or unscrupulous Crowder's actual intentions truly are. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, while all that was going on in the past several days, uh, the motherfuckers who run Davos, they be meeting. They're having meetings. They're, they're saying things. Al Gore, they got his oblate spheroid uh, countenance on, on stage, and he had some words to say. He hopes you don't have a memory or an attention span longer than eight seconds because you'd be like, the guy from Inconvenient Truth, he got all those facts wrong. But no, because people don't realize and they don't have that attention span to remember back to what he said. Uh, he was welcome on stage. He got to get up and rant like an angry old curmudgeon old man and uh he said the the oceans are gonna boil tony okay whoa are you lowering <laughs> the atmosphere pressure pressure right or, it's just what right, happens you, when you're when you're out in space and you don't have a spacesuit on your blood right. starts to boil because of lack of pressure right right so is that you what understand? he's talking about or he's talking about 212 degrees fahrenheit uh, which of these two because that's what i'm i don't know what else is uh, the idiom for uh, this is 
Yeah, oceans are gonna boil. Idiots for idiots by Al Gore. (laughs) How many predictions now have they filled? But that's see when we're talking about with we should do a watch along of inconvenient truth. Oh, that would be fantastic. Oh, that would be actually really fantastic. That'd be hilarious. See, right there, Crowder could like do a watch along with a movie like that and have like it paid admission or something and make a ton of money. Especially with his witty commentary, especially if it was like uncensored. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. Exactly, man. You're especially he already built up his brand. He's not reliant on the fact he needs to be platformed necessarily by the Daily Wire. He just wanted one to entertain offers and two. I don't know. Maybe he just doesn't want to do the platforming. But we're what you're saying is like platform yourself, bro, and you'll have free. You'll you'll be completely autonomous then, and you won't have to worry about kowtowing to essentially corporate censorship uh, through being platformed by a company that claims to be supporting, you know, these principles when they don't. You know, maybe also um, compromising them at the same. And he time. should go to Alex Jones and be like, "I know you're in a situation right now, but I'm looking to do this thing." And Alex could be like, "Well, you you do this and this and that." You know, well, you know what I'm saying? Like, absolutely. Even though that Alex is getting be crushed in Infowars, he could adopt how they actually do things and bring in, yeah, gigantic amounts of money, and then focus that toward working papers, uh, white papers. Blueprints and Alex uh, Jones got to say working groups, yeah. think tanks for freedom. Yeah. Because that's what the other side does. That's what the Likud party does. That's what the neocons do. They have an idea and then they create 10 other groups to have that idea and argue with them about that idea to platform it into the public. This is how they work against us. The more we know about that process, the more we can implement it and be the uh, equal in opposing force in this and i think that keeps them from getting to the goal as quickly as they'd like to which gives us more time to build up resources allies network optimism learn new things and challenge their bullshit antiquated uh dinosaur type system they're trying to proliferate into the future forever right yeah there's one thing we didn't cover i think we can't get into detail about this it's just gotten too late but it also goes back to the issue between what private corporations can do, and then the Bill of Rights, particularly the First Amendment. Uh, so and First Amendment is a function of how many minds it's operating in. And right? so it's like a it's like a rule set or a program. And it used to be a lot of people were running on constitutional programming, and now there's a lot of people would think that you know you don't need to own property, but you, somehow you're right. not property. I think it was Brett Weinstein, who's an admitted sort of Bernie guy. He was many years ago. I don't know where he stands now. He seems to have changed his position quite a bit, knowing how corrupt, seeing more and more how corrupt things are. This is before COVID happened, by the way, when he said this. So I want to give context. I think Brett might have quite frankly changed a lot of his perspective even since then. Brett Weinstein said something, though, that was interesting from a left-leaning position at the time before COVID on Joe Rogan. He said this that... Free market capitalism and competition are inherent to human beings and nature. That's fine. The problem with free market capitalism, and I'm the biggest advocate. I mean, I woke up essentially through the the, the Mises perspective, praxeology, um, and that sort of idea, um, uh, and human action, and those those sorts of concepts. So I have a tremendous sort of soft spot for the Austrian school of economics and Mises and Rothbard in particular, on Terman Hoppe. You know, a lot of these guys. Uh, hi- Hayek, so forth and so on. Um, there's a uh, Brett once I made an interesting point though. Free market capitalism can only operate within the confines of certain rules that are enforced by government. And so, if, if there are individual or actors that can curtail the rules 
or bend the rules so they don't get in trouble, then there's more tools in the toolbox for those individuals to operate. Meaning over time, the ones that don't have to operate under the same rules are going to win. It just takes a matter of time. Did you and tell so, him about the Federal Reserve while he was saying that? I mean, that's the perfect example. I mean, that's what they did. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what they but did. It's off so his it, radar is my point. Like that's something sure. that's in, in his mind, it's conspiracy land. And I'm like, that would be the exact point that you're illustrating right there. And that, so like, although he doesn't understand the historical context is maybe he refuses to look at it, neglected aspects, whatever, um, confirmation biases, whatever the case may be, his point still is true insofar as the government's sort of a system that's set up to enforce these rules to create a, a even playing field, a fair, a fair playing field. And when that, when those rules become compromised that the has with big tech and freedom of speech, then all of a sudden everybody passes up, out. Exactly. And the big tech becomes so unbelievably powerful. They're the only players in the game. And then there's no different from the government itself making the rules. And that's exactly what we're seeing in that space. And that's what Crowder is fundamentally trying to call out. He's just not doing so eloquently. Right. That's the word I was looking for earlier. So can we hear past the roughness of his delivery to get the actual point right. and, you know, have preventative measures to make sure that the points he's making don't proliferate into the future in a negative way and how someone like him might be able to stand their ground, have their own platform. And he said, we on mug club will, we on mug club will never take your stuff and claim ownership of it. Right. Which tells me, if he has that platform, he could enable those subscribers to also produce content, clips, do marketing, all these sort of things, yeah. and then have a working relationship with those subscribers and have like, maybe they subscribe and they get opportunity and he ends up paying some of that marketing money to them instead of Daily Wire or Zuckerberg or all these other places, right? Like yeah. he could take part of Andrew Tate's model, yeah. which was like a autopoiesis like you know self-perpetuating marketing model with some unethical out of integrity type of things oh, yeah, absolutely. but if you take away those things and you put in some a wholesome offer with more value than you're charging and you use that same model be like it's a game changer that's these things haven't happened yet in our economy so i'm just pointing out these things kind of need to happen and I'm not a genius for pointing it out. I'm just saying these are, you know, here's what we have now and here's where it could be and what's in between A and B and reverse engineer that we got a series of steps that can be executed by a small team. Yeah, there's a number of strategic options could have taken. He could have also set, done two businesses, one of which platforms himself that he has ownership in, but gets someone mm -hmm. else to run. There's a lot of different strategies and different tactical situations he could have employed. Um, he didn't well, have he's to weak in the negotiation because he doesn't yeah. know how many subscribers are paying anything because right. the blaze has that as confidential information and never told him, yeah. which was a shitty part of his first contract. He should yeah. have at least been in the Good loop, point. if not owned those email addresses when he leaves. That's right. That's right. They already know about the blaze. It's not going to hurt the blaze for him to take the, his customer list with him when he leaves. Right. Just like if he produces something for Daily Wire and he leaves, why shouldn't he take a digital copy of that? Yes, Daily Wire still owns it, but Crowder could still show it as part of his personal portfolio. But that's a or point catalog. that Ye Ye brings up. I mean, this is a point. I know I this is what I'm like, saying. Musicians Ye have brought was up like you saying don't own inaccurately yours. and ineloquently because he's not a uh, he's not a public speaker. He's a he's a rapper. Right. It's a well, different type of, point. of metaphor in transition of information. Freaks. Like Live Golf came in, there's a whole issue of the Saudi Saudis financing Live Golf and all this moral virtue posturing uh, going on. That's ridiculous. But the bigger point is that the PGA, for example, if you get if you actually are good enough to get a tour card, which is like very very rare, it's a very small percentage of the golfing world. The PGA owns you. 
So like you have to literally buy your well, own like a clips card. of what you do. So like if you do something great on the golf course, you want to promote it on your own channel. You can't do that unless you buy the rights to that from the PGA. Because well, it's same the same for thing any with other sport. It, well, it's the same for musicians. It's the same All for sports. All images are owned by National League Football, or, you know, NFL. But but a lot National of like the NBA, league. for example, would say take it because they believe it's just viral take marketing. It. Where oh. so the point is, it's like they all have different strategies, but at the end of the day, yeah. they all own your content. That's the one thing these big corporations do, no matter if you're a content creator in sports or music or in comedy, whatever it might be, like they're going to own you. And they quite literally mean that they will own all of your creative content that you produce. And then they will or will not allow you to you know, rebrand it, utilize it on your own channels and social media whatever um like you, they that's up to the, the the your corporate overlords at that point which are all then those corporate overlords are subservient those platformers are subservient to the advertisers they get and have contracts with those advertisers that put pressure on them to create the contact contract conditions that you are or crowder in this case is getting frustrated by in the first place if it's in any way legitimate so it's just you can see sort of the beginnings of how crony capitalism sort of and then from there you get government machinations and the cia and a whole bunch of they oh, we want the data that you guys are collecting can we just get a cut of that and then we got the nsa involved and then you see how this they whole thing control. becomes out of control they got you right got it. so it's not about freedom it's about slavery it's about control on their side so people on our side that say hmm, that's a nice offer but we'd like to say no we need to have a better offer for ourselves in order to be able to say no to those offers and i think crowder he said no to that offer without having a like a platform in place to so that's pretty ballsy. It's, it's pretty ballsy. courageous. <laughs> Not sure it's well, cra- like, what's the ratio between courage and foolishness? You well, know, it's either way, I admire someone yeah, who goes yeah, out onto me, that me limb too. like that. Me too, me too. And swings as hard as he's doing on it. <laughs> and if uh I you know, when the bow breaks, the there. baby will fall and down will come crowder. No, no, it's so different. It's a nursery rhyme thing from so right, like so Tarzan swinging. He has the- opportunity. I don't know if anyone's going to point it out. You think anyone's going to do that math with, you know, 300 K hundred grand uh, or hundred per person. And you got your 30 million per year. And you could probably, probably do that for the next 10 years, dude. Add that up. What's the opportunity cost of going with daily wire and taking that deal. So as a content creator, believe in yourself learn how to be independent, get the right team around you to be able to facilitate your independence and not make you have to sell out to the highest bidder. That's a good position on that. Now we've, uh, we run late in the show tonight cause we, we had two hours with Jay and we pretty much were thinking maybe one, if we were lucky to have him cause he's had a busy weekend, but he was hitting it in full stride. And then we had this Crowder situation, which is, you know, it's a microcosm. Yes. Specific situation with some drama, but macrocosm in the meta view, there's a lot more at stake here with freedom of speech, freedom in general, and all these other things, right? Do uh, you think Daily Wire, how how firearms friendly are they over there, right? Could he even have a sponsor like Walther in the first place or advertise body armor or whatever else he wants to do on that show? So, yeah, they support the Second Amendment, but they're more than willing to come at the table, come to the table rather when there's a tragedy in order to consider how to better control it that makes it so the second amendment can be upheld somehow or reinterpreted to not gain access to more deadly type of firearms in order to protect ourselves and our families. At least I'm willing to sort of 
consider that as a possible theory as in regards to the daily wire yeah as far as being the fact that it's four in the morning and we had a fantastic conversation around that there's one clip we could play that would sum up essentially the davos situation it's from john bound and he Let's doesn't do really talk much over it it's about 10 minutes it's a little longer than his normal productions but it, it's pretty much just the highlights of what they're saying at the meeting so it kind of gives you a nice like sort of uh panoramic view of what the what to what we all can expect in regards to the agenda and what they're trying to push forward. And then the honorable mention would be go watch uh Tim cast from last Friday with Jay Dyer. And if you watch from uh, 20 minutes into the show to uh, another, you know, 40 minutes to an hour into the show, probably uh, he's got a solid deep dive on between two ages with Brzezinski plus, you know, Luke, you know, wingman and him trying to feed the puck to get it over to Tim and Ian for consumption long-term and get those seeds to grow. So uh, we planned on playing that during intermission tonight and things just got out of hand in a good way here. So I'm going to point you to that. We'll put it in the show notes as well, but let's go to this clip from John bound bringing up uh, the non-elected rulers over in Davos and they're becoming more unpopular day by day. I've always said it's a proof. It's, it's proof in you know my lifetime uh about the the real organized terrorism because no one ever does the davos never gets attacked right it's always like oh you know these other things but the people who run those proxy terrorists never think to have those proxy terrorists mess with anything they're ever doing so it's it's convenient you know it goes back to miles copeland and the mi6 running those proxy uh, you know mujahideen islamic the, the muslim, uh, brotherhood. muslim brotherhood uh isis yeah, there's a lot of nation that. states funding involved in oh, all those ISIS proxy for sure. organizations for sure. So uh Azov Battalion in Eastern Europe. I mean, let's yeah. not Operation what... Gladio. Yeah. Check it out. All right, let's go to John Bound, and then we'll be back to uh thank everybody and uh give you uh food for thought and words of wisdom for growth. What does it need to master the future? Tell us you have declared war on the United States and all free people of the world without telling us you have declared war on the United States and all free people of the world. The most striking finding that we found is that 93% of cyber leaders and 86% of cyber business leaders believe that the geopolitical instability makes a catastrophic cyber event likely in the next two years. We may not know exactly when the next pandemic comes. We may not know when the next extreme weather event comes, but we know it's coming and we know it will intensify and it will get more frequent. So that's a new world. I think we are now in a world that has to be framed around shocks that are not just random or stochastic, but shocks that are systematically part of the landscape and that are intensifying in frequency and scale and impact. The reasons we understand have to do with the breaching of the planetary boundaries and the fact that pandemics are now baked into the system. But as healthy people in a widespread way start to have their brainwave data collected, the insights that we can gain through pattern recognition will exponentially increase and pretty quickly. Yes, but if a billion people stop eating meat, I tell you it has a big impact. You can go to different places very efficiently without uh, using cars. There are no cars. Not um, one single car? It's, uh, it's going to be different types of transportation that are, uh, like I said, environmentally friendly. There will be uh, 
It's based on renewable energy. Humanity will overcome capitalism so that we can live in our planet. Let's say that we have a different type of capitalism. The architects of the fourth industrial revolution gathered once again, flocking together like vultures of a feather, panicking about the climate change fortunes they should have been squeezing out of the globe by now via their precious carbon taxes. Mass extinction, air pollution, undermining ecosystem functions, really putting humanity's future at risk. This is a planetary crisis. This is a safety crisis, but above all, it is also a justice crisis. Many areas in the world are uninhabitable. This uninhabitable zone is increasing. If we continue with our greenhouse gas emissions, then by 2070, as many as 3 billion people will live in uninhabitable zones. And the accumulated amount is now trapping as much extra heat as would be released by 600,000 Hiroshima-class atomic bombs exploding every single day on the Earth. That's what's boiling the oceans, creating these atmospheric rivers and the rain bombs and sucking the moisture out of the land and creating the droughts and melting the ice and raising the sea level and causing these waves of climate refugees predicted to reach one billion in this century. Look at the xenophobia and political authoritarian trends that have come from just a few million refugees. What about a billion? We would lose our capacity for self-governance on this world. We have to act. But we have to go further. I have said this before, but I say it again. I'm convinced we will get to a low carbon, no carbon economy. We're going to get there because we have to. Build that workforce that is going to manage the extra 250,000 deaths that we're going to see from climate change. For anybody watching online, I'm just going to do a bit of audio description. I'm a blonde, uh, white woman from... Some arrive to fully insert foot into mouth and reveal their true nature as populist traitors. Um, I know when I use the internet in, in Europe uh, and I get all the warnings about cookies and whatnot, that actually makes me feel safer. That makes me feel better. And a lot of American consumers want that level of security mm. on the internet for your own data privacy and whatnot. Given the price of inflation, meat, eggs, milk, things like that in Georgia, how does it feel going to a five-star luxury event in the Swiss Alps? Does it feel wrong for the times? This really is a luxury event. Don't you think that sort of tone, it's the wrong tone for how it is in Georgia these days? In fact, West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin may never recover from this. The problem that we have is the open press system and basically all the platforms. So if you're able to have five platforms, social platforms, that you can basically um, personify the extremes somebody who is extremely right or extremely left and it seems like that is the majority speaking they're not the majority but they're basically driving everybody to make a decision while the globalist swine behind these scenes desperately force their minions to unleash holy hell on the truth which is still pouring out of holes in the totalitarian social and mockingbird media dyke which which uh, media are you with I'm an independent journalist from yeah, Japan. Yeah, no, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, yes. I have and, to ask. Thank you. We're in a world where all these technologies are available to both the good guys and the bad guys. 
The good guys are constrained by the rule of law and international norms. The sophistication of the private sector is, is improving and, and particularly important, the level of collaboration between the private sector and the government, especially the FBI, has, I think, uh, made significant strides. It's illegal hate speech, which you will have soon also in the U.S. I think that um, we, we have a strong reason why we have this uh, in the criminal law. Uh, we, uh, we need the platforms uh, to simply work with, with the language and to identify such cases. The AI would be too dangerous. And fake news and then disinformation. It was popularized six years ago at this point. Where are we today versus then? Terms like fake news and enemies of the people have been popularized cyclically in society mm. and in, in some of the most, you know, um, you know, repressive and dangerous moments, you know, Nazi Germany, Stalinist Russia, right? Um, there is no doubt that society seems to have at some level accepted how much the information ecosystem has been poisoned. Um, and... Um, and I think it's going to require real sustained effort from the platforms, from political leaders, um, from business leaders, and from consumers themselves to reject that. We are all connected in the LGBTQ community, so we would help you find the right people on the ground to advise you in that culture. And playing out from a PR standpoint what's going to could happen or not happen, um, but you have to do it. They're private jets causing a total of 9,700 tons of CO2, equivalent to the emissions of about 350,000 average cars in a week. Checking in to the decadent lavishness that Switzerland provides, facilities brimming with prostitutes protected by 5,000 soldiers. This is a Fox News alert. The New York Post is reporting tonight that the crowds of prostitutes who have flooded into Davos, Switzerland to service the sad elderly men who falsely believe they run the world have upped their prices and that some of these prostitutes are charging up to $2,500. That means at least somebody's betting, benefiting from the World Economic Forum. Well, they'll pay for sex, that's for sure, but they won't pay for anything else. Nope. Proclaiming their dominance and exclusion over humankind as a far superior species right out of the Nazi playbook. We select group of human beings because of whatever touched us at some point in our lives, are able to sit in a room and come together and um, actually talk about saving the planet. I mean, it's so almost extraterrestrial. Oddly, the hypocrisy began with George Soros flaking out on his comrades and Klaus Schwab slow to start with a mysterious health issue while 99-year-old Henry Kissinger muttered incoherent ramblings about Ukraine joining NATO, which would absolutely cause a nuclear standoff and inevitable untold annihilation for millions. And fulfill the principles of America in bringing about a more peaceful World order. But weakness, somberness, and unpopularity had overtaken the proceedings. The out in the open creation of a bioweapon and an mRNA vaccine that is killing and injuring people of all walks of life daily, unavoidable as it happens on their television screens. Set up a regional vaccine manufacturing collaborative 
to develop a framework for regions that want to expand their vaccine manufacturing capacity. And we'll have a closed door meeting later today to talk about how that framework can be improved and then shared with regions that are interested in increasing their manufacturing capacity. You, you need the data. You need to know who's been vaccinated and who hasn't been. Some of the vaccines that will come on down the line will be multiple. There'll be multiple shots. So you've got to have for reasons to do with the healthcare more generally, but certainly for a pandemic or for, um, for, for vaccines, you've got to have a proper digital infrastructure. And many countries don't have that. In fact, most countries don't have that. How far are we away from one vaccine that's both COVID and flu together? First, we need to have a flu. <laughs> and uh, if we have a flu, already we started uh, uh, experiments to combine the two. The next decades will see the greatest industrial transformation of our times. Maybe of any times. Schwab's Nazi fever dream for the 21st century and a handful of sociopaths are finding themselves absolutely rejected by free humanity and its true future. But these power-mad controllers won't just sit idly by, making them the most dangerous threat to humanity it has ever faced. John Bound reporting. Mr. Borlaug, can I ask you, when did you know that the vaccines didn't stop transmission? How long did you know that without saying it publicly? Thank you very much. Why I'm sorry. To that question. I mean, we, we now know that the vaccines didn't stop transmission, but why did you keep it secret? You said it was 100% effective, then 90%, then 80%, then 70%. But we now know that the vaccines do not trans stop transmission. Why did you keep that secret? Have a nice day. I won't have a nice day until I know the answer. Why did you keep it a secret that your vaccine did not stop transmission? Is it time to apologize to the world, sir? To give refunds back to the countries that poured all their money into your vaccine that doesn't work, your ineffective vaccine? Yeah, you have a little bit of rain. Are you not ashamed of what you've done in the last couple of years? Do you have any apologies to the public, sir? Are you proud of it? You've made millions on the backs of people's entire livelihoods. How does that feel to walk the streets as a millionaire on the backs of the regular person at home in Australia, in England, in Canada? What do you think about on your yacht, sir? What do you think about on your private jet? Are you worried about product liability? Are you worried about myocarditis? What about the sudden deaths? What do you have to say about young men dropping dead of heart attacks every day? Why won't you answer these basic questions? No apologies, sir. Do you, do you think you should be charged criminally for, for some of the criminal behavior you've obviously been a part of? How much money have you personally made off the vaccine? How many boosters do you think it'll take for you to be happy enough with your earnings? Nothing. Who did you meet with here in secret? Will you disclose who you met with? Who did you pay commissions to? In the past, Pfizer has paid $2.3 billion in fines for deceptive marketing. Have you engaged in that same conduct again? Are you under investigation like you were before for your deceptive marketing, sir?
If any other product in the world doesn't work as promised, you get a refund. Should you not refund to countries that laid out billions for your ineffective vaccine? Are you used to only sympathetic media so you don't know how to answer any questions? Shame on you, sir. Shame on you. That's Albert Bula, the boss of Pfizer. His people were pushing us around a little bit. Mate, he's pretty fit. I don't reckon he's had one jab. I'm huffing and puffing a bit. At least I didn't have any myocarditis. Um, I, I, I dare say he's shocked that in his safe space at the WEF here in Davos that he was challenged in a way that he's never to date been challenged. Well, that's the thing. We're not accredited media here. We're on the outside of the perimeter. So he's only used to the softballs from CNN and MSNBC and people like that. I asked him a real question about product liability. No answer. A real question about Pfizer's past deceptive practices. You know, they paid the largest fine in American history to the Justice Department for deceptive marketing. I don't know if that's underway right now. I don't know if they're being investigated, but I think they should be. When did he know that the vaccine didn't actually stop transmission? I wanted to find out because surely he knew before we knew. Why didn't he tell us? I don't know. Avi, I'm really proud of that uh, question at it was like a kind of walking scrum a joint effort there because I know it's very hard when you're working in the moment as well to actually remember all the all the activities that these people that these these people are criminals in my book I, you know the, the stuff that they've engaged in the last two years they need to be held accountable for and in the moment that you don't usually get this much time he had a bit of a walk and to to actually work together and be able to work around those trying to protect him it was it was it was exactly what i feel we're here for that big gorilla guy was sort of pushing me around a bit but you know i've, I've got a low center of gravity myself um i'm worried about one thing though abby pfizer is connected to big media in an enormous way um I'm worried that they're going to try and block this video. I'm worried they're going to try and cancel it on YouTube, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, places like that. So I want to look straight at the camera and say, folks, if you cannot find this video out there, go to wefreports.com. That's a special website we've set up for the World Economic Forum, wefreports.com. And if you feel moved by our coverage, please consider chipping in because we're 100% crowdfunded. Obviously, we get no ad money. We've been completely demonetized. But if you like that kind of accountability journalism, Avi Yamini from Australia, I'm Ezra Levant from Canada. We've got a great team from around the world. Please go to wefreports.com. Last word to you, Avi. And no matter where they cancel this video, we will update and have a current version there at wefreports.com. And there you can share all the content from all the guys on the ground here um, doing outstanding work. And if you agree that it is as important as and as outstanding as I think it is, then please chip in a couple of dollars uh, to help pay the cost to do this. Yeah, well, that was a great moment. We'll have plenty more. Congrats, my friend. All right. So <clears throat> Ezra Levant, uh, I, I've followed him on Twitter. He came to like prominence during the COVID lockdowns, a lot of outspoken activity against the lockdowns, especially like the religious aspect of the lockdowns in Canada. Avi Yemeni, great 38 questions that they just asked the Albert Borla right in front of you. And you see that Borla has no interest in transparency. He's, he's not looking for that. They also did a excellent, similar type of interview with Greta Thunberg, 
where she can just cackle or giggle or however you want to characterize a 20 year old ignoring legitimate questions on her speciality at a place where she's being prominently featured for her speciality. So uh, I don't think we have time to play the, the Greta Thunberg, but uh, also remember that's how Andrew Tate got taken with those pizza boxes. No, we're just kidding. That's not the source of why Tate was arrested. A story that's still unfolding as well. So uh, with that Borla clip I th- on the record, <clears throat> That's an example. Like, could Crowder do something like that and be edgy? Because uh, Rebel Media can do that because they're independent and they're funded by their audience. Could Crowder do something like that with the Daily Wire? <laughs> with the Daily Wire, absolutely not. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there I, we have it. it. I mean, the verdict it, is in. I, I they only recently began talking about the World Economic Forum at the Daily Wire, uh, and they they had scathing remarks. About you know sort of a group of technocrats, and you know um, business elites, and also um, diplomats, and and then Net- policymakers coming coming to right, and right right, but coming together, and they they did have a skating. At least Ben Shapiro did. Um, that was this is months ago, and didn't uh, Shapiro Peterson just sit down recently with Netanyahu at yes. the Daily Wire? Yes. Case closed. Yeah. I feel like Perry Mason. I mean, Peterson, even for as much as I appreciate his perspective, has been um, castigated by much of his audience, rightfully so, for um, not giving due diligence and historical context to the plight of the Palestinians and then talking about deplatforming or censoring those that are, you know, un- were disappointed in his uh, platforming of someone like Benjamin Netanyahu. And that's the problem. To Crowder's point, you can kind of see what happens, but Crowder's in support of Zionism, unfortunately. But it, still, he's but he's nascent. I don't think he understands. He's, no, what he I agree. I agree, hundred percent. He's nascent, and I think Peterson. I don't know. I don't know with him, um, but obviously Ben Shapiro. I don't think is nascent. Uh, but I, I don't know. He might have just gotten the propagandized version since he was a little boy, and thinks we should give uh, unyielding support to the burgeoning state of Israel. And you know his history conveniently starts pretty much at 1948, though, so he kind of neglects that all. Unfortunately, the people who colonized Palestine are not of the Orthodox or traditional faith. They're more of a reform, atheist type of thing that they have going on, using the name of others to to acquire the very valuable territory. Which is why during pandemic. Police in the state of Israel were beating down on Orthodox rabbis. That's correct. That is correct. And so. Ben Shapiro claims to be an Orthodox Jew, but um, you know the Hasidic community, like the ones, um, they're they're big in New York, but they're all around the all over the place, like in sort of ultra Orthodox sort of perspective. If I remember correctly, they uh, for the longest time actually railed against Zionism until the state of well, Israel sure, gave, uh, them, gave them citizenship. Jews against Zionism. Yeah, there is. There is. Yeah. Um, I know they've sort of been compromised recently. Not all of them, but many of the leaders, the organization with the Hasidic movement, because the the state of Israel um, ended up giving them citizenship. But beyond that, there are there are recognitions by Jews the world over that what's happening in Palestine is a human rights issue, and that Zionism itself is a secular ideology, not based on any Jewish uh, be religious uh, theology. Spec, you know, theological speculations. It's completely divorced from such. And no, there is no justification for the mythologies and the stories of the Old Testament uh, 
what we call the, the Talmud or the, the Pentateuch, depending on whether or not we're talking about the, the Greek version and the first five books. But these are stories. These are not literal histories. And they seem to confuse the stories for history. Uh, that's called the fallacy of misplaced concreteness. The, the Torah is the first five books. The Talmud yeah, yeah. is the rabbis commenting on the books. Okay, Pretty sure. The Torah. No, you're right. I'm sorry. You're right. Um, I was raised Presbyterian. So I'm just an academic in these matters, but yeah, the Torah is the first five books. I was getting it confused between the the Torah and the Pentateuch, and I used the word Talmud. Yeah, and so, Torah yeah. and Pentateuch so, are synonyms. Penta five for Greek. So but this the Talmud is a commentary by rabbis on Correct. God's creation. Correct. And what I meant is that the the uh, Torah and the Pentateuch. So the, the Ptolemy the second, one of the uh, Ptolemy. Gotta say the, Ptolemy. Ptolemy, the Egyptian. Yeah, yeah, the silent P. But the point is. Ptolemy or Ptolemy, um, one of the uh, generals for Alexander the Great, uh, ended up getting a province, which is North Africa, which was Egypt. And he actually commissioned the, uh, what was that at that time, a dead language and a lot of, for the most part, a dead culture to preserve their culture in the Greek tradition of the Greek tongue. So he commissioned at his court to, and I got this from Will Durant many, many moons ago. So it's in his The Life of Greece, if you want to find the reference for it. Uh, he goes into the details of how essentially this commission took place, how much money was spent, how much he was able to uh, sequester the the interest of all the leading Jewish sort of uh, rabbis and theologians at the time to preserve their tradition in the Greek tongue. And that's what we call the Pentateuch. And that's what I got confused. You're right about the Talmud being commentary, but I was the Torah and the Pentateuch are the same thing. Just one's in Greek, one's in. Well, essentially, you'd have to read the Torah. Right, read uh, Exodus, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, etc. First numbers five books, and Numbers and Deuteronomy, I believe. Right, last, yeah. and then after you read that, now read the rabbi's commentary on that. Correct, and you're working with a solution set of these people over here that believe this, as opposed to Muslims who believe, you know, because they also have uh, it's an Abrahamic religion, mm -hmm. right? So Christianity. Uh, Judaism, Islam are all Abrahamic religions, so they have common roots. Yeah, they have the commonality in the Christian tradition would be the Old Testament. They're all Shemitic be, religions. Yeah. yeah. So don't right. be anti-Shemitic. Pro Shem. pro tribe of Shem. <laughs> That's the message. And they're all relatively. Otherwise, they'll ban you. <laughs> geolocated around the Levant, for the most part. So the Ezra Levant. There you go. That's a. Hey, we. If you go back and listen to the beginning of the episode and you listen to the last clip we just played, we brought everything full circle. And that's the job. Take six or seven hours. You need a longer attention span, but we get her done. Even with rough takeoffs, we'll have a smooth landing. LD, who do we have to thank for tonight's uh, event in gala? All right. Ooh. Rack it up. There it is. Um, yeah. Safety's on. We have a few people to thank. Uh, First and foremost, the members of the Grand Theft World community that support yeah. this show. And if you've never been, go check out grandtheftworld.com. And you can find the uh, show notes to the episodes will be posted there. And you can join the community here. Support the show if you're able. And get inside. We've got the Grand Theft World Forum and the uh, Town Hall every other Tuesday night hosted by Tony. And a interesting 
very interesting group of smart people in their lively discussion. But uh, big thanks to the Rockfin tippers tonight. We had Tina Hagen threw in $5. Biscotti threw in $5 and thanked Thank himself. Thank you, Dylan. Before anybody else could. <laughs> Terry Purden, $20. Season 8 autonomy grad. Having a chance to listen more. Thank you. Thank you, Terry. Augustine, $5. Thomas Hutchinson, $10. Thanks to you all for your brilliant historical context and analysis. From a musician trying to brainstorm extricating extricating, excuse me, himself from a Rockefeller monopolized field. Thank you, Thomas. We had, uh, oh, we've got incoming. Uh, T-Can, $5. Thanks, GTW. Thank you, Mr. Can, once again. Uh, Sabogus, $2. LD, thanks for the Contra Crowder. And we had Scott Toms threw in $10 down to the wire. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much for keeping us going. That's it. Thank you all. That's a very <laughs> impressive list. Very thoughtful, considerate, and supportive of the ideas of liberty that we've been expressing throughout the show. Yeah, thank you, everyone, very much. Always appreciate it. And just to give you a flavor of all the stuff we skipped. Um, yeah, what couldn't we fit in tonight's episode, even running at seven hours? Yeah, the Ukraine-Russia, lots going on there, um, especially in regards to Zelensky and a lot of his cabinet regime seemingly disappearing out of nowhere. Uh, there's the whole Covidians begin backpedaling. I have a whole subsection here uh, with tons of different clips. There seems to be sort of a narrative control going on where they're gaslighting individuals about the history of what happened, acting like, no, they're on the side of like skepticism now. And people that historically, even like Leanna Wen came out and said they've overinflated numbers there. So there's, you can just sort of see the fallout of the fact that the, uh, History doesn't seem to be on their side in regards to the facts of the situation. Uh, so the COVID section was absolutely massive. The, the lockdowns, therapeutics, and the vaccine section, rather. Um, just a ton of stuff here. CDC warns of stroke dangers, new bivalent COVID booster. Um, let's see. Sam Harris out of himself again. It's almost becoming, he's meme-licious, as I sort of made, in our, uh, made a comment about in our um, production chat that's actually one we could add a field day with but we've already taken him to task as so many others have at this point in regards to his commentary about dead kids and just talking about he wishes that the pandemic was much worse so people would have just obliged with the authoritarian mandate so that's sam harris everyone the fall of fauci russell brand and there's you know uh, clayton morris had a bunch of things to say there so this again the jackson report was crazy this as well uh just a lot going on um, in regards to the COVID fallout, we'll call it. And so we didn't get to any of that tonight, but if people are interested, you can check out. If you become a subscriber, you'll get access to the show card and you can go through and, and check it out. And obviously we our intermission this tonight was going to be Jay Dyer, I believe on what Tim Pool. Is that what we we're going to play? But uh, we didn't get a chance to do so, but people can check that out uh, when they get the opportunity. It's available on YouTube. I'm sure Rumble where he posts other platforms since we started tonight annie jacobson had tweeted the ai chatbot passed oh, let me just show you ai chatbot passed the warden mba exam and outperform outperform some humans 
<laughs> just as John von Neumann predicted. Hmm. So that's where we're at. Get our learning on or become obsolete to the new chat GPT. All right. So wrapping up this show. Uh, yeah. If you guys want to see uh, what we would have played during intermission, I think when was the last time we had to miss an intermission? Cause we were so jam packed with news and things we had to cover during the show. It's been a long time since we had to skip intermission. So just because we skipped it doesn't mean it's not worth watching. Get yourself to the, uh, the show notes, see that uh, Tim cast from last Friday night. I would take in the entirety of the Tim cast because it's not just like one little uh, breakout session that Jay holds there uh, with the Tim cast crew. There's a lot of intelligent things said throughout. And I, I think it's like the calm before the storm because in just a few hours, Steven Crowder is going to be on Timcast, And so we have solidified our position this, this week, given what we knew about what was going on. And uh, I reserve the right to change my opinion, given new knowledge that might come out in the next 24 hours, given Steven's more extended positioning on this topic. So yeah, me as well, I would say that because I know we've taken a, taken a strong opinion on this as well, but I still stand by $120 million over four years is pretty easy to attain. And he might already have that in his pocket. So it could be much ado about nothing. And for those of you who put the numbers together for yourself, maybe you should build, build, be building your own independent platforms and getting your numbers up there too, because uh, it doesn't take a Steven Crowder to get a hundred dollar membership. You know, 10 bucks a month, 12 bucks a month, that adds up. And if you're delivering serious value to people over the internet, it's not just for people like Steven, it's for people like Luke and for Bermits and Ricky Verandas and all the people that we work with, you know, uh, Greg Reese and John Bound, all those guys that are producing content, True Stream Media, right? Uh, Jay Dack, well, all these people which, could be federated. And there could be something that percolates in the next 24 to 48 hours that brings about the Fediverse. Maybe Crowder joins the Fediverse. Maybe he starts learning about the things that we talk about in this show for the past couple of years or, you know, peace revolution for the past 12 years. It'd be a very, it would be very insightful and he would give great access to a lot of individuals that right now Crowder stands still in the daily wire context of a gatekeeper in a lot of areas instead of someone that can open the floodgates to true knowledge, true history, and some of the machinations of what's going on with the CIA, the FBI, the origin to the United States, the British intelligence, and the origin to the OSS and CIA, and how much, how deep the rabbit hole really goes in regards to geopolitics, uh, mystery traditions and religions, in regards to uh, all forms of esoteric and occulted knowledge, uh, the world over that we talk about on the show and trying to bring context to it to get, understand that there's a continuation of a philosophy that is inherently misanthropic, solipsistic, epistemologically, and ultimately metaphysically nihilistic. It's very Nemo. Emo. Nemo. Nemo, Nemo. Nemo, Nemo. I was mixing up the Disney movie Nemo, Nemo. with mm -hmm. the emotional you know, group of people, the emos. Uh, I remember I grew up not I myself know. an emo, I'm but that was softly. my... That was my generation. At least you're not a steampunk. Oh, Christ. Well, steampunk was a little bit. That was an earlier generation thing. That was like an 80s. It's thing. coming back. <laughs> but uh, yeah, emos, that was unfortunately the generation I grew up with. So not myself. I was the lone metal old Metallica kid. 
with his master puppet shirt in the back of the school. Hey, LD. Yes, how did uh, things work tech wise after we got, you know, through the ripples tonight? Uh, not too bad. Like you, I mean, we had a lot of right interesting off. new uh, things happening. And uh, I think we'll just have a very brief outro tonight. Just shut it down because you're not yeah, going right to get on. any audio from the outro. So I'll just cut it in. I'll fix it in post. Do it live. Sorry to do it. Hell yeah. Yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm glad and grateful that we got to take off. We, uh, we, you know, it was difficult and challenging. It was a little triggering of my complexity to be like, all right, let's do the intro. Cause usually I, I'm cued off the music. When that music ends, I'm like, yeah, welcome to the Grand Theft World. And then I was like, okay, imagine it in your head. So it took a little more uh, talent on my part to get it started. But once we got started, it was pretty easy. And uh, thank you for helping to push all the buttons. And not everything's going to work out right. We don't have a $50 million budget like the Crowder joint over there. There will be right? upgrades in the future. Um, I just, it's my sort of my fault in regards. To, I think it's endearing. Uh, I think it's part of the kitsch of this show is that things just don't always work right. I think it represents reality. It's like a microcosm of the macrocosm. A little Easter egg. People can see what yeah. they can find. We have a tech glitch. So, you know, people love Easter eggs and old Mario games and video games in general, right? So. Like that. I think the errors of humanity, like when human beings make errors, it's a sign of our authenticity as opposed to the AI and the things that they're about to bring you. Dude, they're they basically have it in their contracts that Ben Ben Shapiro's image is licensed and they can have an AI Shapiro and they don't even need Ben anymore. They're already doing this in Hollywood. Yeah, that's a fair point. They already have oh, sorry, Carrie Fisher, you're dead. We have yeah. your likeness and we own the perpetuity, and you're now saying this and whatever movie we want you to be in regardless right. of whether or not it espouses your beliefs or not. So that's where humanity is headed. If we don't head them off the pass, head them off at the pass. That's the gist. Good guys can win. We just have to like really play hard in the third and fourth quarter. We're at halftime. They've got us by a couple points, but if we don't quit on ourselves and we keep a positive mentality, we can do this. And with that, yeah, I'm looking at the clock. With that, I will let you know that you've made it to the end of an episode and any episode of Grand Theft World is like riding a bull and you might not make it to the end of the episode, but those who do make it to the end of the episodes are the champions. You get the big belt buckle for tonight. You get the bragging rights. You made it to the end of episode 116 and too few people in this world have the attention span and respect for themselves to get informed in this uh, highfalutin manner. So thank you all for tuning in and not dropping out. And here's Steven Crowder and Owen Benjamin to play us out. Something spicy. Thanks everyone. Have a good night. Yeah. I'm curious to see what the, yeah, me down. too. Peace. Yeah. This is going to be cool. Yeah, interesting. Not cool, but very interesting. This it's is courtesy of LD. LD brought this, this closer. For oh, Chrissy oh, Marr. Good context. Chrissy yeah. Marr. Chrissy Marr. Via LD. So, yeah. No, I appreciate that context and I'm curious all around. So see, that's how you keep change. people watching all the way to the end. Manage that attention span. Continue delivering value on a consistent basis. Peace. Good night. From Irish right. Net. Curious what happened with Crowder. Is there a bad blood there? Don't answer if you are compelled to pull a Jack Murphy. What's Jack Murphy? Oh, oh I love that you don't know. I love <laughs> <laughs>
Oh my fucking god! The people that are following this Jack Murphy drama are gonna like laugh so hard that you're like, "Is it that gay guy?" <laughs> he was like this. He was like this conservative, uh, like masculinity influencer type guy. And then uh, his porn, like that was on Chatterbait, like came up, and it wasn't just like him, you know, stunt dicking it, which a lot of guys do, and you never see their face. It was him fully in frame with like something in his butt, and it's like you can tell for him. Part of the kink was like because you know what i mean like he was doing this all simultaneously so i think for him part of the mental kink was like oh i might get found out i might get discovered right, why yeah, wouldn't yeah. why wouldn't you totally wipe that all away when you enter this like new sort of like conservative world um but anyway so this all got tipped off like the the tipping point was when he went on a show and the host asked him about um cucking and in his mind he thought oh she's trying to out me and all my stuff my like sexy past but really she had no fucking clue and he was like fuck That's you sexy. heartfelt fuck you heartfelt and like and like took it to an 11 and she was like what Whoa. and then people started looking into him and and all this stuff got unearthed and it wasn't that i think anyone really has a problem with the fact that he did porn he just wasn't honest about it and he didn't yeah he was, on, he, was like. he was on my show that i have porn stars on all the time we literally made a joke about him doing a sex tape and he said nothing like that's what upsets me it's like he had every opportunity to come clean and be like yeah i can i can be pro masculinity and have sex tapes like and it's all good but i think because he wanted to shove himself into this box and be this like perfect thing that that crumbled on him and that uh, doesn't work ever like your secrets are what get you so it's like uh i don't hide anything because it always comes out especially if you live stream all the time everyone's going to figure out exactly who you are so why hide any of that oh so so what happened with crowder you know i don't want to just be a, like this big gossip guy but just basically well you did um, it you, you like were on the show or you were like part of the show i was like his head writer for like a year and i used oh, to do wow. sketches with him all the time yeah and it's like uh there were certain topics that i was exploring that made him very uncomfortable and uh you know not gay jared and all those guys all quit too because there was a lot of just you know a lot of drama a lot of a lot of stuff and uh you know dressing and drag to own the libs you know that kind of wears on me a little bit and but i wish him well he's a dad now so that's it was it like trans stuff like like were you trying to push like conspiracy type no i tracked uh yeah you know i had some questions on the moon landing okay <laughs> that's fun and, to uh, talk about all oh, that's that's i don't know not, not it's when really now when you're not when your dad's like best friend was like the colonel in the air force no it was like a whole thing and then mm -hmm. also uh, uh, the, the the pharmaceutical company that made all the transgender child hormones is Teva Pharmaceuticals out of Israel. So I was oh, like, can we talk okay. about that? And okay. everyone's like, no, no. And I'm like, Interesting. really? Okay. I thought that we, like, he had me host this whole show once to talk about the transgender child abuse movement. And so I'm not playing. Like, I'm not a grifter. I'm not like a... Uh, someone that just says stuff to get attention. I'm like, I genuinely hate child abuse. And so I'm like, hey, everybody, you'll never guess. Me and my Scooby-Doo team figured out exactly where all these hormones are come from. And it was like immediately like, no. And you're like, okay, mm -hmm. man. And then it's just like, it just kept snowballing. And then like, you know, he what? It, it was just, I don't know, just nonsense. And so, like, I'm sure you weren't pitching ideas to piss anybody off. You were probably like, hey, no. even the most idiot, like random person can see, hey, it's almost like they're trying to create a market, 
You know what I mean? Like if they're, if this exactly. is being pushed yeah. and, and they're making this look like summer camp to little kids, like, wow, exactly. I can be trans. I can be accepted. I can get validation. I'm immediately special. My, fr- my parents bend to my every whim. This is great. It's all the things that kids want at a time when, when you're like spongy enough to go along with whatever. So it's like, anybody can make exactly. that observation. It's like, but then you just pitch that and then you're, you know what I mean? You pitch this idea, but then you're left with like, no, like it's an overcorrection or it's like what you pitch is like this much. And then they go, oh, no, like it's met with a lot of anger. It probably makes you go like, oh, fuck. What? Why? What's so wrong with that? Right. Right. And that's like, no, that's a sacred. Like we don't go there. And I'm like, oh, and so then like um, and so that got me a little paranoid for a little bit. It's almost like the Jack Murphy thing. I'm like, so what the hell are they hiding? And then I don't I no longer care. It's just like another country. <laughs> True. Like it's like you could totally that. go into that. Yeah. It's there are so many little nuggets. Yeah. Like I did a whole episode just on the Wallenberg family in Sweden and how they own Ericsson and all that. Like if you're conspiratorial minded, this is what I learned. You can focus on any area of the world and convince yourself that that's why there's problems in the world. So what I figured out is the way to end trans child movement is for me to be a really good dad and to be part of my community. And so they're not raised by television screens that are trying to coax them into this type of stuff. And that's all I have power over. And so in the end of the day, um, I see the point of not going down some rabbit holes, but at the same time, it's a process that if you don't do it, you don't know why not to do it, you know? And so, cause I was one of the first people to talk about the Sackler family. Now there's like HBO documentaries about them. It's like, there was one family that was responsible for all the oxy in America. Oh. Like, yeah. Yeah. So like okay. I've lost friends, uh, close friends to, uh, opioid abuse. And like a lot of them were vets that got hooked on these pills that were given to them after they served in Afghanistan. And so I figure out that the patents are owned by this one family. And uh, I'm like talking about, about the Sackler family really is responsible for a genocide that happened in America. And so then now it's open. They've been sued. They lost billions of dollars. There's they're blamed for like, but when I did it, I was called anti-Semitic. And this is Mm -hmm. what happened to me. Like I never had a problem with like Jewish people or anything. It was like, every time I would find something, people would go, Oh, you're anti-Semitic. I'm like, I didn't even know what Sackler, a Jewish name. Like, I don't know what that is. And so it's almost like the over paranoia made me oh, a little okay. paranoid. And then people I realized are, like, are oh, correcting you. And you're like, Wait, oh yeah. Like Epstein, Weinstein, uh, Woody Allen. Like I'm listing all these Hollywood pedos and they're like, you're an anti-Semite. I'm like, I didn't even think of that. Like I never even thought. <laughs> to, right. They're just why. people. I thought they were just people. And we were like talking about, are you a good person or bad person? We're not thinking about like, right, oh, right. oh, who you That's are and differentiates yeah. if you're, a, if you're a good or bad person, like what category you fit into denotes whether we look into this or not. Yeah, exactly. And so my, my innocence actually kind of revealed like an uncomfortable situation and like, and I get it and it's fine. I just, I'm not for everybody. And that's why I'm glad to be doing my own thing. But, um, uh, you know, now if you do a stream about the Sackler family, no one cares because it's open knowledge. But when I did it, it wasn't. And in the end of the day, it's still your responsibility to not take drugs. Hmm. And so to blame the dealer because of your addiction is really not actually fair. And so I've actually come full circle to self-ownership with this stuff because for a while I was like, oh, they're pumping this in and doing that. Unless you don't have uh, free will, which I think exists only with children. That's why child abuse bothers me so much. Uh, it's still you and the only way you can stop it until you 
pave the whole world, you got to wear shoes, you know? And so uh, that's where I'm at now. And it's a much happier place to be. That sounds like a t-shirt slogan. Conspiracy is the story of history. It's the story of plunderers taking care of people who produce. They claim to take care of them through government, which doesn't give you anything. It doesn't take away first. So it's not creating something out of nothing. It's very real what they're doing. They're taking your rights or taking some people's rights and adding more to someone else's rights. If you haven't heard about our Grand Theft World community membership, here are a few of the things you've been missing. A mobile app where you can access replays of the Grand Theft World podcast and show notes. Access to the Grand Theft World community on Discord, where we crowdsource news and resources, and you can contribute to the show. The opportunity to participate in the Grand Theft World bi-weekly town hall. Exclusive content from Richard Grove, including behind-the-scenes footage and future access to unpublished material. 93 episodes of the Peace Revolution podcast, and the Grand Theft World newsletter delivered straight to your inbox each week. If you want to stay ahead of the great game, visit us at GrandTheftWorld.com, click or tap the button in the top right-hand corner, and join a vibrant community of researchers blazing a new path to truth. We'll see you there. Big props to Maria, broadcaster, that's where I'd hear And get hooked on the name of Richard Grove What he's saying is hypnotic Synchronicity came out like chronic All in a full stride, compadres around all sides Seeking sources to provide solution The heavy-handed knowledge is Willie saying The peace revolution never known I was missing the blessing The heaviest session recorded and revealed The ultimate history lesson in this quest And I'm a Midwestern who's rocking it dope Subscribe to media produced by tragedy and hope and if you didn't know the gift and here's what you've been missing and listening is where conviction is revealed in descriptions in a brain model don't come all hollow but full throttle and dive in the deep end so history doesn't repeat and make it complete catch grant that world every week with richard and tony chop it up with the homies and i ain't talking about that public school baloney in a sec you should know me quoting gato in the flow that i'm growing and lb's bearded is showing the time capsule stack of stats is open so spread it around, the show is ready to pounce Audience that abounds, seeking out what's profound I know it is challenging, fallacies in the balance When a forensic story in it, boring men while exhorting in Examination, contemplation, meditation, revelation, celebration Destinations planned, targets arrived Autonomy crew of souls that survive Broke free from the 9 to 5 and we doing it live Hey, with hope in our flow, where consciousness grows As opposed to, you don't have to think about it dude Cause it's 
it's a comedy show that be bombing truth woe trying to make uncommon truths be more commonly known that it's a grand theft world that i'm living in ain't no reptilian skin just some normal humans who love to sin from their banking powers they aim to win deceive and betray all men Making everyone slaves to them It's a grand theft world that I'm peering at The sky's like a pyramid For those tuning in, they be feeling that Revealing that Things ain't what they seem So I'm fighting back and digging jack Obtaining knowledge, wisdom, and artifacts Artifacts, artifacts Yeah, neglected aspect That's what they lack Yo, trivium course, it'll deal with that Huh, be a rebel, bring the logic back Cause it's a grand theft world that they rolling out Got the growth model out, tracing Rockefeller dollars Straight to clouds, SEC connections are hard to doubt But most go the common route, walking with their head in the shroud Yo, it's a grand theft world that I'm peering at Disguised like a pyramid, but those tuning in They be feeling that, revealing that Things ain't what they seem, so I'm fighting back And digging jack, obtaining knowledge, wisdom, and artifacts Game. This isn't Grand Theft Auto, folks. This isn't a video game. This is Grand Theft World. All right, LD. It's a Grand Theft World that I'm peering at in the sky like a pyramid. For those tuning in, they'd be feeling it. Revealing that things ain't what they seem to so invite back and digging jack, obtaining knowledge, wisdom, and artifacts. If you need a single location to get cutting-edge information and keep up with the rapidly changing world around us, tune into Grand Theft World, where a forensic historian and a logic professor break down the week's news in depth and in context. There's a ton more there, so go check it out. And don't forget to get your Freedom Vault on the homepage. Hi. Good night, everybody.